everyone, and welcome to Between the Sheets, episode number 394. I'm your host, Chris Zona, joined as always by my co-host, David Bix, and Span and Bix. Before we get started, I want to make a quick announcement. This week's episode of Between the Sheets is officially an Ariel Hawani free zone. There will be no discussions of Ariel Hawani or anything like that on this show this week. Sorry, so other than that, <laughs> Go ahead. So, nothing. No, I mean, I've had enough. I've had an ass full of and it already. And so have I. But are you saying that I'm the... This is insane. Unbi- <laughs> yes. Are you saying that I'm an unbiased journalist who asks all the tough questions regardless of whether or not they want to give me answers? It's just, it's, it's just insane. But anyway, so I just want to get that out there. <laughs> because, yeah, as we record this, we're on day four of this shit. Of people just keep on going and keep it on going and keep it on going. I'm just... An asshole of it, so <laughs> there it is. I mean, it's probably going to die down after today anyway, because it was today was MMA hour, so it's like probably like you know we're recording this part of Monday night. It'll probably you know people react to what Meltzer and Pollock say on their raw recap raw recap shows because they're friends, but they, but they've been critical. And after that rolls out of the pro wrestling news and Twitter cycle, that'll probably be it. Yeah, we'll see. But anyways, we got more important stuff to talk about. So you got to go back 25 years now to the week that was February 22nd to the 28th of 1998. And let's go to the World Wrestling Federation, where there's a lot of shit going on, but not involving their regular wrestling television. For wrestling appearances have become the hottest topic of late on the TSN show off the record, stemming from recent appearances by Bret Hart and Vince McMahon. McMahon taped two segments on February 20th with host Michael Landsberg, which are on February 24th and 25th, largely to answer the charges by Brett regarding the ending of their 14-year business relationship. On the same day and airing that night was another segment with Hunter Hus Helmsley and Doc Hendricks, and finally largely the answer to claim by McMahon that WF is kicking Ted Turner's ass in every category set television ratings. Eric Bischoff was scheduled for a live interview on the show on March the 3rd. For the record, the tra- as a transcript we got, having not seen the program, had a phrase slightly wrong. The admission by Vince of lying to Brett came when Landsberg said after McMahon kept being around the bush on the question, so that when he says that you lied to him as he was heading to the ring, it was a man who interrupted the rest of the question by saying, he's right. I couldn't take a risk after asking until he breached his contract several times before, denying what it was that we wanted. I couldn't take a risk that he was going to just walk out and leave fans all over the world with nothing. During the show, McMahon claimed he didn't believe in creative control clauses. Although admitting Brett had won this contract, and mentioned how they lead the problems, citing WCW. Clauses are no clause in the contract when it comes to problems with getting top talent to do jobs, and neither company is any kind of exclusive on that problem. And when it comes to dropping titles, McMahon has had former problems in Bischoff in recent months, particularly in the wake of Montreal. He also said that he didn't believe credit control had to do with finishes of matches, which is why he claimed Brett breached his contract first by not going along with Vince's proposed finish. One can debate eternally whether dropping the title four days later or one month later would be reasonable or unreasonable, and those two defend McMahon in this situation have to, at some point, since defending his position requires overlooking blatant admitted lying. Of course, 100% defense of Brett requires overlooking an assault, even if the assault was a manipulated situation. It's a little hard to argue that a reasonable creative control clause doesn't have at least something to do with match finishes. As the November 17th issue of the Observer showed in the timeline, McMahon suggested so many different finishes and plot lines changing with every conversation. 
There were several suggested finishes for Survivor Series that included Brett losing a title, although in all of them he was promised it back on the following pay-per-view should he stay. Another promise that was probably not going to be delivered. The man also suggested several finishes that Brett retained the title, including the finish he suggested and laid out the Brett that didn't happen that both agreed to. To after the fact state that Brett knew he wanted him to lose isn't either true nor false, but it is misleading. At times, Brett knew that. At times, Brett was told exactly the opposite. Before Brett made the decision to leave, the promise that was always if he lost to Sean, he'd get the belt back later, either in December or January, depending upon which conversation. After Brett made the decision to leave, there are at least four different finishes suggested in that final nine days. Him losing cleanly, him losing due to outside interference, him winning cleanly in the middle, which supposed Sean did next, and his winning by DQ, which was the final agreement. The last day he was told by Vince an involved description of how the match should go with no suggestion being made whatsoever of Brett losing, no argument about being put up that he wanted anything different, and no attempt to plead the marriage to attempt to get Brett to change his mind, let alone order something, and have Brett turn it down as Vince has portrayed everywhere since then. On the f- All right, so if you want more of that discussion, patreon.com slash between the sheets. Um, we did a three-part series on the 25th anniversary of Montreal, and in show number three, the December show, we talk about this off-the-record interview. So we have all the clips from that and all discussion of that. So that will be on that show. If you haven't listened to it yet, $5 at patreon.com slash between the sheets. We won't rehash that right yeah, now I mean, because, hell, we, we just put it out two months ago. Well, one thing I'll say real quick, though, because it is important is, you know, we discuss this on the Patreon show a lot. As much as later on, Dave would always say that in the contract, uh, reasonable creative control was defined as that Vince could not dictate to Brett. They had to agree on everything. As far as we can tell, Dave does not say that at all in the immediate aftermath or anything like it. So I guess it's something he found out later. I don't know why. I've never seen it really countered by anyone other than i guess bruce pritchard I, I think he i think he claimed there was no clause at all though i don't think he said it was about the wording so i don't know but that that's why that's not coming up here even though that seems to be the agreed upon definition these days i don't know yeah but anyway all right well for the whole thing go to the patreon now in that first show he did have this he talked about uh, McMahon said his belief there should be no limits in what could be done on his television show other than no guns, knives, rapes, or robberies. Dave's not sure number one, number three, to an extent, haven't already been violated. Well, number one was for sure, and number three was certainly portrayed in regards to certainly strong hints of having sex against the wishes of the woman, both involving Brian Pillman. So it's kind of a silly answer. He believed there was no subject material that should be off limits. And when the host talked about his own children watching it, it makes messages as to what is real and what isn't in wrestling, that's the job for the parents to talk to their kids about that. He also stated that two guys in their underwear wrestling around is awfully boring. What do you think? Where do you think Vince changed on that thought? On what? What do you think? What do you think the catalyst was for Vince to, you know, basically? Oh, going from say, family friendly to. Well, no, two guys wrestling in underwear is awfully boring. Oh, that part. Um, it, it, honestly, here's what I find interesting about this. At least in, like, modern times, so let's say, you know, at least as far as 80s on, maybe even 70s on, 
be like a bad stereotype of pro wrestling that you would see in like wrestling related episodes of TV shows and movies and that's based more on WWF or slash WWF style wrestling than anything else. You know, the big oafs, you know, badly pretending to punch each other, boring kind of thing. And I say that because, like, you know, the work was better in most other territories, and, you know, most other territories' work did not look like that, whereas WWF style kind of did. I wonder how much that ties into that. Like, you know, Vince knows his own wrestling more than anything else. Is Vince, is this a point of view Vince always had to some degree? And, like everything else, is it informed by his dad's wrestling? My thing is, is we went on those years with WF operating the same exact way until 1997-ish. In terms when Vince, of... When they get more adult. Oh, okay, as far as that side. Okay, yes. And going to the Attitude Era. And there were hints in 95-96, but, yeah. Um... So, oh, you mean just the whole thing here, not just in-ring wrestling is boring, but also going from clean family entertainment to uh, only uh, guns, knives, rapes, and robbery should be off-limit. Um, someone was gaining on him for the first time. I mean, that's I think that's really all it is. And business on his side had gone down to previously unthought-of levels. So I think that's the extent of it. I think that, I mean, I think Russo was the main part of that, too. I'm sure that's part of it. Yeah, so. Who, how much is mm. pushed specifically by Russo versus anyone else? I don't know. Yeah. And Bruce is watching ECW and stuff, you know? Yeah, so, yeah, it was just hearing him say it like that. It's, you know, interesting describing it like that. After being so many years of being basically that same exact thing. All right. Landsberg got the Grilling Man Must first show was a lot easier on him in the second show, comparing him favorably to David Stern in the NBA as the best marketer in all sports and praising him many times for his ability to paint a visual picture. We have a uh, Burroughs and Torch now to fill in with some in-depth questions and answers. On whether he has a problem with Ron losing to Nitro, I don't have a problem. When you're competitor on te television networks that are male-dominated, they have an NBA package, an NFL package, which they just lost. Major League Baseball, when they have that kind of strength, those kind of mill demos on at least two of their networks and cross-remote, and actually promote their Nitro television show more heavily than any television show in history, then I would suggest you're bound to get some television ratings. Television ratings are only part of the equation in terms of competition. We're in the television business, yes, and we look for excellent ratings, but it's not the be-all, end-all of what we do. They're in the television business. I'm in the sports entertainment business. There's a big difference philosophically. In terms of ratings. Vince talking about the constant promotion of WCW on Turner Properties was always funny to me because that wasn't the case. You yeah. make it commercials for Nitro and Thunder mixed in, but the Turner Properties themselves are not mentioning wrestling. And if they are, like on Brace Telecast, it's not in a positive light. Oh, uh, yeah. They told us to promote that uh, Ric Flair is wrestling later. Uh I bet scripted, uh, fake, uh, you know, that kind of thing. Yeah. Well, yeah. So he's all, he's way off base in that regard. Because, I mean, who knows how different WCW would have been if they would have had that type of promotion that Vince is talking about here. <laughs> they would have loved it. 
Uh, yes. They're in the television business. I'm in the sports entertainment business, which is kind of a uh, you know they they're in the wrestling business. I'm in the sports entertainment business. So, same thing. On how he feels about WCW building around the stars that he built, that fits the Ted Turner philosophy. Ted goes out and copies things. That's what he's done all of his life. I don't know that Ted has had an original thought in his head ever. He's very good at copying things. You can go out and attempt to copy WF and open up your wallet and pay an exorbitant sums of money for superstars that we created. That's fine. He can do that. That's not going to last forever. We protect ourselves now with long-term contracts with those individuals we want to stay here. If something comes along or happens to an individual and you want to allow them to be stolen, you can always do that. But you want to protect yourself with long-term contracts and be able to build a nucleus and be able to create new stars, which is something that we've always been able to do. Disney used to say he can innovate faster than his competitor can imitate. That's the task before us. Ted Turner has never had an original thought in his head ever. I mean, <laughs> that's pretty funny. Um, I think Ted was always known for being a maverick, especially in his early days. He had a lot of original thoughts in his head. Yeah. He he managed the Atlanta Braves for one day in, in 1977. When Andy Messersmith signed with the Braves as a free agent, one of the top free agents in baseball, he made him change his uniform number to, to 17, and on the back of the jersey, it didn't say Messersmith, it said Channel 17. <laughs> um, all kinds of original ideas when it comes to television. I mean, <laughs> Ted... Ted was an innovator in many ways. Now, where Vince has him in this is one of the most famous things that Ted had been involved with, you know, in the 80s and stuff was taking old movies and colorizing them. Yes. And that was a big thing. That was a big mark against Ted. A lot of people were not fans of that, of doing that. Um I mean, and that became one of his big criticisms in 2023. I mean, now that we're so far removed from it, it seems kind of insane that anyone ever even tried that. Well, especially with how bad the technology was at the time. It's worse now. Have you ever seen on YouTube where people try to take black and white stuff and colorize it? So, okay, it's it's not worse now. Oh, yes, it is. Let me finish what I'm saying. It's more uncanny valley because it's just it's just better enough to look weirder. It's I, the uncanny I, valley. I think the thing is is that if it depends on who's doing it. Well, that's um, it. Do you understand the distinction um, I'm making? Though, uh, I mean, I, there was. Uh, I mean, when a actual production house is doing it, it's one thing. But when random YouTube people are doing it. That's when it doesn't look right. Oh, yeah. I mean, I haven't seen any of those, I don't think. Oh, I have. Um, There are people that do that with like old boxing matches and okay. stuff, old sports on YouTube, where they do that, where they colorize it. It just, it looks so bad. Um, I just searched bo- it, colorized boxing. Okay. So, Legends of Boxing in Color, do they do it well or badly? Um... I don't know. I mean, I know that's on my head. Uh, let's see. Let me find one here. I mean, I'm pulling up. I don't want to get too right. sidetracked. We have a lot to go through. You, but... All right. Uh, you're on Legends of Boxing? Legends of Boxing. And yeah. Uh, yeah. What? Click on that. Yeah. 
Well, you can mute this, obviously. Yeah. But they're trying to be fairly subtle, but also they're not working with great quality footage anyway. No, but I'm saying, look at that, though, Bix. Okay, and that's... Yeah, I don't get the point of this. Yeah, this is kind it's of... It's 1938. It's a 1935-1938 on black and white film. Yeah. It's just... Yeah. It doesn't look right, but that's become the new rage now, and, uh, and especially with boxing for some reason. Okay. Um, but yeah, I, I don't know. But yeah, now when the um, when Three Stooges when they when the Three Stooges stuff got colorized, yeah, it looks a whole hell of a lot better than anything in this crap. It's just different because you're so used to seeing it in black and white. You mean the modern DVD era colorized Three Stooges? Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yes. So and so back in the 80s, like, was anyone other than Turner doing it? Uh, no. Okay. So Turner is pretty much the only one who ever did that. Yes. Okay. Interesting. Yeah. But, yeah, it's just... Weird. And weird. now, in fairness, though, he did do his penance. He did give us uh, Turner Classic movies. Oh, yeah. Which became devoted to showing everything in an, as original a form as possible. Yeah, yeah. All right. Uh, Bat events on how he feels about WCW building. Okay, I've already read that. On whether he regrets letting Hulk Hogan Diesel raise Ramon go. I would suggest Hogan with Hogan. No, I don't regret that. With Scott Hall and Diesel, perhaps, that's when we started doing our guaranteed contracts. We stayed out as long as we could, but right after that, we started with our guaranteed contracts, and that's what made them go to Turner. That and the sum of money. It's funny he's saying this about Hogan, when this is around the time that Hogan is actually talking to Vince about possibly coming back. Seems right. I mean, no, we talk <laughs> about it. I mean, we talk about it on the, on the yeah. Montreal Patreon shows, that there were the rumors about that. Well, let's continue. On why he doesn't regret losing Hogan, even though everywhere Hogan goes, success seems to follow. That's very true. Again, I guess to a certain extent, that's a comment to us. Having worked with him, having been part of the overall success of who he was and who he still is to this day in terms of television. In terms of a live event, if you see Hulk Hogan perform a live event, you're disappointed, naturally. He's not the same man he was 10 or 15 years ago in terms of athleticism. To a certain extent, be that as it may, and then from there, notwithstanding. And then we have this on whether he take Hogan back. Only on the right terms. I certainly wouldn't take him back in terms of a bidding war between Turner and WF. You can't do that. We have to be smarter. We have to stay out of this bidding war situation. We can't do that. Turner has unlimited resources. We are the last of the independents in this business. <sighs> Turner with Time Warner with their resources were like a little speck in the ocean. <sighs> well, <laughs> I mean, they, they were in it. They were independently owned. Yes. But it's a different, it's different, but they weren't, I mean, it was at this time still a independently owned family operation. They were not part of a corporation. But also it's not like there were all these big wrestling companies around to compare to either. No. And certainly if you were to go internationally, Turner's the outlier at that time. No, but. You know, we don't have Bushy Road. Well, I get. <sighs> Yeah, Televisa doesn't own part of AAA at this point anymore, or at least only a small minority. Uh, it's just, it's just the, the the Hogan thing, though. You know, <laughs> it's funny he's saying this when, you know, he's supposed to be talk, you know, have been having conversations with Hogan. Well, yeah. 
So maybe it's just throw off the scent. I don't know, but yeah. Okay. And whether he considered taking on Rupert Murdoch as a partner. I've talked to Rupert a number of times, not about being a partner. One day we may make this a public company. I think that's probably the way to go one day. I don't know. I like being independent. I don't like being part of being swept away if you're part of a conglomerate somehow. There are some advantages, yes. I like competing. I like being out in the marketplace. I enjoy what we're doing now. There's no way to have an even playing field with Ted Turner. Other television ratings, we're kicking his ass. Eric Bischoff playing the interview with TSN this week and bring hard numbers to the table to dispute that statement by McMahon, Wade said. I mean, Vince went public, so, I mean, for, for money reasons. I mean, in his heart of hearts, I never believe he really wanted to do it. I mean, he structured it in a way where he gave up no control, though. No direct still, control. Still. No, the control is one thing, but it's different. No, it's different. You have, I mean, you have stockholders to report to. Yes, I mean, yeah, but they weren't really concerned about that until less than a year ago. But still, I mean, you still have to put all this information out there for public yeah. consumption that they didn't have to used to do. and Yeah. Yeah, I mean, every, everything is more publicly known than what it was. Yes. So that's why I'm saying I, I don't think he ever wanted to do that. For that reason. Yeah. And other reasons, but that's, you know, specifically that. On dealing with Mike Tyson, he might wrestle. He's not currently scheduled to wrestle at WrestleMania. We're a couple weeks away, and anything can happen. He may wrestle after WrestleMania is over. He may go back to boxing. We don't know yet. Okay. On whether or not they've gotten their money's worth out of Ty- Tyson, I think we already have. Oh, whether Tyson's yeah. gotten their money worth out of, money's worth out of Tyson? Yes. yes. Yeah. And boy, wasn't that an interesting statement Tyson had over the week, last week, wasn't it, about uh, AEW and WWE? I, I saw he said something. I didn't see what he said. He was asked about working for AEW. And uh, how would he compare that working for WWE? Where, where would he rather work? He said, I'd rather work with WWE. He said, AEW, even though even AEW pays me more money. <laughs> so... <laughs> yeah, and then Matt, and WWE, but AW's, AW was the one coming through with the checks. Apparently, Matt Menard called him a mark. <laughs> yeah, he t- he tweeted he tweeted what a mark. Hey, cashing them checks if they're willing to pay him, you know, that's wrestling. On whether DX is in the WS answer to the NWO, no, 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 no. I think you make a big mistake in any form of entertainment by copying. I think people know what the real deal is, and that's why they support us so overwhelmingly in pay-per-view merchandising and licensing and live events. Live events really what our business is all about because the athletes, we have a need to perform. That's their biggest thrill, to be able to perform. When you give them that form to be able to perform, they do, and our audience greatly appreciates it. Well, that's a hell of a non-answer. Yeah, he just completely <laughs> got away from the question. He, he just completely got out of the way of that question, didn't he? Is DX and WF's answer to NWO? And no follow-up from Landsberg. No, so well, Apparently, I mean, yeah. Yeah. But it's, oh, yeah, no. It's, no, we don't copy. But by the way, you know what's great? House shows. <laughs> exactly. So he just he steered away from that real quick. Yeah. On whether he, regret, whether he regrets the interview with Melanie Pillman. No, not at all. Actually, there's very little in my life that I regret. 
I don't regret that whatsoever because the purpose of having Melanie on, because at the time Brian was known as a real free spirit, he was known from time to time to use recreational drugs. It was felt at that time by his wife that one of the reasons he passed away was one of the reasons. So I gave her the form to say maybe everyone can learn from this, benefit from this tragedy in some capacity, and that's why we have Melanie Pillman on. As it turned out, he had had a heart attack, and he had a diseased heart. Okay. Due to drugs. What show did we end up checking when it was that Dave actually first, or anyone else first reported that cocaine was part of his death? Oh, I don't remember. It was years later, though, right? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, no, was it was it that Wade did it first? Because he was the local, maybe? It's one of them, I don't know. There was some, I forget exactly, but it was like... Dave does not say for years after this, but it's like, it turned out, yeah, it was cocaine had to do with him having the heart attack. It was, with you know, cocaine was listed as a contributing cause. So that, that whole thing is just weird. I forget if that was a Patreon show or a weekly show where we figured that out, but... I mean, the, the, and the interview, why is he defending the interview? But also, he's, he's getting around, like, the, it wasn't the talking about drugs, it was the doing the interview in the first place. And then the stuff like, how are you going to support your family now? Yeah, you got uh, five kids and another on the way. Uh. It was that stuff. That's not what people got angry over. The drug stuff, really. But also the drug stuff was what allowed him to say, oh, oh, she wanted to come on and talk about it. Yeah. All right, on Ahmed Johnson. Ahmed Johnson hurt a lot of people. I think he started believing his own publicity. I think he absolutely lost the focus. He couldn't determine the difference between Tony Norris and Ahmed Johnson. I mean, hello. We'll have more on Ahmed Johnson in just a little bit. Houston, hello. <laughs> on Vince McMahon, luckiest man on earth. I got a wonderful, wonderful family. I have the privilege of being in the company and doing the thing that I love to do, which is entertain people. It's the biggest thrill of my life other than my family. Boy, how that family would change in the next 25 years. Uh-huh. On Rick Rude. Someone who would like to be in this era and perform one of the greats, but unfortunately can't. Did he mean that as kind of a dig, or was he just... No, I don't think so. I mean, he's... I think he's saying that, that, that Rick is bitter, that, he, that he's not out there working. Because the he injury. can't work. Yeah, yeah and, he's, and he's right! I mean, we know he's I mean, right. Actually. Yeah. yeah. So, I mean, that's just Vince saying that. I mean... I don't think it's really throwing shade. It's saying the truth. Yeah. On gold dust imitating Dusty Rhodes. We don't slap people in the face. That's a tribute to Dusty. Dusty was called right after we did that, and he laughed so hard because he knew what we were doing. What's such fra- what, what, such weird phrasing, Dusty was called? <laughs> By who? Well, I guess Dustin. I no, don't know. Dustin's still on what? bad terms with him. Dustin's estranged with him until after he splits from Terry. Well, Bruce, I guess we'll have we'll have what's being talked about here in the raw section. So get ready for that on his favorite creation of all time. I don't think I have a favorite. Certainly the Undertaker is a phenomenal athlete, phenomenal characterization. The man behind this, one of the most wonderful men you'll ever see in the squared circle. I think uh, as we've seen as time goes on that Undertaker is his favorite creation of all time. And, hey, he, I mean, that is a WB creation. Straight from them. I mean, Vince inducted him into the Hall of Fame, which I think, other than the Trump celebrity 
thing. Vince is, that's the only one Vince has done, right? Yeah, but I'm saying, I mean, that, I mean, it the way the Undertaker's treated and everything. I mean, yeah, and it worked because I mean, Undertaker was in a fucking Super Bowl commercial this year, for God's sakes. So, yeah, on turning Undertaker from a no name in WCW to a superstar in WF. But you've seen that over and over again with stars who have left Turner's organization where they had tremendous talent, but it wasn't recognized. They didn't have the opportunity to be all they could be. Steve Austin's another one. And he's right. Yeah. Absolutely right. On the appeal of The Undertaker. I think people can relate to that character. I think they can relate to someone who can't die. What? <laughs> Interesting. I, I guess... For some reason, this is making me think about that story about how he says, like, when you, when you, you know that feeling when you see someone in a wheelchair and you just want to eat them? <laughs> I think this is, Vin I mean, this is Vince. This is my, uh, Vince McMahon doesn't want to die. He wants to live forever. Oh, yeah. I mean, that's obvious. He wants to live forever. I mean, he's one of these that, you know, if, I mean, if he passes on, he's going to want to be cryogenically frozen you know some, some shit like that you know i mean he this is he's the type of guy that would want to do some shit like that so yeah he doesn't want to die and creating the undertaker is that giving him that gimmick of doing that of having somebody that can't be killed i just realized who brings the undertaker to the wwf and is later officially credited as the man who brings the undertaker to the wwf Ted DiBiase, Vince McMahon. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Which is also funny because whose idea was The Undertaker? Bruce Pritchard. <laughs> Bruce Pritchard, yeah. Not Yes. On Steve Austin's appeal, unbelievably enormous. I've never seen anything like it. Not even the brightest of the Hogan days. Nothing has equaled Stone Cold's popularity. I think Stone Cold, more than anything else, is saying what the populace would like to say, is doing what the populace would like to do. And they basically everyday man or woman can relate to Austin. That's who he is. He doesn't aspire to be anything beyond that. He's very proud of being who he is. That is probably the relationship, although I'm not certain. And the thing is, McMahon's saying this in February 1998. I mean, we're, we're still early in the Austin game. And he's saying this. I mean, he's popped house show business in a big way fairly quickly. I know, but I mean, we're still way away from any type of peak. We're just in the beginning stages. Yep. Because Mania's not even happened yet. Mm -mm. On the evolution of Steve Austin versus what McMahon originally conceded to Stone Cold, I think that one of the things we do as a company is we're good listeners. We're decent producers as well. But I think that if you're a good listener and you recognize the talent that someone has, it's pretty obvious when they have talent. You can camouflage that talent. You can hide that talent if you chose to politically. But that's not what a WF is all about. But we're good listeners. I think most of the athletes that are here and their popularity really relates to them. The talent more than what it, it does, what WF does to enhance it. Although it all has to work together naturally. Well, tell Sami Zayn that. <laughs> you mean Sami Zayn, who spent his portion of the uh, pay-per-view press conference desperately trying to avoid ranting about how stupid it was that he lost? Yeah, basically. But... You know, I mean, he's, as Paul Levesque said, he's the new Mick Foley. I mean, he basically said that. And Mick Foley never became that top guy. Yeah, he got the title, but he never became the top, top guy in the company. So, you know, 
There is that. He's also moving numbers significantly in a way that the other, like, geeky, smart fan favorite turned big stars didn't necessarily. Yeah. I mean, we'll see what happens now after the Lemons Chambers record this, but it was a golden opportunity missed. So we'll see how that goes. All right. On Steve Austin, he wants to kick Vince McMahon's ass on television. I think it's good television. I think a lot of people like to kick my ass. I don't have a problem with someone saying it, especially when it adds to the flavor and the attitude of WWF. On the irony of how he buried the smaller territories during his days of expansion. Here we go. They ended up burying themselves. When I bought my dad's business, he had no idea what my intentions were. He would never would have sold me the business had he known we were going national, ding, notwithstanding ding. international. Ding, ding, ding. My dad would get a phone call just for every other week from one of his cronies. When I bought my dad's business, it was on a balloon payment basis. We had paid for it within a year, or he and his other stockholders kept the money and got the business back. It was a tremendous gamble. But after I made that gamble, I had to keep on gambling in terms of cash flow. We went to Los Angeles, St. Louis, and all points east and west in the middle. By the way, most independents we went to, I went to them and sat down with them and said, can we work a deal? Can we absorb this or pay you X number of dollars through the years? He was this young kid at the time standing in front of these elderly millionaires who had far more resources than I did. Okay. That back half is mostly true in that he was leveraged out the ass in the expansion. Like, that is completely true. Um... As far as going to everyone and offering to buy them out, I mean, we know he did with some, but the the ones he actually did make deals with, most of them he ended up going back on the deals. You know, Stu, he and LaBelle ended up in court. You know, so... I mean, uh, yeah. I mean, he, he was... I mean, that's the way it was gonna go. Yeah. Now... But... Yeah. You know, it... It would have been situations where, and I think he definitely would have loved this, to have these guys being his local promoters yes. in these markets yeah. that, where they wouldn't have to focus a lot of resources on it. Those guys would handle it. Right. Just didn't work out that way. Yeah. Um, what was I going to say? I mean, we need to stress, too. Is it possible that at the time of the deal, his dad didn't know exactly what he was going to do? Maybe. But they had already started dubbing the TV in foreign languages and stuff by then. You know, by June 82. Well, they... Well, that's different. It's foreign languages, Bix. It's not competing against U.S. territories. Nobody said as far as notwithstanding international. That's why I mentioned that. And then, you know, there was other stuff. There were moves. But regardless... His dad was still working with him. I mean, his dad helped him kayfabe that he bought the company in the first place. That's yeah. a thing that doesn't get talked about enough. People didn't really know that Vince bought the company until probably... July 83. Yeah, until he and his dad, which were off in the NWA at the meeting that summer. Yeah. So, like, his dad was with him eventually while he was still alive. Oh, of course. I mean, well, I mean... If you want to know the first, I mean, the first blows and all that was getting Morocco and the Samoans to walk out of o walk out on Ole. But that's Barnett, as we talked about in this show before. Adding Jim Barnett to the fold is the is the real beginning. Yeah, because it goes it goes Jim Barnett, then they hook up with Mike LaBelle, 
and then it, and that's when the ball starts rolling. Yeah. So, yeah. All right. Um, and finally, McMahon was asked to give quick reactions to certain names. All right, here we go. Word association time, folks. Ultimate Warrior. Lunatic. Eric Bischoff. Don't know him that well. For his reputation, not a nice man. <laughs> Hulk Hogan. Not as big as he thinks he is. Bruno Sammartino. A, concern, a confused individual suffering from dementia, but one with a great reputation. Jeez. <laughs> um... One thing we can say about Bruno, he had a damn good memory. Yes. <laughs> he was on Run Dementia. Ravishing Rick Rude. Someone like me in this era performed with the greats, but can't. Jesse DeBata Ventura. Overrated at the time, and still is confused by his place in the history of the WF. <laughs> That'll change. Well, and the thing, too, is that goes, I mean, again, it goes to say that, I mean, Vince and Jesse was a highly contentious relationship for many years before Jesse even left. So, but made for good television. Kevin Nash, a very fortunate individual that someone finally saw the talent and gave him the opportunity to be somebody. <laughs> That's an interesting sentence right there. Yeah, right. He's phrasing it because, like, he's trying to make him sound lucky, which I guess being talent in theory, if you take talent literally, is lucky. But it's like he still ends up kind of putting him over, which I'm not sure he meant to. Yeah. And Vincent Mann. Which is from it's kind of similar to what we said earlier. Luckiest man on earth. I've got it all. Wonderful family. Privilege of being a company doing what I love, which is entertaining people. Biggest story of my life apart from my family. Now we chime in with Dave Meltzer. The comments on San Martino were interesting, only because recently some in WF have attempted to pacify San Martino and buried the hatchet with him. And it worked to the point that San Martino leaned towards Vince's side in the Bret Hart controversy in, review, in an interview with Wrestling Perspective newsletter. Dave believes Vince and Bruno actually haven't spoken since appearing on the Donahue show together in 1992. And as a side note on that situation, the reason I was sitting next to Vince on that show is because the original plan was for Bruno to sit next to Vince. Because the belief was they would be the focal point of the show. Bruno made a comment in front of the producer and also myself about being afraid he couldn't control himself if Vince were to tell a lie and being afraid he'd hit him. Come off situation on Larry King a few days earlier with Bruno and Vince in separate studios and Vince attempting to make a fool out of Bruno like he didn't know what he was talking about, even though it was Bruno who was the one telling the truth and Vince who was lying, or at least being hot, highly misleading in every opportunity. There was intense heat between the two already. Figuring it very likely that based on his performance a few days earlier, that Vince wasn't going to be honest on that show either, Dave volunteered to take the seat, and they sat Bruno as far away from Vince as possible. Reports elsewhere that Bruno was going to appear at WrestleMania based on what we've heard is not true, but there were no plans to ask him, and they had definitely not been asked, let alone agreed to. There are people attempting to go through some of San Martino's friends, including Dominic DiNucci, get the two sides to bury the hatchet. That's why my man's comments were surprising, particularly to those who were in the process of trying to smooth things out. Hmm. You know what that makes who that, me think? I wonder who that was that was trying to do that then. I mean, I would think... Who... Besides DiNucci? I don't know. But, but go ahead, what were you saying? I wonder if this is him thinking that if he can reconcile with Bruno, that Tyson is more likely to stick around. I mean, maybe. Or something know. like that. Like, why now? Because, you know, Vince asks him who his favorite wrestler is. He yells out Bruno Sammartino. Vince gets clearly very uncomfortable. That's just a few weeks ago. Yeah. Why else? Would, why now? I don't know. Possibly right. 
In regards to the Montreal finish, Helmsley, who said he had nothing, nothing at all against Brad, <laughs> claimed Sean did Claim Sean didn't know the finish and compared Brett's behavior to that of Hulk Hogan in 93 when he refused to drop title to Brett, still maintained the science concept from the 80s, and instead dropped Yokozuna and seven weeks later quit the promotion. As for every analogy, there are both similarities and differences in respect to situations among them personally, heat and history existed in one and not the other, and the pain points being that Brett was specific about finally willing to lose to Sean, although not in Canada, and that Brett had brought up simply vacated the title a la Sean. It isn't known if Hogan still picked a different foe to lose to or also want to leave without dropping a tie on the ring. Hmm. Oh, Hunter. Bret Hart, in the February 20th Calgary Sun, his weekly column, brought up the Mintman TTS in an interview. Holy Miss's words. I saw this serpent-like face on TV last Tuesday, cold eyes with his forked tongue darting out, and I said, hey, there's that liar. Missing man, TSN's off the record. In regards to him breaking down the missing dates, and you knew this was coming, Brett said, first off, I'm not breaking down, and he's lucky I didn't sue him for saying so. And if I was, he had a contract to pay me whether I was injured or not. He implied it's okay for his boy toy to be injured, but because I was being paid more, I was not entitled to get hurt. He fails to mention only three days after extension knee surgery, I was on his crummy Raw show. I know it's Sean's gimmick, but when he calls it Sean Vince's boy toy. That <laughs> feeling and all that stuff. Yeah, well, it's good that Vince no longer has any long-haired, drug-addicted wrestlers we place favorites with. <laughs> oh, man. Apparently, they intend to negotiate a three-show deal with Mike Tyson, which would all take place for July. No doubt the March 2nd Raw is going to have to be one of the hottest with Tyson and Sean having to do some sort of angle, and likely the Undertaker return, if not Undertaker will surely return next night, possibly during the Steve Austin Kane TV main event. Was it then, or was it later in the month? I feel like Undertaker comes back pretty close to Mania, like a week or two before. Uh, Timeline-wise, I'm not sure. I don't think he had, was there for, like, all of March. That sounds wrong. Possible, but I don't remember for it being particularly long between the return of Mania. Uh, he's back at the house shows on March 13th. Uh, he makes his TV return. He he does the dart match after Raw on the seventeenth. So I'm I'm guessing he appeared on that show. So uh, let me see. What, I mean, that is so. Mania's the 29th. I'm gonna look at the Raw thing itself. And I'm just, just see googling what it says. Undertaker return 1998. Uh, <laughs> all right, Undertaker's on Raw for the first time. Uh, after Mania. He's not even on Raw Mania. Raw before Mania. Okay, so it was March 2nd. I found it. Okay. So that was correct? Well, there you go. Yeah. Um, so there's that. Ahmed Johnson was officially released on February 23rd. This stems from an incident in the TV taping on March 6th, February 16th in Waco, Texas. Ahmed had only four years remaining on a five-year contract. So Sticker, the company wasn't happy with him between his injuring people, his own constant injuries, and a poor work rate. In addition, because losing but better for the injuries and losing even more steam with the heel turn and rapid face turn back that made nobody care about him, his stock had fallen tremendously since he was originally offered the deal and thought he'd be one of the potential top attractions in the company. He was instructed at Dallas TV to do a job for Kirk and using the claw, refused and walked out. Never returned, missing TV the next night, and his house show dates over the weekend. Dave's feeling, given the knowledge of going going in, that he would surely react this way because of what was asked, not to mention it being in Dallas, 
where he rushed the other part of his career and rather did jobs in, he either do it to his size, that the end result may have been more desired than what was asked. As it was, Titan is legally got out of his contract because he breached. Because God only knows how bad it would have looked had they actually done that match on television, and that he wouldn't have been worth a thing coming out of it anyway. Ahmed has since claimed to, to friends he never refused to do the job, was never asked to do a job. He felt the company was burying him since he openly spoke on the wrong side of the fence on the touchy survivor so finish issue. Hey, that's what he claimed. Vince ripped on him on the TSN show and in all of a Sun interview. Basically, he didn't know the difference between Ahmed Johnson and Tony Norris. He's often injured. He injured others. The truth is both sides have been unhappy for a long time in the relationship. Ahmed was put over so strong that he thought he was a bigger star than he was. Most of his steam was killed both by bad booking and more by the fact he was always getting hurt. And the more he was exposed, the more he realized what he wasn't. It's one thing to have a guy who can't work like a lick who could draw a buddy. There's another to have a guy like that on the other card with a long-term contract. I mean, when they gave him the deal, I mean, he looked like he was going to be one of the next big things. And then everything started falling apart, so you could understand where they're coming from. Like, wait a minute. I mean, we got damaged goods. Yeah, when they signed him that deal, he was coming off of mainly just the returning from the kidney thing. And that was considered a, I don't know, a freak thing with how hard Simmons was hitting him, but, like, not his fault. Or, you know, someone being injury-prone, and then just, you know, he starts to have a mix of being, you know, injuries from being sloppy to, some, in some cases, just having the worst luck in the world. On top of also hurting other people from his own recklessness. Yeah. Exactly. But, you know, and then turning him heel with the nation and turning him right back, I mean, that was just ill-advised. It made no sense. I wonder if that was trying to get him to quit. Because it sounds to me they're, they're actively trying to get him to quit, so I don't know. All right, Raw was taped. Here on 23rd, taped on the 17th of Waco for uh, 69.44, paying 85607 Show opened up with the New Age Outlaws winning the, uh, well, beating the LOD in a tag title match at 457 when Billy Gunn hit Ammo with a tag title belt and Road Dog who sort of broke a nose of the weekend, pinning him. LOD turned on each other and brought through several times throughout the show as a show-long soap opera. Actually, the entire show consisted of people turning on people. All right, so let's watch the finish of this, and let's see what happens here as the LOD falls apart. Shoulder, what a tackle! LOD now has taken over with their power. Oh. Nothing but straight ahead, smash mouth style. No high risk, and... The Doomsday Device, if the LOD hits this one, we'll have new tag team champions. Hawk on the top ropes now. He caught it. It should be over. It should be over. Animal goes for the cover. But the referee, the referee distracted Billy Gunn from behind. Hawk, for whatever reason, a step slow getting out of the ring, and referee Earl Hebner did the right thing. The LOD oh, should win the... What's that bell? No! Billy Gunn, the referee's back was turned. Just smacked Animal right in the face Rolled with a title belt. Now. It's over. The New Age Outlaws retain the tag titles. Here are your winners and still World Wrestling Federation Tag Team Champions, the New Age Outlaws. They had the titles in their hands. They could smell the win. The Legion of Doom thwarted once again. How frustrating this has got to be for Animal and Hawk. And somehow the New Age Outlaws have dodged the bullet. And obviously Hawk and Animal with a miscommunication there. And there you see Hawk and Animal very, very upset.
upset and distraught. And wait a minute. Come on now. Oh, no. What is this? Can't believe what we're seeing here. These two men are like brothers, and they're fighting like mortal enemies. Hawk and Animal have known each other since they were seven years old, growing up in Minnesota together. We knew the pressure was intense, but come on, guys. These, are, these officials, wait a minute. Oh. Oh, Animal, not to be restrained now. Animal and Hawk attacking each other again. This is absolutely shocking. These two have teamed together for years and years. JR, you've said it on many of occasions. They're, they're like brothers, closer than brothers. Two men that grew up together and certainly grew up in the, in the game together. And this is a, a real sad and shocking turn of events here. The crowd chanting LOD, LOD in hopes perhaps of these two men clasping hands and putting this behind them. But it looks as if that's not to be. Well, folks, we're going to take a break and try to get this, this all cleaned up. Well, I can't. Well, wait a minute. Adam, we're going back in again. Oh, come on. This crowd is stunned. I can't speak for you guys, but I can't believe this is absolutely shocking. I mean... I'm, I've, I've been around these guys for their whole career, and nothing like this has ever happened. I guess we just never knew how intense the pressure was for them to be driven to this point. Obviously a frustrating situation for both Hawk and Animal. When they returned to the World Wrestling Federation, they said they wanted to win back the WWF Tag Team titles. you got to wonder if those looks in their face are looks of anger or looks of sadness. What a blockbuster story here tonight. Welcome back to WWF Raw. It is a shocking night so far. This happened just moments ago. It's, you know, the, the crowd did not want that to happen. You know, they even started chanting LOD, hoping they would, you know, like hug each, hug it out. Yes. They did not go crazy for them brawling with each other. No. And where are we? Where's the taping? Waco. Interesting. So it's not a, you know, Road Warrior market by any means, you know. So just an interesting reaction there from the fans and all that. Yes. Also, it was also interesting how you could <sighs> very much hear, like, the Vince producing the announcers in post side of this. You know, the more, like, deliberate we are giving you all of the backstory <sighs> and the things we want to get across in this angle that we didn't get at the time <clears throat> kind of tone. Looks like Dave noted, uh, either Dave or no, Wade noted, that was the first time that Wade had ever heard them mentioning them growing up in Minnesota together instead of Chicago. That sounds right. So, you get that too. All right, next, Ken Shamrock beat Jeff Jarrett in a non-title match. Once again, they're bearing that title's credibility big time. And 543 after Jim Cornette accidentally hit Jeff with a tennis racket. After the match, Jeff said that it was time for he and Cornette to go their separate ways. Good TV. Sharon wanted to attack the referee after the match, but God only knows why since he just won the match. But after watching WCW, these logic lapses are just par for the course. <laughs> yeah, why Shamrock attack on the referee? I don't know. So, yeah, it's the Jeff Jarrett NWA thing. Yeah, it's time to cut bait. <laughs> 
Yes. Well, now we have a uh, another uh, part of the World Warrior story. Jerry Lawler was backstage. Notice Jerry Lawler's not announcing. It's Cole, Kevin Kelly, and J- Jim Ross on the first hour here. So let's go to the King backstage with LOD as uh, we continue this story. All right, standing by is the King with Animal of the Legion of Doom. Okay, you can count on the King to go straight to the horse. And Bradshaw is sitting there in the locker room. Yeah, so Animal's in the heel locker room already. No, Bradshaw's babyface. <laughs> Blackjack Bradshaw's babyface? He's already split from Wyndham. And Wyndham was the heel. Oh, shit. That's right. That's right. Wyndham's in the NWA. You're right. Oh, my goodness. I forgot about that. All right. His mouth, animal. Listen, we want to find out exactly oh, what mosh. took place out there. Get what away from me, law, you punk! Wait a minute, wait a minute. This is this is a split up between you and, and the guy that's like your brother. What do you know about family? What do you know about brothers? As far as I'm concerned, I ain't got a brother. Okay. What you ain't got no brother? Hey, come on, come on, you guys. Who's that with the long hair? Is that Scott Putz? Wait, Scott Putz giving the feedback. No, it's not Scott Putz. Come on. Come on, guys. I can't believe this. Who is that? Frustration and rage. Just Maybe one of the dark match guys. Okay. Anyway. All right. Uh, next, we get the Truth Commission and Kurgan beating DOA when Kurgan used a claw... On the tall, useless, ball-headed guy at <laughs> 344. <laughs> uh, that tall, useless, ball-headed guy would have been, uh, I guess, eight ball in this. I mean, it would have been right. one of them. <laughs> so after the match, Sniper got mad at the Jackal who was yelling at him. Jackal slapped Sniper, and when he appeared to want to fight back, Kurgan put him in the claw. Recon begged Kurgan to break the hole, but Jackal slapped Recon while Kurgan, still holding the claw, dragged Sniper to the back. Third straight ending to a match like that. Yes, we had three turns in three straight matches. <laughs> Best wrist to everybody. Yeah, I, I just realized we're going to need to play the next thing. Um, well, I know, if, but so... Yeah, I just remembered this is a, I'm pretty sure, no condition to perform moment. Well, before that, the first promotional spot aired with Carrot Top promoting WrestleMania. Oh, boy. I forgot the about that. The Headbangers tried out some moves on Carrot Top in exchange for his appearance. They're just plugging his upcoming movie. Ugh. All right. Next, we go to the home of Shawn Michaels in San Antonio, where DX is hanging out, plus Shawn's uh, real-life girlfriend, who Wayne said has supposedly added more stability to his life in recent months. Oh, I'll say. So... Let's go to Degeneration X. Which appears to, from this shot it opens with, be the only appearance of Julie Youngberg on TV as Sean's girlfriend or fiancé. Yes. Because who else would that be right there? Yes, her. We're China. Yeah. Yes. Cole Steve Austin, of course, with Mike Tyson as the enforcer, it would certainly seem to me that you folks have a lot on your mind. Come on, Jim Ross, let's talk about what this is really about. You want me to lend some credence to your little rumor mill that you've been spreading about the legalities between DX and Stone Cold. Let's face it, it's an open and shut case. Stone Cold Steve Austin attacked a woman from behind. This woman. And guess what, Stone Cold? She took your best shot and take a look at her. She looks pretty good, doesn't she? <laughs> now, as far as legalities, concerned, Julie. DX doesn't get into that. We believe in policing our own. 
But can you, can you imagine this, Hunter? Here they come into my home with their lights, with their cameras, and they're looking for a reaction. Now, what they're looking for is ratings. Well, I'll tell you what, if you want ratings, the next four weeks should be something because if the next four weeks should be something. <laughs> you could definitely tell the difference between uh, Hunter and Sean speech uh, patterns here. <laughs> All hell breaking loose is your All idea hell. of must idea. TV. Then we're gonna set the damn Nielsen books on fire. <laughs> Nielsen, <laughs> the damn Nielsen books on fire. Nielsen, <laughs> on fire. Oh, who, who told him about Nielsen? His father. Hey, let's face it. Next week, next Monday night, Cleveland. A perfect place to start. They're all going to be there. Owen Hart, Austin, and from what I hear, Mike Dyson. Lots of people, lots of viewers. Sounds like it ought to start just about then. Perfect place for it to start. And I think the perfect place for it to end? WrestleMania. Let's face it. The Heartbreak Kid, Shawn Michaels, the WWF Champion, will defend against Stone Cold Steve Austin at WrestleMania. I guarantee it. What I guarantee is, from this day forward, WrestleMania is now stamped, X-rated. Discretion is advised, but will be completely ignored. Ignored. Okay, why is his voice so much more New Englandy here than it usually is? Because he's not in the he's not in the building. I wonder how much of it is also just the fact that, for the first time since he's been a traveling pro wrestler, he's been joined on the road by someone else from New England for the past year. Yeah. And, yeah, with China. <laughs> I need to hear the end of that again. Did I? Stamped. X-rated. Steve Austin at WrestleMania. I guarantee it. And what I guarantee is, from this day forward, WrestleMania forward. is now stamped. X-rated. Discretion is advised, but will be completely ignored. Ignored. I had to go park his car afterwards. Uh, <laughs> feels like he should be back on an IWF show being managed by Scorch. <laughs> yeah. Okay, Sean. Sean, I remember being in not the best condition in this promo, but I guess this is not one of them. Um, yeah, he still has. A different speaking pattern than he would have when he was clean. Yes. Oh, okay. Here is since it's short. Here is the uh, Triple H IWF promo where he's managed by Scorch's Vito Carlucci. And with Terror Rising and his manager Vito Carlucci wrestling for the IWF Heavyweight Championship tonight. Now let me tell you something, Middleborough. Let me tell you something. Everyone that's watching, <laughs> I've been with the rest. And I've gone out and found the best. Terrorizing right here. Look at this man. Take off this roof for a second. Show these people something right here. Six feet, five inches, 277 pounds. There's not an ounce of body fat on the man. Let me tell you something. This man, I've searched long and I've searched hard. I've been going for a championship for a long time. I've been waiting. I've been waiting for the right person to take to the top of the IWF ladder. And guess what? <laughs> Mad Dog Richard, meet Terrorizing. Tell him, baby. Mad Dog, it's about time you finally signed your name on the dotted line to me terrorizing. This man got it done. And tonight, in front of Middleborough and the entire world, 
You go down, baby. Kaya. Terrorizing, taking it home. Let me tell you something, Mad Dog Richard, you listen to Vito Carlucci and you listen good, buddy. But it's time myself and Terrorizing get through with you. <laughs> You're gonna be just like Dracula's elevator, baby. Think about it. You're going down for the count. <laughs> Middleborough, lock up your doors. I'm coming to your town. Doors. They better pray when I'm around. <laughs> Doesn't sound like no idle threats to me. Back to you guys. Middleborough, lock up your doors. <laughs> coming around. How's Vito, how's Vito Carlucci not got an executive job in WWE? That's what I want to know. I don't know. Scorch is still doing radio, I think, isn't he? <laughs> I don't know. All right, so next we get Barry Winham against Takabichinoku, which went two minutes, 31 seconds, and five minutes longer than it should have gone, unless their goal was to give Taka the same credibility as the minis. The match is portrayed as being a joke due to the huge size difference, and basically I suppose take Taka's lack of size, which is exactly what you don't do when trying to get a lightweight division over, but everyone knows that by now. When Taka laid out, the lights went off. Kane came out. William disappeared. And Kane destroyed Taka once again, leading the Paul Bear challenging Austin for next week. Uh, he's tiny. <laughs> Little man, Taka Michinoku. And then were the big dudes, Barry Windham and Kane. <laughs> Jesus. Is he going to wrestle Billy Gunn next? <laughs> Speaking of, I lost did an interview with Michael Cole as they were uh, getting ready to leave when Katniss Jack and Chainsaw Trawler showed up with a chainsaw and a baseball bat and tried to do a number in their rental car, including smashing a windshield. Road Dog on his promo said these words. As he's tripping over his words, he said, Wade said, he said, hell, I'm already half drunk. 1998, everybody. <laughs> Next, Gold Dust. Let's go to the clip. The artist formerly known as Gold Dust. That's correct. The American Dream, Dusty Rhodes. We should start by saying he's in a silhouette in a cowboy hat and a paid jacket. Yes. Well, I can't see it right here. Oh, sorry. World Heavyweight Champion. The Bull of the Wood, if you will, baby. <laughs> you understand? 25 time World Heavyweight Champion. <laughs> I beat Ric Flair 25,000 times in a row. Had a legendary feud with Terry Funk. Well, Terry Funk always moved my ass, so I don't want to talk about that right now. Oh, no. <laughs> I want to talk about the man could drink Dusty Rhodes, Stardust himself, 2,000 times World Heavyweight Champion, reach to the star, touch it all. Stardust, you understand? Reach the star, but he never got the gold. But I'm oh so proud of my son, Dusty, you understand? Gold, if you will. Because he touched the gold. I'm ooh, oh so proud of my son, yeah. Come straight from my loins. You understand, baby? But if the dream could go back in time to his proudest moment was when the American Dream Dusty Rhodes made it to the show. When he made it to the WWF right here, baby. And I could walk out with my sweet little half fire. Oh, God rest her soul. In my little polka dot, her sweet little polka dot, it was the greatest time in my life. If I could only go back in time to when I was just 
the common man. <laughs> American dream. He's just a common man. Oh, look at him. <laughs> it's a dream. It's a nightmare, all right. No, no, this is the greatest thing I have ever seen. <laughs> if you will. Look at What is he tonight? Hey, he's been Maryland dust. He's been, he's been going. Hey, I guess he's dust dust tonight. Look at that. <laughs> the best part is that he had whoever does makeup put fake gig marks on his left arm. Th- there's that and the eyes. Yeah. <laughs> the fake gig mark on the arm. Before the legions of American Dream fans get up in arms, let us uh, let you know that earlier a WWF official talked to the Dream, the real Dream, on the phone, and he had a good laugh with us about this whole situation. Oh, with WWF official. Okay, so it was definitely Bruce. Well, no, see, said no, no. Notice Ross said us too. Oh, okay. It's another attempt <laughs> by the boy there. So maybe Cornette. Yeah. Well, maybe Cornette. Mm-hmm. Also, what I noticed, like, watching this for the first time in a long time, Dusty's Dusty impression isn't that good. It's it's not like the more, like, it's not like the better Dusty impressions here. He's doing Bruce's Dusty. Pretty much, yeah. He's doing Bruce's Dusty like I badly try to do Bruce's Heyman. Mm-hmm. Should I keep playing? Or bar, or... Or Art Barr's doing uh, Dr. Tom Pritchard as Roddy Piper. <laughs> well, no, Art Barr is doing Matt Bourne as Roddy Piper. Okay, there you go. Back to dust. Get attention! Yeah, and when are those internet geeks gonna get it, huh? Already has a live Get on up on their feet if you will, baby! Internet geeks. Go ahead, get up, JR! Do a little dance! You're about the same size as Dusty hey, does hey, there. Hey, hey, <laughs> Look at that! Alright, so. He's working Bradshaw. Yes. Um, basically, oh, he has the match marks goes, on his head too. Yeah, he uh, he went and did all the dusty spots on, but Bradshaw basically didn't sell any of them. And um, so let's fast forward to where Goldust gets back in the ring. He supposedly has a mic or something. Okay. Here we go. Oh, it's here. Yeah. Yeah. successful knockdown. That move always worked for the American dream. Listen here, son. You know who I am? I'm a legend here. I'm the American dream, Dusty Rose. The only true Texan in here. <laughs> in here. Cartman. I'm the Babe Ruth of pro wrestling. You should be bumping your little ass around here in the ring for me. I'm going to come on back in there, so you better stop to uh, let me beat you up. Well, I don't think uh, Bradshaw's going to let anybody do anything to him that they're not man enough to do. And I'm not saying that the former Intercontinental Champion, maybe in his right mind, isn't man enough to do it. But, boy, this kid is so, uh, he's so hell-bent on that attention being drawn to him. Hey, I think Bradshaw needs to lighten up a little bit. Get a sense of humor. I don't see anybody laughing about those knife-edge chops and that big cowboy. Oh, boy. He stiffed him there. 
about this whole situation and I don't think it's too entertained by Goldust and a near fall on uh, or maybe I should say Dusty Dust. I... Can I skip ahead please? Yeah, go ahead. Okay. <laughs> I wasn't sure. <laughs> I mean, I just wanted the part where he got on the mic. You okay. Know? Yeah, I don't think there's much left yeah, of note. I, so anyway, um, Dave said that Bradshaw, like a tough guy, does a self for a clown show in the finish. All gold, just tried the famous slip, flop, fly spot right in the middle. Bradshaw looked incredulous, do it, and just clotheslined it for the pin, like right there. Good God. Yes. He <laughs> cloaked him. <laughs> Supposedly, Goldust is going to do Ric Flair next week. I don't think that happened. Dave's feeling between this and a deal in Dallas with Michael Hayes strutting around then getting squashed. His portrayal of those superstars of the 80s were really just clowns who stuff was a joke and can't compare to the modern day stars. Why? Well, because guess where all the superstars of the 80s are still headlining? Yeah. WCW. Very perceptive, or possibly also something someone told him. Yeah. All right, Kevin Kelly tried to interview Hawk as he left the arena. Hawk walked really quickly and went comment. So there's that. Next, we get Steve Blackman pinning Rocky Maivia in 415. When D'Lo Brown went to throw Blackman's nunchucks to Rocky, overthrew him by a mile. Blackman caught the pass, KO'd him. Faruka afterwards didn't seem mad at all that Rocky lost. So, yeah, how about that? Rocky losing to Steve Blackman. Well, he's the lethal weapon. Kevin Kelly interviewed Luna backstage and vowed to rearrange Sable's face. I will be on you like maggots on Roadkill, she said. Well, there you go. Uh, headbangers beat the Rock and Roll Express 423 when Jim Cornette hit Thrasher with a tennis racket then being knocked out and landed on Morton for the pin taking the NWA tag titles before the match Sergeant Slaughter had Earl Hebner replace Tommy Young as referee and another over the top rope spot in front of Hebner who didn't call a spot again sitting so find the old stuff as a joke compared to today's stuff in addition Rock and Roll's look so totally outdated we're missing their own patented spots yes they they look terrible in this run yeah. Um. So then we get uh, Pete Rose being announced. He's going to be on uh, WrestleMania. They did a special video package of Austin. Excellent piece of including footage of Austin on New Sport Talk, saying that promoter down south said he was remarkable with his black tights and boots. Hmm. And our main event of Raw, Owen Hart beating Mark Merrow in 410 by disqualification. Sure. The main event of Raw. Owen had Merrill on the sharpshooter, but the ref called for the bell, so it was DQ because Mark had just showed them earlier. Sable and Luna wound up fighting. Goldust grabs Sable to pull her apart, which led to Merrill attacking Goldust, set up their tag match for Mania. When Goldust dragged Luna away, Sable grabbed the house like I said, get your ass back here, you bitch. So there you go. Is that where Bree Bella got the idea from? I guess so. So there's Raw, everybody. Mm hmm. John Tenta apparently impressed enough that he's supposed to be offered a deal, given a new gimmick, being pushed a potential challenge for Steve Austin's title. Remember this was a big fucking deal? 
This is a this is a, a story that was making the rounds that Tenta was going to be the big Austin feud at the Mania. Yeah, and then nope. <laughs> yes, I wonder. I wonder how that could have worked if that such thing happened. You know, I mean, he didn't look any older. He always looked old. <laughs> he always looked old. Yeah. Speaking of the title, suppose it's a definite Shawn Michaels or WrestleMania, but in the industry, nobody believes he was injured as badly as he claims. At this point, even if he was, nobody would believe it. There were kind of stories that when he was supposed to have been bedridden the day of review, that he was riding around all afternoon on a friend's motorcycle. There's DJ shot he'll do Mania no matter what, but didn't take time off after Mania the rest up. And he was actually hurt as badly as he said. He was! Yes. Boy, you cried wolf, etc., etc. Yeah. First, all the events include Montreal. First time back on Survivor Series are huge, including all the TV tapings for March. Either sold out or were very close. Weekend business was huge on February 22nd at the Continental Airlines Arena in East Rutherford, drawing 12,483, 296-354. Gate on that. Tacoma, 26, drew 10,730, 177-681. Those figures not only another record gross for the city, be more mind-boggling considering Undertaker, Austin, and Sean were not only not on the show, but at no point ever ta- advertised to be on the show. From the very start, the advertised main event was Ken Shamrock against Rocky. February 27, Vancouver set city records for both attendances, 15,458 and gate with 304-608. Oh, the most tickets for this show were sold for a Sean Owen main event. And Winnipeg on the 28th drew 81.57 and 149.468. The Continental Arena show was an all-tag team show, so lots of bouts were new. Jim Quinn did the NWA interview, which didn't get much reaction. They challenged Stuttering John to come to Madison Square Garden to meet him. Oh, my God. Steve Blackman had changed. Be Mark Merrill and Gold. Dustin Sable came out to stretch the Merrill into Steve Penning him. After the Gosby LOD, Animal walked out on Haunt. Kane came out and tombstoned him. Manville was a six-man with Rocky replacing Hunter and Austin stunning all three. They're changing how they're approaching the house shows. They're cutting the matches down in time, spending more time with the crowd baiting interviews. Then the car matches ranged from two minutes to seven minutes. And the main event was supposed to go 10. Austin Helms, they headlined Vancouver, and they did a six-man with Outlaws and Chainsaw Charlie added on in Winnipeg. In Vancouver, aside from the record house, it was an unruly show with lots of fights in the stands. Those wacky Canadians. Fans are booing Kane's ring interesting series because they expect the elaborate fire to get on television. My view score pins on Shamrock everywhere but in Tacoma since they were the main event, so they did the face win due to outside in French DQ, which leads one to believe Shamrock's getting the IC title at Mania. One would think that would be about the time for the Farouk all-out split. Merchandise for the week was a whopping six hundred four three ninety, which was ten dollars sixty one cent ahead. Now Winnipeg on the twenty eighth, eighty one fifty seven one forty nine sixty eight four sixty eight. Merch seventy two nine fifty one or nine dollars ahead. No shows were LOD broke up and Glenn Kalka, who's out with a broken leg, but they never acknowledged the changes on the card to start of the event. Taka beat Brian Christopher four fifty two in a good opener. Bradshaw over a comma four twenty six. God wins over a DOA. Summit for LOD at two twenty five. When Henry Penn skull to the slop drop. Jackal came out, so they renamed the Winnipeg Arena the house to Jackal built. Jackal's from Winnipeg, and as you went over four minutes, longer than many of the matches. Headbangers over the Quebecers in 707. My view over Shamrock in 555 to retain the IC title. And a good match at the way Shamrock beat up the nation. Mero over that jobber Tom Brandy in 415 with a TKO to which Goldust held back Luna back from going to Sable. Owen beat Goldust 530 with Sharpshooter after which he put the Sharpshooter on Luna, which popped the crowd. Kane beat Chains, Kane Chains at 2.30. Austin, Katniss, and Chainsaw over Hunter and the Outlaws in 2.51 of a match with a variety of objects, uses weapons. Anyone, Austin pinned Road Dog up their stunner. 
The whole show lasted two hours and ten minutes. So that's my type of show right there, Bix. <laughs> two hours, ten minutes. Pay attention, indie promotions. The matches sound a little too short, but yes, more broadly, yes, shorter shows are better most of the time. Absolutely. All right, Matt Bloom, one of the wrestlers in the Dory Funk camp, maybe given the gimmick of the son of George Animal Steel, doing an updated animal gimmick. Oh, if only that happened. Aaron O'Grady and Vic Grimes with a strong shot match in Davis, California, January 20th, were both given developmental contracts. Both were offered a try at the WCW team in Sacramento at about the same time they were offered a deal. So they took the deal. Don't blame them. Apparently, they're trying to start a light heavy division with seven more wrestlers, three from Mexico, four from Japan. Japanese may wind up being some of the Minjinoku wrestlers to work with Taka. They were. But Arthur Morgan, who actually worked better than Davis, but in his match in Dallas, he is spectacular, although in his day he was, but where Stadium and Mr. Aguila look more polished than he is, was said to have been too heavy to work like heavyweight. Originally, during WrestleMania, Katniss Chase on the Outlaws title match would be a barbed wire match. It fell apart when viewers' choice to create objects like barbed wire or cheese graters, which are banned from East Davis Review as well, aren't allowed on pay-per-view. WF used barbed wire on the February 15th pay-per-view and tried to say it was not planned, but then when it came out, it was built into a barbed wire match. Well, it caused some heat. <sighs> yeah, Alex I mean, that's not a good look. Very overzealous. It's not good for in-demand to let WWE do something if you're not going to let ECW do it. Yes, but I'm not sure if they care about that part. Yeah. So... Oh, no. But, yeah, it's funny that they wanted to add more uh, heavyweight wrestlers when they just did talk about what they did. So, yeah. WWF, everybody. Yeah, it's, I don't even get why they went with the division past a certain point. I don't either. All right, let's go to the land of the rising sun, and we'll start with All Japan Pro Wrestling. There's still nothing new when it comes to negotiations for their Tokyo Dome show. Johnny Ace did get back to ECW wanting a Kenna Kabashi versus Bam Bam Bigelow match with Kabashi going over. ECW wanted to send Shane Douglas go to, and want him to go over in a title match against Hiroshi Hase in exchange. But that hasn't been agreed to. From their standpoint, nothing new has transpired. Whether the two sides will work together later this year as far as the Sydney Town Launch Band Tours is one thing. My time is getting late for putting together a deal for May 1st. According to the officials, Vince McMahon wanted to be in negotiating sessions in Japan, but that it was Giant Baba who suggested that Vince miss the first meeting because it would become a media nightmare. There was also trepidation and suggestions of a top WWE star doing the WF star, excuse me, doing a job for a top All Japan wrestler, and then having the All Japan wrestler come to the US and return the favor. The feeling is that, say, Shawn Michaels, for example, losing to Ken Kabashi would mean something to Japan, but if Kabashi came to the US put over Shawn, it would mean nothing in the US. We have in the world of Dome Advance, we do know that all 6,000 tickets price 30,000 yen, 250 bucks. So that the first day, they're put on sale, so the show's already a winner with nothing even officially announced. I mean, getting the, doing the WF Kabashi thing or WF All Japan Russell thing, I mean, that's correct. In 1998, that doesn't mean anything to a large fan base like WF had at the time. No. They're not watching Japanese wrestling. That's a very niche thing. So that's not, it's not, that's not a big deal. For them, yeah. 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 I mean, the whole generation of tape traders has kind of turned over, and, and it's been a newer one in the last year or two at this point. So, all on Japan top of everything else. Get, yeah. Yeah. All Japan would get the, the 
the big uh, part of that deal. But ECW. So uh, Johnny wants Kabashi and Bigelow, and ECW wants Shane and Hase. Why not try to get both? I mean, I don't know, but... I mean, I'll say this. Heyman is smart to pick the biggest name he thinks he could get to do a job. Yeah. Yeah. Because it's Hase. You know, he's willing to do business more so than maybe he even should have been. But, but I mean, I mean, Bigelow's in the Kabashi. I mean, what's Bigelow's in the Kabashi? I mean, that's not a slight. It's kind of Kabashi. Right. And, I mean, also, like, Paul recognizes that Bigelow is a much bigger star in Japan, right? Yes, I would hope so. So, none of it happens. So there you go. The first Budokan Hall show of the year took place on February 28th for a legitimate sale of 16300 In the main event, Mitsuha Masawa retained the Triple Crown pinning Johnny Ace at 33-34, using a Tiger Driver 91, and was have been not a level of most Triple Crown matches. Toshakawa and Kiritawe retained the double tag titles, beating Dr. Jeff Stevens and Gary Albright in 11-10, with Kawada Ben Albright and Tanin Sagiri returned to favor since Kawada lost to Albright in a singles match earlier in the tour. The other top match had Kenakabashi and Junakayama winning over the former Kingdom duo Yoshiro Takayama and Masita Kakihara in 13-56, with Kabashi and Kakihara after a lariat. It should have been overall a good show. My results, Yoshinobu Kanamaru and Satoru Saka over Mohamed Yone and Daisuke Akeda in your opener. Jado and Ghetto over uh, Yoshinarigawa and Kataro Shiga. Johnny Smith and Wolf Hawkfield over Monokia Mossman and Masawa Inoue. Haruka Egan, Masafuchi, and Shishikuchi over Giant Baba, Rush Kamura, and Miss Wamamoto. Stan Hansen and Bobby Duncan Jr. over Takawa Mori and Junizamita. Kabashi Nakayama over Kakahara and Takayama. Kawanatawe over Doc and Albright. And Masawa over Johnny Ace. <clears throat> so uh, Johnny Ace getting a. Uh, Big Triple Crown title match here. I wonder how that happened. How what happened? <laughs> also, he's the foreign liaison here in a way, too. I wonder how that happened. <laughs> <clears throat> so, yeah, I mean, they did a hell of a, sh- a, hell of a business on this show. So even though, the, you know, the matches are classics by any stretch of the imagination, but there you go. So, yeah, success. Right. With Kabashi teaming with Akiyama here, I think this is very early in the uh, stable reshuffle, right? Yes. I think that just happened, because I think that happens in early 98. Yeah. That it switched from being... The, wait, the baby faces were still called Super Generation Army, right? No. What were they called That's after done. the split, then? After Jumbo um, gets sick? I mean... They were Super Generation Army after Kawada broke off for a That's while. Right. But they, but they, I mean, that was done. So what is the Masawa side called between Holy Demon Army switching off and the breakup into Untouchables and Burning? I don't remember. Okay. If they were a day. I think they were, I mean, I don't think they called them regular army. So I think they were still Super Generation Army. It's possible to want something that was a heavily pushed in like it went in before. Right, right, right. Which um, I'm in the middle of watching all that. You know, the that that era of all Japan right now. Um I'm in April ninety one. And I'll say it. <laughs> uh that era of all Japan is way better than 
the mid the mid or late nineties era of all Japan. I think that's a perfectly reasonable argument. I think it it's more than reasonable. A because they weren't dropping everybody on their heads. Well, yeah. And B and B, I mean, I was always somebody who was a fan of Jumbo Sharuda. I didn't rate him as highly as others did. I'm uh I'm backtracking on that. I think 1991 Jumbo Shruta may have been the best wrestler in the world. Oh yeah. Oh, in 91, I don't think there's much oh, my, I think it is. Absolutely. Oh my god. And all oh, the heat. Oh my god. I mean, Jesus point, Christ. Since I feel like it's been kind of forgotten, I think like the Kawada match with him from October might be. Oh no! I just watched like, one from the, April. I mean, it might the be the champion like, carnival match. Holy like, shit! Like. All Japan singles, like triple. I think that was a triple count match, right? In from that era. Well, yeah, I'm watching Champion Carnival. I watched Champion Carnival match. Oh my god! And then the Kawada Tawe feud. I mean, we always think of them as a tag team, but holy shit, they're feud. Uh-huh. Bleed, bleeding, everybody bleeding all over the place at Corican. I mean, good god. So yeah, what a fucking awesome era of all Japan pro wrestling. If it would have stayed in that type of way. Who knows how long, much longer those guys' careers could have gone, how, how much healthier they could have been. Because, yeah, they were doing stuff, but they weren't doing the shit that they were going to do. They were working stiff. But they weren't – I mean, you weren't that having head, head drop suplexes and stuff. Right, that's my point. Yeah. Um, yeah. And just before we move on from this, I wish that Kabashi and Akiyama got more time as a team. Because it was a nice change in yeah. pace because – Akiyama was kind was the junior partner, but because they're only four years apart in the business, it's really the only time. Because even with Kikuchi, you have the size difference and stuff. It's really the only time Kabashi has a partner that's treated as like an equal, as opposed to being senior or junior or whatever. And holy shit, ninety one Kikuchi! Oh my god! <laughs> oh. Jesus Christ, man! Just I mean, I, I mean I, I've got to where I'm looking. I'm looking forward to every one, every TV I watch. I mean, it's every every TV. It's sauce. All right, New Japan. Even with the March tour starting less than two weeks, there's been nothing announced. Hold up, here's be the problem in putting together the eight man tournament with the winner face Antonio Noki at the April fourth Tokyo Dome show. A press conference was held this week when the tournament was expected to be announced. The only thing announced is that the Dome Show would air in primetime on TVSI from 7 to 9 p.m. on April 6th, and that Ichiro Furutachi, who was at the press conference, would do the announcing on that show. Furutachi was New Japan's announcer during this big hot period in the early 80s when his business in many ways was comparable to WCW today with the NWO angle with the big stars called Ishingun, and the junior heavyweight straw sells almost every night. Wrestling huge, huge ratings in those ratings, often better than a 20.0 in primetime, which shows the mainstream impact wrestling had in that period. For Itachi, capitalized on his fame as a wrestling announcer to have become a major television personality. And yes, that guy. <laughs> Him and Katetsu Yamamoto. Oh, man, were, were they fantastic. And then, um, you know, he left. For Itachi left to become a personality, so to speak, news anchor, blah, 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 and, uh, for TVSI. Then they had another guy fill in for a little bit, and then Yoshinari Tsuji came in, and holy shit, he's he's my guy. But Furutachi's probably the best, but Tsuji's my favorite of the New Japan announcers. I mean, what, they were blessed to have great announcers. 
Oh, and uh, to clear something up, Bix. Mm-hmm. On the January uh, 91 uh, New Year's Outfan Cork and Hall show, they had a deal where they had the announcers. Mm-hmm. They were they were at the ring, and Akira Fukuzawa was there, and they had him like he reenacted the new hero thing. That was him. That that was him because we had then when there's some like one of our guests that said that it wasn't him. Well, no, it's new it was, hero is him, but I guess the guy, but I guess the later like freaking out calls are not him. Well, Fukuzawa's got a, a distinct voice, so yeah, but yeah, the but yeah, the fans like immediately popped as soon as he it did it. Oh yeah, um, but the, the latter part was him doing uh, imitating the guy that does the pro wrestling news. <laughs> 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 he did that, and the crowd popped hard on that one. That's a whole other story. All right, the only other things officially announced for the tournament are still Noego and Don Fry. And then the new trend headliners want any part of it. Names rumors being contacted included Sid Vicious, who fit in like a cat in a swimming pool, and Tanuka Uchiro, who publicly turned it down. Other names being the band included Nuki's long-term regular foe, Yoshaki Fujiwara, Kazu Yamazaki, and Ruki Kazuki Fujita. The latter of whom is a freelance wrestling each fan, but did a great job already in two matches against Doc Fry. Ah, uh, the Inuki tournament. Yeah. He had to take on a real fighter. Brother. Yep. Ends up being Fry. Mm-hmm. But, uh, sorry, who else was in that deal? Um, oh. Was, was that a Gerard Gordeau part of that? I don't remember. Now, was that tournament? Okay, it was uh, Naogao and Brian Johnston and Don Fry and Igor, Igor Minder. That was a tournament. So there you go. All right. Yes. Um, there seems to be problems cropping up between New Japan and WCW. Reports we've heard of the New Japan canceled bookings with WCW wrestlers starting in May. Although the relationships between the two groups aren't scheduled to end, but they may be hanging by a thread. Well, there's problems. Yeah, and they kind of like patch it up on and off for the next year and a half or so yeah. before things just kind of fizzle. Yes. All right. Let's go to the indie scum. Michinoku Pro Wrestling, February 28th at Tsushima City Gym in front of 1800. We have Yoni Genjin and Sari Asumi over Masato Akasuji and Kanako Matoya. Big Japan World Junior Way title. Yashiro Tajiri retained over Nehiro Shakawa. Grand Hamada, Men's Tail, and Shinichi Funaki over Super Delphin, Grand Naniwa, and Tiger Mask 4. And Jinsei Shinsaki and Hayabusa over Yukio Kanamura and Mr. Kanasuke. That's an interesting looking show. Got Big Japan, FMW people on this show. Joshi, interesting talent here. But then we got the SPWF. Yeah. But then we got SPWF. February 27th at the Nagarayama Citizen General Gym in front of 680 fans. We have Crusher Takahashi over Yuki Nishino, Hiroshi Osumi, and Keisuke Yamato over Brutus and Exciting Yoshida. Yes. Shiharu and Kyokichiki over Miyuki Fuji and Nana Nakahara. And then Arashi, Itroyaguchi, and the murderer over Samateri Nishi, Hikokochi, and Yoshaki Yatsu in 21 minutes. I love it. The murderer. And that's all. A quiet week for uh, for wrestling in general on the male side of Japan. We do have this, though. Kingdom 
The Cruise, once again, the Kingdom promotion is just about finished. It's finished. finished. This week, yeah, for your typo in WN. This week, Yoji Anjo, Kenichi Yamamoto, and Hiromitsu Kanahara announced they were leaving the promotion, leaving them with almost no wrestlers. The course been announced for the next go to show March 20th in Yokohama. It isn't known where, where Anjo and Kanahara went, wind up, but Yamamoto signed a contract with Rings and debuts on March 20th at Tokyo Bay and K Hall. And that's where Kanahara went up to. There's that. Joshi Biggs. Here we go. Zenjo, Ultraman Women, February 23rd in Osaka. Miho Wakazawa over Nanakahara. Takako Inoue over Imi Murakawa. Manami Toyota over Momo Nakanishi. And Zapai and Zap T over the Utops. Yumiko Hota and Kamiko Mekawa. Then Arsian on a tour that was called the Grand Opening Virgin Tour. Uh, should, I, should I also remind were... everyone how they promoted this tour uh, locally? Go ahead. Posters of every single woman on the roster, including the ones not pushed as sex symbols, doing the holding your boobs pose. <laughs> so, February 28th at a soccer professional Rinkai Sports Center from 1550, we had Aja Kong over Yumi Fukawa, Ray Tamad over Jesse Bennett, but also Steam Bennett, and Reggie Bennett over Michiko Omakai, Mikiko Furugami over Kanyo Kutsu, and then we had Miko, Mikiko Furugami. Michiko Omakai and Kenyo Kutsu of Ajakon, Rie Tamada, and Yumi Fakawa in your main event. Mm-hmm. Gaia at Korkanalo on February 22nd from 1800. Shigusa Nagaya over Makinamao. Toshio Yamada over Sakura Rota. Handicap match Toshiyamatsu over Maiko Matsumoto and Hiromi Kato. Shigusa Nagaya and Nakura Hokuto over Meiko Sonomura and Sunoko Kato. Ikaru and Toshio Yamada over Sugar Sato and Shikaya Nakashima. Those are both pretty good looking shows, right? <clears throat> well, let's go to JWP now. Kitazawa Town Hall, February 26th, from 300 fans. Sorry, Asumi and Kyoko Hariyama over Tomiko Sai and Tomoko Watanabe. Fano Kamatoya over Yoko Ikeda. Tomoko Kazumi over Reiko Amano. And Del Masami Hikari Fukuoka and Tomoko Miyaguchi over Tanamai Kansai, Kiryu Suzuki, and Command Bolshoi. And then we close with Neo Lady oh, Pro Oh, come Rest. on. Every at Cork and Hall on February 25th, from 1962 fans, Bix. Well, they just opened, didn't they? Yeah, very new. Tanny Mouse over Chihiro Nakano. Yukashina over Kyoko Ichiki. Kuga over Chaprita Asari. The Bloody and Ryuna over Chikaku Shiratori and Sayendo. And then LCO. Los Cachorros Orientales. Escamino Mimishimoto over Kyoko Inoue and Masai Genki. Oh, fuck off. I think this is on this is on YouTube, too, by the way. I think this should... I think this just got uploaded because there was a Neo show from this time period that was uploaded in the last week or so. Oh, so you, you you must watch that. Do I have to? Not not right now on the show, but you must you must watch the show. Um, I searched Neo Ladies Wrestling February twenty fifth, nineteen ninety eight, and okay, no, that's not on there. But their first show from January ninth is called First Kiss. <laughs> Wait, so we have First Kiss, and we also have, what's the other one? Uh, a May, Grand May Opening Virgin World Tour. <laughs> yes. There's a May 6th Neo show. There's a uh, August 98 Neo show. So plenty of Neo pro-res. Neo ladies pro-res for, uh, for picks to watch. Is so it labeled as January? Or is it, oh, wait. Uh... Or is it labeled as something else? Like, I see some other stuff if I look for those dates. I see some Arsene and some JD Star and stuff. Uh, 1998 
0109. So, anyway, so there you go, Bix. Some some homework for you. No. Yes. All right, let's go to Lucha now. Triple A, Triple A. Apparently, the hottest thing in Mexico right now are the Brennan brothers, who are two early 27 year stars who started on probably the hottest primetime show in Mexican television. It crossed between Comps and America's Funniest Home Videos. And then English for AAA, which led to drawing 11,000 fans in Ciudad Madero several weeks back. And working a cage match against Pentagon and Bizo Negro for AAA's return to El Torreo and Agapano March the 1st. When we worried about the show, but the expectation was it was self the 18,000 seat building, making it the largest crowd for Resident Mexico since a similar sized crowd for AAA Spectacular in Guadalajara some months back. And we talked about the Brennans before on this show. Um, yeah, they were, you know, like TV hosts, like Dave said here, presenters. They were a big cultural deal at the time. And they did good business for AAA when they did their appearances in Wrestle. I mean, they kind of like what WWE does today using, you know, celebrities and stuff. So it had a shelf life and then it didn't have a shelf life. So it all ended. But yeah, they milked them for all they could work, do. So there you go. What was, the, show, what was the name it? of the show they were on? I was just going to say. Oh, shit. <laughs> if you hadn't asked me, I would have known. Um, God. You said it before, I forget, though. Duro y Durento. Duro Directo. Duro Directo, excuse me. Duro y Directo. That's correct. Oh, but the end, and they're also be, end, up, well, end up being separate Duro y Directo wrestlers. Of course. Yes. Pedro Aguayo defeated Steve Renico on February 22nd in Chihuahua. To catch the Mexican National Heavyweight Championship. All right, CLL. We've got three shows here. Arena Costello, February 22nd. Damiasito Aguerrero, Virus and Perofito, over Ticoncito Ramirez and Ultimo Casito. Dr. Borman Jr., Dr. X, Gerardo Fatoro, Super Cacao, Macho Pump, over Apollo Chino, Filoso, and Mono Negro Jr. Angel Blanco Jr., Acara de la Muerte, Yo de Gladiador, over Fantasma, Father of Santos Escobar, Yo de Solitario, and Solar, La Fiera, Liz Martin, Tigre Blanco, over Dr. Badney Jr., Fishman, and Rainbow Canyon by disqualification, and Apollo Dantes over Atlantis. Then we go to the 24th, TV at Calceo, Ciclancito Ramirez, and Mascarita Magica, when it begins Benito and Perofito. Brandon, Mano Negro Jr. went up against Fuerza Molina and Guerrero de Futuro. Fantastic. Kid Guzman, the future Tigre Blanco and Subasa, went up against Chicago Express and Jacera. Moguer and Reyes Veos. Then we have Mascara Magica, Recomendosa and Solar. It's Arcana de Muerte, El Signo and Hakan Negro. And then Brazo de Plata, Shocker and Tigre Blanco, which is funny because we have Kid Guzman and Tercera. We have against the follow that day, Black Warrior and Scorpio Jr. I think this is a previous we, Tigre Blanco, right? Uh, I don't know. I, don't, I thought Kiko's mom was, was Tigre Blanco, which, I mean, they could have rebooted the gimmick. You know, I mean, that is a, a definite thing. Whatever happened? It wasn't a long... Tigre Blanco? Kiko's mom? Yeah. Um, he, he left CMLL, became an indie guy, and that's about it. Uh, let's see. This version of Tigre Blanco is, as I look here, okay, that is Antar. So, Tigre so Guzman, so, okay, so, yeah, replaced him in the gimmick, yes. Okay. 
Yes. It, and in the May, front, it's not till May 99 that he becomes Tick Ritlock. Yeah. And then Friday, Arena Mexico on the 27th. That makes you Guerrero and Rico Latino. So Virus is with the big boys now, but still with his meanie's name, meaning Olympus and Oriental. Guerrero de la Muerte, Shua Guerrero, Nutmo Guerrero, a lot of Guerreros there, over Olimpico, Sendero, and Ultraman Jr. Los Hermanos Dinamitos y Encarnas Mosca Año 2000 and Universal 2000 over Atlantis, La Piera, and Pantera. And Bestia Savaje, Yoda Santo, and Calificado Jr. over Felino, Negro Casas, and Oswald Dragon. And then Dr. Biden Jr. retained the similar lightweight title, beating Emilio Charles Jr. Carl Figardi Jr. obviously subbing for probably Scorpio Jr. there in that uh, semi-main event. Because he ain't getting that type of push. Yeah, that sounds right. IWRG. <clears throat> they ran Rio Nakapano on February 22nd. We have Alec Oran Dorado over Rio Saito. Brulee, comic and fantasy of a crazy boy, Nemesis and Puma. We have a tournament uh, for the IWRG Intercontinental Waterway title. Shima Nobunaga defeated Rhodey. And Dada Cerebro defeated Starboy. So Shima Cerebro will meet in the finals the next week. I'm sure that didn't suck. Then we have Stephen Ramirez, Mega, and Solar over Io de Gladiador, Negro Navarro, and Vigilante. And then Perato Morgan and Scorpio Jr. over Mascara Sagrada and Pantera by disqualification. So there's IWRG with uh, some Torimon guys there. But the big news of the week is from Promo Azteca. After a week filled with rumors, some substantiated and others unfounded, swirling around the United States and Mexico, truth and fiction seemed to have been cleared up. But in the wake of it, Mexico's promo has taken promotion, and the plight of Mexican wrestlers in WCW appears to be in trouble. It started with WCW and promo Azteca trying to start negotiations through a contact WCW international rep Sharon Sadello had with a former vice president of TV Azteca for WCW to attempt to syndicate the Azteca television show in the United States on Telemundo the number two Spanish-language television network in the United States, as a forerunner to doing quarterly Lucha Libre pay-per-view shows. Mainstream all sides are scheduled in about two weeks in Miami. In the course of the conversation in which Conan wasn't part of, Conan was blamed as the intermediary for the lack of communication between both offices and claims he made about power within the other organizations. Both sides then told the other that Conan had no power within either organization other than being a wrestler with the respective companies. These negotiations started around the same time Antonio Pena announced that the four major superstars would be debuting for Triple A on their March 1st uh, show at Toreo Nakapan, and that Conan no showed a TV taping in February 20th until Lensingo. At that point, the natural rumors began that Conan and three other top wrestlers affiliated with him would be the ones. At which point, Promo Azteca co-owner Jorge Rojas in a letter to WCW telling him Conan had no decision-making authority as far as ownership nor booking power in the Azteca company. Conan missed a date, claiming he had been in an auto accident on the way to the show. And before realizing any problems were even brewing, left Mexico for San Francisco for the Super Bowl pay-per-view and Nitro in the Bay Area. And upon returning, did appear for his Azteca bookings this week. It ended with more interesting correspondence and rumors flying back and forth. Finally, at the end of this week, to WCW Vice President Nick Lambros, sending Conan a letter stating in no uncertain terms that he, along with every other Mexican wrestler in the company, was under exclusive contract to WCW internationally. That means they were specifically told they are no longer allowed to wrestle in Mexico, which means basically every top name except for a handful of the promo ticket headline talent, almost crippling the promotion has made great strides in popularity in recent months. In addition, WCW told Conan he had deceased booking Azteca lineups and angles and booking Azteca talent organizations around the world. The ban on WCW Mexican talent working in that country is going to be most difficult to enforce 
So aside from major shows and television tapings, it's virtually impossible getting spot show news out of Mexico. It is possible the explicit ban may have also been striked by WCW to keep his town from working for Antonio Pena, since those rumors are flying all week, although there's been no substantiation as at this point that there was anything to it, and then rumors of a different wrestler within the Azteca organization allegedly contacting Pena, although it's disputed as to what the contact was even about, and nothing further materializing. Any Conan and Pena relationship at this point doesn't appear to have been possible in the first place for a number of reasons. The main one, besides bitter feelings and lawsuits back and forth on both sides that are still outstanding, would have been, is that Pena still going to show the areas in the United States on Galavision? Which means the town would appear on American TV without WCW authorization, which just isn't going to happen. At press time, several of the Mexican wrestlers either just learned or had yet to learn what they're being banned in Mexico. Of those who had learned, the reaction was extremely negative. While there are more million WCW in Mexico, although some, La Parca and maybe Silver King in particular, may have been able to earn as much, if not more, than they do in WCW's full-time headlines in Mexico, they're treated generally as jobbers rather than as superstars, as they are when they work at home. With the exception of Conan and Rick Stewart Jr., none, when signed to your contract with WCW a few months back, I actually thought the contracts would prohibit them from remaining wrestling stars in their native land, as even if they knew the contract did prohibit it, the belief was those clauses wouldn't be enforced just like WCW, as some of his contracted wrestlers work independent shows on their off dates in the United States while looking the other way. In addition, this move basically cuts the throat of Azteca, which was trying to enter the television business to deal with them, as most of their biggest straws are the guys in the WCW contract. The belief in the Mexican wrestlers is that if it was considered a weak-weak deal when they signed their exclusive rights contracts, and that, that with the exception of Conan and Ray, due to them having the largest contracts, because WCW is always in fear of Ray getting injured, they don't really care what the rest of the Mexican crew did in their country, so long as they didn't appear in the United States. WCW was apparently concerned because their belief that the Mexican wrestlers were all flagrantly violating their contracts for working in Mexico, and perhaps will still allow it, but wanted to exercise booking power over it. There are always concerns when Mexican wrestlers miss the WCW day, which was an infrequent occurrence. But they're working on a show in Mexico while planning to be ill or injured, since they get the guaranteed weekly check from WCW and could augment the income with a payoff from Mexico. There's no documented case of this happening that we are aware of, and we probably on the on this subject have a lot better idea of what's going on at WCW. One wrestler in particular who may be affected the most seriously is um Norma Smiley, who wrestled Mexico's Black Magic. Smiley is now living in Mexico, but is not a Mexican citizen, man, that deported since he's living there on a work visa. If he's not allowed to work there, because he'll be not allowed to stay there. Oops. Conan was considered a major power force behind booking the Azteca promotion, including dealings with sending Azteca talent and international tours or contracts with a place like Japan, Puerto Rico, WF, and conceivably even the ECW. He's worked at, he worked in his belief that book the Azteca TV tapings on the 26th in Toluca and 27th in Pachuca. He gave a lengthy speech to the fans after the match on the ladder show, proclaiming his loyalty to the fans of Mexico. On television show there this weekend, which was taken on the card that he no-showed, was simply announced Conan wasn't there for his advertisement event match with no explanation given. Not only was Conan banned from having hand in those bookings, but was told his contract prohibits him from so much as contributing any booking ideas to the Azteca promotion, such as angles, you know, the big matches, or gimmicks for new wrestlers. His belief Conan was 20% only in the Azteca promotion, along with Rojas and Pedro Ortega. That promo second and WCW until the Mundo had meetings next week with the pros idea for WCW syndicate to our weekly Azteca television show and once established leading to doing quarterly pay view shows in the United States and perhaps Mexico as well. The one attempt to do a Mexican pay view, the well received November 6, 1994, when World Collide show drew a 0.28 buy rate and 44,000 total buys. Basically, along the lines are slightly better in the ECW level. However, all the parties involved could never get their ass together to follow up on the first show. The long maternal jealousy at the time since Triple H promotion was actually doing bigger house show business in his markets than WCW was. Jealousy that wouldn't exist today due to WCW's success. 
The problem finalizing the deals that Telemundo wanted production upgrades on the Azteca show, largely along the lines of being a better lighting, along with the expansion of the 90-minute Mexican show to fill a two-hour American time slot. That would cost the Azteca promotion an estimated $8,000 a week. At that point in time, WCA would loan for Azteca eight of his country to wrestlers to work as television headliners to work a pay-per-view. Thoughts? So was Conan ever a booker there? Yes. Who he misrepresented that he was still Booker. Yes. My thing is, was who was getting in WCW's ear about those guys being the ones that Antonio Pena was talking about, that he was going to debut these guys on the March 1st show, hmm. when it's obviously not going to be Conan. Right. I mean, that... I mean, they should have known that from the beginning because of all the shit going on with Conan and Pena behind the scenes. Yeah. Who would even... I can't figure out who would be in the position to do that. I don't know. At least that's actually in the company. I mean, I don't know who, who is you know feeding that information, you know? Yeah. But... Tricky one. <laughs> But Nate Lambros dropped the hammer on it. Yeah. And then most of the WCW guys just keep working in Mexico anyway. Pretty much, yeah. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, this does, I mean, this kills that, basically that chance of a, of a TV deal with WCW. Yes. So. And yes, WCW guys were low-key working indie dates at this time. But you didn't hear about it as much as WWF guys just because of, I guess, like, the places they were working. Like, they would work, like, you know, like, Gulf Coast area casino shows and stuff. And stuff that drew well yeah. but didn't get as much, like, newsletter coverage and stuff, like, Gary Gray shows and that kind of thing. Like, you can find on YouTube, like, Ed Leslie was taking indie dates all over the place throughout his whole WCW run. Yeah, I mean, and there were some other ones. It wasn't on the top guys. That's no, nothing, too. No, but I'm just saying he's the most obvious one I can think of. But. Yeah, crazy shit. Also, wait, TV Azteca had zero ownership? That's what it says here. Interesting. All right, uh, the tapings. February 22nd at Ignacio Augustin Millan in Toluca. Alan Stone, Ilde Urcan Ramirez, and Urcan Ramirez Jr. over. Uh, Carnosio, Macaña, and Operativo by the Q. Electra, Mega Electra, Oro Jr., Sumanieco over at Damian CCC, Diablo, Jurassico, and Motocross, Christone by his qualification. Mr. Aguila, Shiru, Super Kolo, and Venom Black. Well, that's a fucking team. Shiru, of course, is Kazayashi. Over Halloween, Musco de la Merced, Petero de Ring, and Super Crazy. Well, that's another hell of a team. What a match. Uh-huh. Jerry Estrada, Umtu Guerrero, El Tejano, and Bianca Tercero, Super Astro, Tarzan Boy, Toretto, and Zorro. And they're made of it. You got these, these Mart, La Parca, Mascara Sagrada, and Vampiro over Black Magic, Number Smiley, El Dandy, Petoff, and Silver King. All Atomicos matches, except for the uh, first match. Hmm. And a shitload of talent on this show. Good lord. Uh, yes. Next night, Arena Aficion. In Pachuca on the 27th, we have Macaña and Operativa over Urcan Ramirez Jr. and Tony Boy. Anti Faz de Norte, Shiru, Sumanyeko over Damian CCC, Halloween and Motocross. Electro, Mega Electro, Super Astro, Super Parka over Brazo Cibernetico, Brazo de Platino, Petero de Ring, Ultimo Rebelde. 
Lucky Gressa, real name Sodinian of Argus, who had been a perennial WC Women's Champion on for years, was arrested on February 25th as part of a gang that allegedly trafficked heroin and cocaine in the state penitentiary. Vargas was one of four people arrested, including her boyfriend and her mother, had the foreign undercover police officers purchased approximately $400,000 worth of heroin as well as cocaine from the gang. Vargas was held on $75 bail and had her car confiscated due to the high purity of heroin she sold. In addition, her boyfriend, Carlos Gonzalez, was charged with 15 counts of heroin sales and held $220,000 bail. Her mother, Sofia Villanueva, was charged with 12 counts of heroin sales and held on $90,000 bail. Holy shit. <laughs> That's some drug running right there. Oof. Yeah. Most wrestlers who They're pull that it. kind of volume are working in all Japan right now. <laughs> they, uh, they have a hell of a good time in that locker room. Man. Wow. All right. Uh, the headhunters have returned and are doing a lot of singles matches going under the names Dingo and Quango. Oh, boy. The headline feuds are Ray Gonzalez against Fidel Sierra of the Universal title, Carlos Colon against El Solitario, El Bronco, and a barbed wire cage chain matches, and Street Fighter Victor the Bodyguard and Rico Suave. El Nene returned to the losing match on March of 997 to Carlos Colon, where stipulation would be him to leave for a year. He returned after 48 weeks, which, even though one month early, must be a purpose and record when it comes to hearing the stipulations of that type. Mm. Actually, Nene lost because he was going to Savio Vegas Royal Promotion, but that group folded. Adorno is actually a police officer, which uh, that's the LNA, which shows the mix of town WC since they had two police officers working, the lady and the other, an alleged heroin dealer. <laughs> Why not? Aki Malumba, being Peacock, aka Giant Kamala Two Knowledge fan, had already left after not being paid for two weeks. That'll do it. <laughs> Aldo Ortiz, Ricky Santana, and David Cannell, Fidel Sierra, and the new bookers. Yeah, good for them. On the February 22nd TV show, they announced there will be a tournament for WC Tag Tales because Texas Hangman, who are jobbers and solely conduct WCW now, haven't defended the belts 30 days. Actually, Mike Moran left Puerto Rico with both belts because of promotion of $1,400. <laughs> Although they had no physical belts, they switched Tag Tales numerous times after the Hangman left, with the last champions being Warren Chris Youngblood, and the belts haven't been mentioned since August. And... Clever boy Shane also has leftover money. He'd come back. Yeah, he would. So there you go. Though we'll see. I kind of think Shane Sewell was trying to get in WWF with all of the other Ontario guys getting signed, right? Gotta be. Yeah, gotta be. And he had a look. He could have done it. Yeah. Um. Maybe. I guess he would be the shortest of that group, though, right? Yeah. You know, because. I gotta think Christian's a little taller than him, right? Yeah. Cause, well, also remember, what was... Well, wait, was it here? Where was... Oh, no, or was it TNA? Who was it that did the thing with him as a referee? It was TNA, right? Yes. Right, and the idea was it was surprising because he was, I think, a smaller guy. So, even in that promotion. So, yeah, I, I gotta think it's some, something like that is going on, too, besides presumably not being paid. But he does come back. And I forget, does he ever do IWA after they start? Or is he always double double C? Oh, he's not WA. Okay. I couldn't remember off the top. Absolutely. Yeah. Oh yeah. Yes, right. Yeah, wait, what am I talking about? If he goes Yeah, what am I talking about? If he goes to TNA, then he's IWA. He's not the Yeah, he's yeah, he's a big big time in IWA, yeah. All right. That's it for the first half of the show. It's halftime. So some great nineteen ninety eight commercials. We have to the halftime seven of the show. 
where we'll talk about our Patreon, hit the plugs, and then come back or we'll go to the indie scene where uh, Sonny didn't have a great weekend. We'll talk about that. We got the Eddie Gilbert Memorial Show, ECW's Television Woes in Pittsburgh, and much more after the break. He gets his soft touch from his mother. He gets his passion for winning from his father. And he gets his energy from his Uncle Ben's. Uncle Ben's rice has the complex carbohydrates that help Hakeem Olajuwon stay on top of his game. Want to get in the game? Send us your easy three-point recipe and you or anyone in your immediate family could take a three-point shot for $1 million. Profit every time. Make your home picture perfect. Shop the last days of the JCPenney home sale to save on a beautiful collection of bedding and bath items, window coverings, and furniture. Hurry, Thursday it's over. JCPenney, I love your style. Florida's natural, not from concentrate premium juice is made by a co-op of growers who are, well, like most traditional families. For example, they never miss their yearly gathering. They always respect their elders, and they constantly look out for the next generation. Sure, the folks who make Florida's natural see things a little differently. After all, they own the land, they own the trees, they own the company. Taste the difference it makes. Florida's natural premium juice. Can insurance set you free? At the Hartford, we believe insurance should be liberating. So our auto and homeowner's insurance leave you with only one thing to worry about. Getting the most out of life. into our homes. She skated into our hearts. And now, Tara Lipinski has skated into Olympic history, winning a gold medal. Olympic skater Barbie salutes Tara and all girls who leap at the chance to be their best. Your daughter will love Olympic skater Barbie and her winning spin. We got a dog. For the kids. Okay, so I became attached. So, my wife called it obsessive. I just wanted the perfect food for my dog. Talk to the vet, talk to the breeder, read books. Okay. Two words, go shopping. That's how I found Purina One brand lamb and rice formula. First ingredient, lamb. I think we found our dog food. Me, obsessive? I don't think so. Purina One, second to none. Is there something you'd change about your partner? Uh, I wish she'd spend a little more money on herself. Thank you, sweetie. Mm. Mm. Well, if anything, she's a bit too thin. I wish she'd, you know, gain a few pounds. Oh, honey. Yeah. I wish she'd give me more space. What? More space for what? Three couples, one comedy. For your love, coming to NBC Tuesdays after Mad About You. Space. Honey. All kind of space. Honey. Space everywhere. Honey. NBC congratulates our soap opera award winners. Judy Evans, Allison Sweeney, Jensen Ackles. Check out all our winners, NBC Daytime. I love you. Always have. Her love filled his dreams. You and no other. Forever. Her capture fueled his fire. They took her to get to me. And forged a nation. Are you ready for a war? Mel Gibson. The Oscar-winning epic of romance and destiny. Freedom! Braveheart. NBC Sunday. Parental discretion advised. All right, we're back. I hope you enjoyed those great 1998 commercials. As we pivot to the halftime segment of the show, 
where we'll begin to talk about Patreon. Patreon.com slash Between the Sheets. And yes, we have finished recording the latest Patreon show. It should be up before the end of the month. If it isn't up already by the time you listen to this, which I doubt, but it will be up for the end of the month. And uh, yes, we uh, f- finished up part two of our two-part series. Uh, look back at A Year in the Life of Paul Heyman, 1993. And uh, the first show came out last month was a you know, really good show. And this show is even better as uh, we get way more Paul on this one. Paul becoming Paul, <laughs> basically. And um, we get a lot of stuff from here. We got the World Wrestling Network and their debut show. We'll talk about that and what happened there. We got, of course, Paul in ECW, which means Eddie Gilbert in ECW and Eddie uh, getting removed from power or removing himself from power, whichever you, you know, you want to say, we'll talk about that. And his interview, he gave John Clark. We have Paul and John Clark on the first show. Now we got Eddie and John Clark on the second show in wrestling flyer. And Eddie, uh, Eddie has a lot to say about when Paul Heyman and, uh, it's not good as uh, he's heartbroken to go along with Eddie's issues. So, yes. well, and yeah. We kind of started it thinking Paul was going to come off better, and that my recollection was that Eddie came off kind of rambling. But you look at it in the context of everything else, and Eddie comes off better than I remembered, and Paul comes off worse. Yes. So we'll have all that. Believe me, you want to hear this stuff, because uh, it's <laughs> it's crazy what happened uh backstage at Ultra Clash 93. So uh, you definitely want to hear that. Um and we got all kinds of other little stuff on there too. More on the MTV wrestling uh, thing, and there's all kinds of stuff on there. So it's definitely a Paul Heyman special show. So everybody listen to that. Five dollars a month gets you access to that on Patreon.com/slash Twin Sheets. And yes, we will uh, also disclose what the March show will be about. On that show, we won't talk about that just yet. On here, we'll do that next week, but. Um, so yeah, you get to hear that first. So uh, yeah, exciting times coming up on the Patreon. So definitely want to get in five dollars uh, for the month to get that uh, access to all that great audio that we've already done and will be doing as uh, twenty twenty three goes forward. Dollar a month gives you access to the Discord and thanks in this segment. And uh, nobody's going to be dropping any off the record stuff on our Discord. I tell you that. So. <laughs> <laughs> Which isn't to say no tea is spilled, but it's it's the people who do it are careful and I think are only spilling tea. They're fine with being shared publicly. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so there's that. Um, $25 as you pick a show for the week. Um, have two shows in mind. Just in case the first pick you have is something that we may have done already or a week that could be already reserved in the books. So again, in touch with uh, us. On that, follow the protocol on the Patreon website to do that. Uh, remember, 30-day rules in effect, 10-year rules in effect, Wednesday, Tuesday, and a timeline, all that good stuff. And you get that, take care of We should be able to get your show on the air. And $50, as you said, for a segment of that show if you choose, and 100 for the whole show if you choose. So that's patreon.com slash between the sheets. All right, Bix, who got that this week as our new and or returning patrons? We had a surprisingly uh, busy, you know, towards the end of the month uh, week, as far as uh, 
new and or upgraded or returning uh, subscribers. Nice to hear that. So we would like to thank uh, Edgar Muniz Jr. for his uh, annual pledge. And yes, annual is fifty dollars and forty cents. Thanks, for the five Edgar. Here. Yes. Mm-hmm. Matt Stokes. Thanks, Matt. Dylan White. Thanks, Dylan. Annual pledge from Andrew Magda. Thanks, Andrew Magda. Adam B. Thanks, Adam B. And a conversion to an annual pledge from uh, an account that says John Pollock and Wei Ting. Hey! Good friends of the show. Great podcasters in their own right. And now our uh, Peacock Famous, John Pollock and Wei Ting. So, uh, yes, John Pollock was part of the press conference after the Elimination Chamber show. So it was uh, our dear friend Brandon Thurston as well. So, uh, yeah, um, we, thank, we thank John and Wei a lot. They, uh, they've really put us over on their, on their shows, and uh, they do great content as well. So everybody go check them out on Post Wrestling. And, uh, yeah, so we thank John and Wei, absolutely. And we that's thank, it. And that's that it? The, all right. So we thank all you new patrons, old patrons, patrons that have been there from the beginning, come along the way, converted from uh, monthly to annual. We thank all of you for uh, being part of our Patreon at patreon.com slash between the sheets. All right, Bix. IWTV and our uh, friends at Action Wrestling and this SCI, they have a uh, Something up their sleeve this weekend, so talk about that and everything else that's catching your eye. Yeah, coming up on the live streams uh, this week on Saturday night at 7.30 Eastern, Scenic City Rumble. Uh, I didn't. I haven't even really kept up with this one. This is it Saudi Daisy or somewhere else? Scenic City Rumble. Um, I don't think it's a Saudi Daisy. Um, let's see. Um, East Hamilton. East Hamilton. Is this the first time they've been back at East Hamilton in a... Since before the pandemic, I think? Um, It's been a minute. Yeah, it's been a minute. I actually liked East Hamilton better than Saudi Daisy. Yeah, I did too. I, I mean, Saudi Daisy's a nice place. It's just a little further up the road. <laughs> East Hamilton's for me, is right there close to the border. <laughs> well, yeah, and <laughs> so also is... Right, well, also even just for someone who was traveling in and staying at the hotel and stuff, it was much closer to the airport area too. Yeah, but... Uh, they got a really interesting uh, card on that show. They got uh, Mike Jackson against George South, for God's sakes. Yeah. <laughs> Noted I mean, uh, deathmatch wrestler George South. I mean, but two legendary uh, enhancement talents from TBS from multiple eras. So that's on the show. You got AC Mack and Jaden Newman going against Shook D and Alice Kane. So they got that's an interesting match. Tank is wrestling uh, Noah Hossman on that show, so that should be a Hoss fight. No pun intended with Hossman. Yeah. Uh, Rico Gonzalez against BK Westbrook, Eli Knight, and Hunter James. Of course, BK Westbrook won the Action Futures Showcase a while back. Yeah. Adam Priest against Damian Tangra, and that should be an interesting match. The Gifted against Top Team and the Six Man, and then the Thirty Man uh, SCI Rumble winner gets uh, a spot in the Scenic City Invitational. Yes, and the winner of the Rumble also gets to choose their opponent, right? Choose their opponent, correct. Yes. All right, so we've got that. Uh, also on Saturday, at 8 Eastern, there's going to be an all-women's femme fatales show. 
in Rue, Quebec. And it includes as a main event of Lufisto versus Diana Perrazzo. Nicole Matthews in action, naturally, since it's hey, Canada. Okay. Yeah. Friend of the show against uh, Taylor Rising. And Taylor Rising? Taylor Rising. Oh, uh, huh. Okay. Actually, yeah, wait a second. If you're going to make that your ring name, why not be Tara Rising? <laughs> or no, Tara Rising, T E R A. Like the porn star Tara Patrick. Yeah, you name. could be that too. Um, Tara Rising. A lot of, lot of Canadian names, you know, on the show. Well, it's uh, Canada. <laughs> well, remember, though, it's the opposite of how it is here. Americans can work easily in Canada. They just need either a passport or enhanced driver's license if they have one. I mean, I know that. Um, I was but saying, yeah. it's Canada, so I spent a lot of Canadians on the show. Yeah, so not just Nicole, but also uh, Casey Spinelli, Vanessa Craven, Jody Threats, Cecilia Sparks, and, and others on that one. And then, is this the last one I have open? Yes. West Coast Pro also has a show on Saturday night, and that'll be at 10 Eastern, as usual. And this is probably the most loaded show they've had in a little while. You've got main event for the West Coast Pro title, Titus Alexander defending against Nick Wayne in a tables, ladders, and chairs match. The decision match to determine the first women's champion was Sandra Moon versus Masha Slamovich. Timothy Thatcher versus Speedball Mike Bailey. No DQ, Vinny Massaro versus uh, Ricky Shane Page, Kevin Blackwood and Alan Angels versus Brian Keith and Starboy Charlie, a Lucha Trios match with uh, Latigo, Toxine, and Black Taurus against Armis, Ray Orus, and Viento, and more. Oh, including, uh, I shouldn't have left this one out, uh, West Coast Wrecking Crew versus Miracle Generation. So, one of their more loaded shows in a while, and they always put on very good and you know well produced shows so everyone check those out and if you're not already a subscriber to iwtv go to independentwrestling.tv sign up using code btspod and we will get a referral fee for each month you stay a paid subscriber so that's independentwrestling.tv code btspod today's episode of between the sheets is sponsored by private internet access america's number one virtual private network even if you use incognito mode, your internet service provider is storing your browsing data and many times even selling it. But private internet access can help. Private internet access encrypts and reroutes your internet traffic through one of its own servers and hiding your data from your internet service provider and network administrator. And with servers in over 75 different countries, you can get unrestricted access to geoblock content from around the world. Private internet access comes with easy-to-use apps and browser extensions for all devices, a rock-solid privacy policy, open-source security, advanced customization settings, and it's just ranked the fastest VPN in the world by PC Mac. Don't get on better than that. If you sign up private internet access right now, you take advantage of a special deal only for Between the Sheets listeners. Let's go over that, shall we? We have three options for you that we offer. We have a regular monthly plan of eleven ninety-five a month. We have a yearly plan of three dollars thirty-three cents a month for thirty-nine ninety-five a year, or we have the, the best of all: three years plus four free months, dollar ninety-eight a month, seventy-nine dollars over three years. What a bargain! Amazing bargain, folks! Can't beat that. Why? Because that's so much more expensive than virtually every other VPN on the market. If you get it right now, you can take advantage of. Pr- Private Internet Access 30-day risk-free challenge. Try it for 30 days. See if you like it. If not, just return a full, full refund. 
So how you get that, you ask? Well, you go to privateinternetaccess.com slash between the sheets and try out the best damn VPN on the market completely risk-free. All right, next week on Between the Sheets, we go back to 1990. Well, we have some interesting stuff to talk about on this show. We got uh, in the World Wrestling Federation. We'll talk about uh, WrestleMania's coming soon, so we got some news on stuff there. Dave at the TV taping in San Francisco, live report from the Cow Palace with a whopping 22 matches, so we'll have that. We'll have some uh, interesting debuts on television during our week of different things. So there's that. We've got all sorts of uh, indie stuff, lots of Memphis television, so uh, lots of good stuff there involving heel Jerry Lawler. So, uh, yeah, that's going to be fun stuff. We got Joe Petticino going uh, in Matt Watch and talking to Steve Beverly about his future and what it may hold. So we'll have that after he's uh, left the NWA. We got Don Morocco's tour New Zealand to talk about. We got another uh, country making their debut to the show. We'll have some of that. We got the debut of Universal Lucha Libre in Japan to talk about. New Japan has some interesting shows. All Japan has a big Budokan show featuring Barry Windham. And then we got the National Wrestling Alliance, where we'll be uh, talking about a wild angle on TV with Kevin Sullivan and Buzz Sawyer, the injury bug hitting heavy, and a major suspension. And uh, news on who's going to – well, not really news, but Dave's thoughts on who the booking situation. Now, the Ric Flair has stepped down, which he did that before our week. So uh, – a lot of stuff in the NWA section, and we will be joined again by one of my favorites, Mike Sibbervivi. We'll be back with us next week on Between the Sheets, so it should be a fun show indeed. Yes, it will definitely be fun because, I mean, we know Mike wouldn't drop anything off the record in Discord. He might in breaks between recording the show, but that's a different matter. <laughs> but we won't go out there and blab that information <laughs> because, no. we're, because we're better than that. No, no. The thing I'm we like, heard off the air while recording this show. Uh, oh God! Over the over the years that we've done this show, yes, <laughs> we've heard a lot, a lot that get a lot of people in trouble, and it's never left the Skype call. So there you go. Secrets are safe with us. Yes. In between the sheets. Yes. Maybe but, not at other Patreons. <laughs> or other podcasts. No, not at all. No. All right. No. 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 <laughs> I mean, I can definitely uh, say there's one person you and I don't find annoying that apparently some other people do, and would happy to have be happy to have this person on the show. Actually, we probably <laughs> should reach out to that person about having them on the show again. We keep delaying that. Well, we'll see. I'm not. I'm not. I'm not quite sure what you're talking about, but uh, <laughs> well, I guess we'll talk about that after we finish recording. All right. Well, on that note, let's get back to the rest of the show. All right, let's go back to the U.S. indie scene here, and uh, we begin with not a good way for uh, one Sunny. Dave says, more on the Sunny NWA ECW WF situation. As mentioned last week, Sunny canceled what was believed to have been a scheduled booking on February 21st for Dennis Corluzzo to instead do the angle in the pay-per-view where her and Chris Candido acted as if they were splitting up the same night for ECW television in Philadelphia. Since that time, Corluzzo has threatened a written letter to write a letter. It's just threatened written a letter to do a complaint about how the situation went down as it turned into a disaster. 
as the local sponsor bought the show largely because Sonny was promised and is also threatened to sue. Corluzzo also canceled Sonny's booking at the Eddie Gilbert Memorial Show on February 28th in Philadelphia, which Sonny was going to work free because of the benefit show and the arm wrestling gimmick with Marlena. At the NWA show, Corluzzo did act for much of the night like Sonny would be there, even though he had been given the word one day ahead she wasn't. And then when she didn't appear and the word got out she was at ECW, there was tremendous, you know, Corluzzo, including the sponsor, supposedly never want to deal with him again. According to sources close to Sonny, read that Chris Candido, she was given the fruit bookings by Jim Ross, which included the NWA date. She never agreed, nor didn't agree to the bookings, but took blame for not following up on them until real late, at which point she decided against doing the day for a number of reasons, among them money and wanting to spend the time with Candido at the ECW show that night. She did the angle DCW shows the last minute deal because the other angle, which Dave says Sid question mark, had fallen through. She was there and they did plan B. The other side of the story is that she had a date, decided to cancel the date only a few days ahead of time, claiming that there would be heat from ECW if she worked for Corluzo and that Corluzo was wronged. They went to Paul Heyman, who then said that he didn't pressure her not to work the date and he didn't care if Sonny worked the NWA date or not, and said there's no heat about her working for them in the past. We do know that Sonny was in happy meeting weeks back working in the NBA show and being asked to be part of a skit that ran down to Sandman. Since Sandman stopped naming the promotional fiance as assistant booker of. Like how Dave just throws that in there, right there. <laughs> Not mentioned in that type before that I know of, but just slides that in. Well, Dave was aware and did approve of her doing the pay-per-view. They did not know of or approve of her doing the ECW TV angle to lead to the pay-per-view. And there was heat over that because they don't care if she shows up ECW house shows because they want to approve anything she does that will appear on ECW television. And before we actually discuss this in depth, we should make clear. When Chris said, according to sources close to Sonny, read that Chris Candido... What Dave wrote in the Observer was, according close to sources close bleh, according to sources close to Sunny, parenthesis, read that Chris Candido. That was not Chris making a comment. No, that's Dave doing a very rare day thing for him. So is that is that Dave joking that it's Chris on the record, but the joke is that it would obviously be Chris even if it wasn't on the record? Is that the idea? I mean, I guess. That's the only thing I can think of. Um, okay. So, yeah. She had been doing dates for Dennis without issue with Paul. You know, we're already past the theoretical agreement to let ECW people work for Dennis. Which, you know, Paul kind of went back on anyway. But that was why Cornette agreed to do that shot. Basically as a favor to Candido and to try to facilitate you know, burying the hatchet between Paul and Dennis. Uh, this just reads like Tammy having her demons at this time. Yes, exactly. I mean, there's a lot going on in her life at this time. You know, um, her study of status is starting to change. Sable's starting to eclipse her. Um, she's about, I mean, she will get put in LOD 2000, though. Oh, yeah. Her but, substance abuse is getting really bad. Let's put her with Hawk. <laughs> so, yeah, just not a good week for her, you know, and, 
sadly, there'll be more bad weeks to come. Yeah. Um. But I wonder who the sponsor was. There was a Dennis had that was so pissed. The insurance company that he works for. <laughs> well, maybe he found the American version of the sponsors that uh, Japan has. You know, there is no well, loser. I was going to say, if anyone could, it would be Dennis. Um... <laughs> Any guys there with uh, nice tracksuits and some nice uh, gold chains? Mm. Maybe it was a pork store like, sponsorship. So, uh, no, no, it was a social club. Okay, absolutely. Are we using that as a euphemism, or do we mean like, <laughs> like a regular social club, or do we mean like Bada Bing type social club? That's what I'm talking about. Okay, that's what I'm talking about. All right. Oh um, no, the social club that the guys. No, the social club that the guys would sit in front of with the track suits on. You know, sitting there outside. You know, and being a front. Yes. Okay. Um. You know, with the Sable stuff, you totally get why that fucked with her head. Like, it's very easy to see how, like, on every level. Like, put yourself in her shoes. Yes, she got her break because she was, initially, you know, initially because she's Chris's pretty girlfriend. But she's a natural at promos. And, you know, just instincts at ringsideism. Everything is a manager. You know, she comes up, you know, quote unquote, the right way, you know. Um, and all that, like, she works herself into being this big star. And then someone, you know, another woman comes in. And seemingly because she's another blonde who has bigger implants. Vince and Vince fall in love with her and just push her way ahead of her and make Cam make Cammy an afterthought. And she had she had a a angle that Tammy didn't have. Tammy doesn't have a husband also in the same company where they could do angles around that. If Chris mm -hmm. Candida was still in WWE, I mean WWE at the time. When Russo gets the power and everything, oh, I firmly believe that they, that there would have been angles involving them two together, yes. like a stable Marmara. Although they were never explicitly a couple in storyline in WWF. Oh, that would have changed. Oh yeah, it <laughs> I mean, they were That's never really explicitly a couple in Smokey, were they? No, not explicitly a couple. No. Yeah, because I mean, Brian. I mean, they turned on Brian Lee. And it was just her and Chris, and she was just a manager, basically. His manager. But, um, I mean, yeah, there was, there was things that Sable had on her side that Tammy didn't have. Well, and also Tammy's the lifelong wrestling fan, too. Yeah, but Tammy also had the baggage as well. Backstage baggage, drama. So you know, did, Sable, so Sable. Sable. Not at that time. Not at that time. That comes... But not at the time we're talking about here. That's coming. I mean, it's definitely coming as time goes on. But, but regardless, we ain't there yet. And then, and then what happens when they uh, start having those problems with her? You know. Yeah. And also, you know, Tammy is the more both in terms of her TV presentation and how she'd be at appearances and everything. She's the more relatable and approachable one. Like, if you're Tammy, 
like even before the drugs and stuff really kick in in a bad way like you're looking at this and you're like what am i doing wrong how is this happening why is this happening like i get it like it's a weird position to be in but you know i mean the thing is too with tammy is where would a tammy fit in today's wrestling because she's not a wrestler and there's there's really not female characters in wrestling right now that are not wrestlers. I mean, you have some that are primarily managers, but someone like a Zelina Vega is a wrestler. Exactly, exactly. Yes, that's what I'm trying to say. You, you're there, saying that all the women today, even if they are primarily manager, even in cases where they're primarily managers, they're still wrestlers. Scar- well, Scar- Scarlet, Scarlet is the closest to that. But Scarlet, Scarlet's a worker too. But she works, but she doesn't work in WWE really. Right. Very, She's had like uh, maybe what, one or two one matches match on TV and one dark match, I think. Yeah, so that would be the closest thing. So, but Sarah just, Logan, yeah, I mean, yeah, but she went well. Still, that's my point. No, I'm, I'm, I'm saying you're right. Yeah. Yes, but yeah, you know, uh, I'm trying to get AEW. I mean, I guess you have Vicky, but she's not even really on TV well, that's anymore. Vi- that's Vicky, you know, so, yeah. Is there anyone in AEW? No. I mean, even that's a wrestler manager? Like, I guess, I guess Madison... Well, Julia Hart. Yes, but again, she's a wrestler. Madison Rain is at ringside for Sky Blue, but she's a wrestler. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, no, and then even uh, Re- Rebel is a trained wrestler, although she hasn't been on TV mm-hmm. lately. Yeah, so... All right, so back to. But she's uh, a good enough to, promo and stuff. I think she would have a spot. I just would have been interesting. To, well, no, I just would be interesting to see how how that type of person personality would 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 go today. You know, if they're not going to be wrestling. I think I think the fact that she was she's a lifelong fan. I think she'd get past whatever hurdles there would be of her not being and a that, wrestler. And say that's that's another thing for Sable. Sable's willing to be a wrestler. Well, so, barely. <laughs> I know, but still, you know. I mean, remember with Sable, like the thing that she get, ends up getting really upset about that leads to a lot of the issues, and you know, rightfully so on her part, is that her contract was kind of specifically not to be a wrestler. Yeah, it all comes down to drugs, though. If Sunny's clean, then a lot of stuff is different. Yeah, I wish we knew when exactly it started. Uh, probably in 97. And if I'm it's sure 97... Probably, yeah, I'm pretty, sure, I'm pretty sure all that shit that's going on with the whole Brett and Sean thing probably contributes to a lot of that. Yeah, that's probably part of it, too, which, Jesus Christ. Like, I still can't get over the fact that he specifically accused Brett of having an affair with the woman he had just had an affair with. <laughs> yeah, so... Yeah. All right. Yeah, again, one more show drew about 600 fans at the Radisson Hotel in Philadelphia with Nick Botwinkle and family members of Boba Brazil and the entire Gilbert family attending. There were hecklers, says Corluza spoke of Gilbert since he wrote on ECW, and then Peggy Gilbert, Eddie's mother, who defended Corluzo, and they said that Paul Heyman had backstabbed his longtime friend Eddie to get the book in ECW and basically stole the promotion. There's reality to this, and that is that Gilbert did bring Heyman to ECW. And Heyman did take over as Booker when Gilbert was removed, and then Heyman probably had a strong hand in that happening. However, ECW would have been dead many years ago had all that not happened, 
as they were swimming deeply in the red ink, which is among many reasons why Todd Gordon and Gilbert split and Heyman took over. I mean, did that change other than the fact that Paul was paying his own phone bill? No, but we'll have, I guess we'll have more on this on patreon.com slash between the sheets. So yes. be prepared for that. Which, I mean, actually looking at – as we record this, we haven't finished recording the Patreon show yet, but I mean the, looking at the calendar, the Patreon show will be up either the day this comes out or the day after at the latest. Yes. Yeah. Yes, which – So we'll have more on that situation. But I mean from what – We've read over the years at this point. I do think this is one of the things where Paul has gotten a bad rap. Well, like I said, we'll go more in depth about it then. So yes, you hear our thoughts on that there. All right. Um, Sid Vicious beat King Kong Bundy. Vicious claimed he's gotten the bad raps and his no show for the other great shows because he was told to use his own frequent flyer miles to fly in, and that Ian Rotten told him not to come to the show last week because the advance was poor, but then buried him in the ring when he wasn't there. <laughs> What? <laughs> what? <laughs> and this is Brian for a guy who, who Eddie actually had a big role in the career of, too. And yet Sid doing his Sid shit. You know? This is probably just the 1998 version of what he did to Thorne. <laughs> but at least he showed up. At least he showed up for the show, for the wrestling show, yeah. Brian Hildebrand was given the award for his longtime service of pro wrestling for former boss Jim Cornette. In the main event, Tommy and Doug Gilbert beat Dory Punt Jr. and Buddy Landell. European promoter slash wrestler Franz Schumann wrestled Dan Severin. Instead of being one of Severin's best pro matches to date, Schumann was widely praised as being a good worker. Is Schumann a promoter, too? Um, He promoted shows. Oh, was and, like and EPW the, or whatever? One of Was that him? Yeah, I mean, he was promoting in this era, yeah. Okay. All right, results of the show, The Overweight Lover, not Heavy D, over Johnny Rotten, which would be uh, Sid's Johnny Rotten. So wait a second. Did they fly in together? Of course. Did Sid use his frequent flyer miles for Johnny Rotten? I'm pretty sure he probably did, yeah. Ray Odyssey beat Patch. Brittany Brown beat Brandy Alexander. Gino Caruso, oh, Metal Maniac. Lance Diamond over Trigger Ramirez. For Dan Seven retaining the individual heavyweight title, beating Franz Schumann. Team Extreme, or whatever you want to call them, A. Strong and Devin Storm defeated the Misfits. Derek Domino and Holly Lewis to win the NWA United States Tag Titles. Sid Vicious over King Kong Bundy, and then Tommy and Doug Gilbert over Buddy Lando and Dory Funchu. You know, as much as we talk about the marathon feud that was Snuka and Metal Maniac, because Metal Maniac was his stooge, who he wrestled all the time in the 90s um do you know caruso and metal maniac have had their own endless feud as well yes as a lot of shows i mean they've had matches with each other in the last few years in gino's promotion yeah they uh they've been very busy against each other over the years yes uh as far as you know we have the usual suspects here i don't know how much there's really dead for the show itself other than I don't know, you know, for an Eddie uh, tribute show, that's a nice main event, you know, sentimentally. Yeah, for the main event, yeah, absolutely. Um, on the card itself, this feels like, is this the least wrestlers who need yes. Eddie on the actual card? Yes. I was about to say that this is a uh, a show that the memorial shows that had come before. There's a lot more representation of people that was 
Contemporary Vanny. I mean, outside of the main event, it's pretty much just Sid, right? Pretty much it. Bundy. Where did they work together? Memphis. Oh, yeah. I get, Yeah, oh, yeah. They overlapped in 84. Mm-hmm. Okay, I'm curious, actually. Eddie Gilbert Memorial Brawl. I'm, I'm curious to just look a little bit at some of the previous ones. Okay, so 96... I'm not necessarily going to say everything, but, you know, it has... Well, Lawler's on that one. Tommy Rich is on that one. So, I mean, you definitely... I mean, you're more right there. Just with them two on it. So, so you had, yeah, Tommy Gilbert versus Story. Uh, Johnny Gunn versus Tommy Rich. Debbie Combs in the, in, and Kevin Lawler in a mixed tag. Uh, Doug versus Jerry Lawler. You know, and then 97... Way more representation on that one, yes. Yeah, it, Tommy Gilbert versus, you know, Ian, I, who would have worked with Eddie a little bit. And also, you know, Eddie was one of his idols. Um, well, Eddie got him in, I mean, he was in Global. Eddie was was his booker. Oh, yeah. Wait, was he in Global in, with Eddie? I think Ian was only in Global in 94. Ian was in Global in 92. Banbury was there in 92. I do not remember that, really. Um, then Dory, Doug Landell... Oh, and I mean, even Dustin in the main event to a degree. So yeah, like this is a pretty big departure in terms of the representation of Eddie friends and contemporaries on the actual card. Um, oh, and Wikipedia says that um, Wikipedia actually has results that were not list- listed here for '98. Well, I got this from uh, where did I get this from? Uh. This is from Wrestling Data. Okay, so here are the details that were not there. Um, in the women's match, Brittany Brown was managed by Fabulous Mula, and Brandy Alexander was managed by Fred the Elephant Boy. Well, they're not going to have all that manager stuff. I know. Uh, Gino Caruso was doing his short-lived Great Caruso opera singer gimmick. Marlena okay. did defeat Sonny by forfeit, and they also had Rick Ratchet over Steve Carino. Hmm. But anyway... Alright, uh, Extreme Championship Wrestling. ECW lost his television in Pittsburgh, which has been in its best drawn market on WPTT over the dreaded content problem. The main item is that the station got a new general manager who specifically pointed out the language in the crowd, and in particular, the fuck New York chance from the last ECW arena shows the reason. We also have a problem with the blood and the violence level. Paul Heyman said that they were willing to dub special station for Pittsburgh, in which the only offensive chance would be off the show. That GM kept bringing up other problems with the content he, that he knew it was a losing battle. Hammond said the company was very close to a done deal with a rival station in Pittsburgh to air the show on the same Saturday night, 11 p.m. time slot, which could start as early as this week or next. Let's flash forward a week. He said we get television back in Pittsburgh starting March the 7th at 11 p.m. on WNPA Channel 19. They've been heat reviewers' choice of ECW losing the key television market this close to the pay-per-view since ECW has not tried to position itself in the cable industry as being no different than WF and WCW as its argument for being on pay-per-view who don't lose television stations, at least for that reason yet, while portraying itself outwardly as being altogether different. Okay. Um, first of all, I really want to know if this explanation came from anyone other than Paul, if it was backed up at all, because this sounds like bullshit. The fans swearing in chants has been an issue for years as far as it not being censored or anything. Why would that suddenly change recently? 
Why would the blood and violence level stuff change recently with early 98 ECW? Well, it's a new general manager of the station, Bix. That's what we just had here. Mm. So you have a new general manager of the station who doesn't like doesn't like it. But Paul saying they were willing to have special tapes. What? ECW does not have the equipment to futz with the audio like that. Are they just going to mute the bullshit. audio? Pretty much, yeah. yeah They're going to do what Fox, Fox did on SmackDown, the night for Elimination Chamber. What was, them also, what was with them also blacking out the screen for that, though? That was weird. I guess they got pissed. But why do you need to black out the screen? I think, I, I think the thing was that the thing on that one, which was the one I was worried about the most, was they were going to miss the heart out. I think if the, if the chance kept going, I think Fox was going to do the heart out early. Hmm. Hmm. Ooh, you th- imagine how that would have went. Oh, that would have been fun. Um, I don't know. My my Paul bullshit meter is going off for a lot of this one, though. Mainly because well, of the thing about dubbing the special tapes. It is Paul Heyman. Yeah, but, uh, you know, they got a, another station with the same time slot. So wait, I'm curious. WPTT. I, That's the station that used to hear all of uh, WCW stuff. Mainly. Which you know because we have so much old tapes that aired in Pittsburgh. Or for, taped off Pittsburgh. Yes. Mm-hmm. Uh, okay, so PTT channel number... Uh, 20, 20 something? 20? 22. 22, yeah. Now WPNT. Oh, the name changed WPNT. Mm-hmm. Oh, it's a Sinclair station. Maybe they weren't really complaining about the chance. <laughs> but anyway, so it is Pittsburgh. I mean, as I tell you, Shane Douglas's home market. So crazy. All right, Stevie Richards will be undergoing throat surgery in two weeks, and is expected to need at least three more operations after that one, which is why he talks like he does. So this is to try to repair the damage to his vocal cords from the neck surgery, right? Yes, yes. Yeah, if you want to watch TV talks like he does, that's why. It's all these surgeries he's had on his throat. Yeah, that's how he turned from, you know, dancing Stevie to, I'll show you, you'll see. Yeah. Gravel voice, Steve Richards. A ton of praise should be given in many of the wrestlers from ECW for the class they exhibit in regards to the death of Louis Vicoli, when other organizations largely ran from him. Aside from being Paul Bears at the funeral, Sabu and his wife, Robin and his girlfriend, bought a large trophy and gave it to the Mucchio family. Mucciolo. Proclaim Mucciolo, excuse me. Proclaiming Spicoli's honorary ECW champion. And I mean the thing about and then Sabu, I mean, he's openly talked about this. I mean, it got to the point where Paul Paul wanted Spicoli gone. And so he wasn't gonna book him. Sabu went to Paul and said, Listen. Keep booking him. You don't have to pay him. I'll pay him. And that went on for months. So the last few months of Louis Piccoli's ECW career, Paul Heyman wasn't even paying him. Sabu was. And Paul was not wanting to pay him because he had been showing up in less than stellar condition. Yes. But he was Sabu's friend, and Sabu said, I'll pay him out of my pocket. Which Sabu, he wasn't the only one that Sabu had done that with, so... Yeah, and since I guess this is the week of the funeral, I realize I should probably fire up uh, Google Groups because we're probably going to need to talk about Dr. Mike Lano, even though it doesn't seem like that's mentioned here. 
Tommy Dreamer, Little Guido, and Beautiful Across Country had to fly back at 1 a.m. that night to be back work to work for their pay for their fly to fly back at 1 a.m. that night to pay to be back for work to pay their respects. Paul Heyman allowed two of his biggest stars to have been the night off of the funeral. There are people in the organization that Spicoli barely knew that went out of their way for the family more than the superstars and the other organizations that he knew a whole lot better. That was more than can be said on the whole for every organization in this industry. The respect they showed in the weekend television was something all companies in this country should have, since he worked for all of them. Having the wrestlers used to definitely drive on the pay-per-view was a way to pay their respects to him. It redated the whole with something that even if it meant nothing to anyone else or signed a corny to some, meant so much to his family and made them so happy as if it were proof that he made a difference. It was a sell what he loved and ultimately lost from his life from the pitfalls of trying to fit into. It was well beyond any call of duty. The fact that there was a lot of bitter feelings in life in regards to Spicoli and ECW for reasons that are well documented. For other organizations, Spicoli's death was more important for the fear, for fear magnet, for bad publicity, than the passing away of someone who really badly wanted to fit in with him. It only speaks even higher for those in ECW for going out of their way. Dave could tell you from personal knowledge that you know, even, even though nobody involved would ever say it publicly, but there are others who have buried loved ones in this profession who have been hurt greatly in their time of need because of the belief that when all was said and done, it appeared that while a lot of fans did, very few in the business loved, very few in the business their loved one devoted their life to seem to actually care. When all was said and done in the business, the real champions are those with their feet firmly on the ground, not those with their heads in the clouds. In reality, trespassing the fantasy, we find out who they really are. Well, WWF, I mean, they're not going to recognize, you know, this time in this time period. WCW scared shitless. You know, they didn't recognize his death, but they did. Well, he was working for them and on TV. But well, w, how scared shitless is WCW though? Uh, even with everyone knowing that he was supplying Spicoli with stuff. Some of the talent flew Dr. Joel Hackett into the pay-per-view we will be talking about later. Yeah. You know, it's, well, also, eh, something we should make clear that I believe was in Dave's obit, you know, the week before, or whenever it was. The bigger fear is probably is that it was not a secret that Louie living in San Diego would go across the border to Tijuana to get stuff for other wrestlers. Yeah. From the pharmacias. So, if there was fear for bad publicity, it was probably more that than Louis' death in and of itself. Um, you know, I mean, good on Fall for handling this the way he did. And also, you know, Sabu and, you know, and RVD and everyone, you know, making the time to pay their respects. And, yeah, I mean, it's, you know, as far as what Dave says at the end... You know, when the chips are down is when you find out when the well-adjusted people and who, excuse me, who the well-adjusted people in pro wrestling are. Um, now, I'm assuming Dave is just showing restraint by not mentioning uh, Lano. He never mentioned him in the newsletter at all. Okay. So for those who are not familiar, you know, Dr. Mike Lano, a former dentist, theoretical wrestling photographer... He's at the funeral and was accused of taking photos of the open casket without asking anyone. Um, from those who were there, I'm not sure if this is going to be in what I pulled up here on Google Groups, but I remember this from at the time. Um, 
if I remember right, Sabu had to hold back Stefan DeLeon from charging Atlanta. Like, it got that heated. Understandably so. Um, here's what Lano said to try to uh, defend himself at the time. This got posted to uh, RSPW by Rob Blake. I took only four outdoor photos and have destroyed the role before it was ever developed. The pictures were taken well after the ceremony was over and only taken outside of the wreaths that people had sent. It was wrong and I was stupid. <laughs> okay, I can't even read this. Okay, so wait a second. No, he's... Okay, now I see where it's going. I don't want to read the whole thing. He starts using, like, the Japanese coverage of wrestlers' funerals as, like, an excuse. But why are you going to use that as an excuse if you're invoking, like, how they covered... Like, he doesn't use Brody as the example here, but I think he implies they covered Bobo Brazil's... Why can't I talk tonight? Bobo Brazil's funeral this way, like, with the open casket and stuff. Why are you using that as an excuse if you didn't try to take photos of the open casket? And, you know, when he tried to prove it, he said he destroyed the role and since, you know, he mailed it to Barnett. But if you, if, if it's already, ex, if it's exposed film and it's a ruined film, how do we know you didn't, I don't know, you know, how do we know he didn't develop the photos and then just send the ruined film back after? It just, very typically Lano, but also... Is this his worst moment? As far <laughs> as the lore that we know of? I guess. And this is also the same era as him pretending to do an interview with Jenna Jameson. But this is probably worse. So, yeah. Alright, let's move on. Yeah, I mean, it's just uh, it's a sad situation altogether. Yeah. I mean, his sister had to find him, right? Yeah. Yeah, not good. And I mean, you know, and, uh, and, and just real quick, we should say, like, particularly for this era, he is someone that promoters tried to get help. Yeah. You know, it's not like WWF didn't try. It's not like Paul didn't try in his own way. Like, this wasn't someone who they were just, like, riding off and trying to let be someone else's problem they did try to get him help and he was not taking the help yeah all right for me city team the pit bulls gary wolf and Nancy duraney were sending this to three years probation they find two thousand dollars each last week after men to selling steroids and five pounds of marijuana in 1995 the judge showed mercy says they helped authorities arrest four defendants and seize four ounces of cocaine i'm curious um how much steroids they were convicted of selling. Because <laughs> obviously you see five pounds of marijuana, and that's definitely a large quantity for, you know, just some kind of small-level dealer. But, you know, who cares, you know, <laughs> all these years later. So I'm curious how actually how much steroids they were selling. But, yeah, I mean, this is... Well, I mean, you know, Durante's you know, unfortunately takes his his life a few years after this. But this is basically the end of their careers in any real way. Pretty much. And uh, in continuing the less than pleasant news in the indie section this week, um, maybe skip ahead a minute or two uh, if you don't want to hear anything particularly sensitive and awful of a sex crime nature. So, do that, but 
other to Chris now. This was version of those stories that seen only happen in wrestling. Gary Dean May, 36, a wrestler in the Carolinas for New Dimension Wrestling under the name Hanson Bill Armstrong, was taken into custody on February 23rd in Johnsonville, Florida, to fled the Carolinas and to be in charge of raping his underage daughter over a two-year period. May was charged with two counts of statutory rape, two counts of statutory, rape, statutory sex, and two counts of taking indecent liberties of a minor. May fled the Carolinas when charges were filed against him on February 13th, leaving a 1977 van owned by the promotion. The police were tipped off February 23rd that he was in Jacksonville and was found staying in a tent. Hmm. Yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, it ain't just wrestling day that this type of stuff happens, so there is that. What is he say? Well, that's what I was going to say. Hey, what does he mean by only in wrestling with this one? The tent? The, the the van? I, I don't know. Like, I mean, well, I mean, in 98, I mean, I guess it depends on what's covered on the news between... I mean, I guess you would know about Bob Sweden at this time. You wouldn't necessarily know about Grizzly through public channels. It's like, it's, it's, it, I guess it's possible you would know if you're Dave, you would... No more well, about hearing this kind of thing through wrestling, right? Maybe. I got, I got, a, I got an update on the story from years later, mm -hmm. and it was not his daughter. Oh, former former professional wrestler Gary Dean May will spend a minimum sentence of almost sixteen years in prison for sexually abusing a ten year old girl. This is from twenty fifteen. Um, he pled guilty. Wait, is this uh, a different case then? No, same one. We're getting in, I'm getting into it. Maeve wrestled as Hansonville Armstrong, played guilty Monday in Guilford County Superior Court in High Point, North Carolina. The two counts each of taking indecent liberties on a minor, attempted first-degree statutory rape, and attempted first-degree statutory sexual offense. So there is the words attempted there. Now, so the victim told now, Chris, this is a separate case. Let me finish. The victim told authorities that Maeve performed various sexual acts with her during a two-month period in 1997 and 1998. Said so Assistant District Attorney Randy Carroll... Maeve knew the girl in the crime script of May's home at the address listed. Told police that he abused a girl about four times. Car police arrested Maeve at a campground in Jasper, Florida on February 22nd. Okay, you know, oh, no, no, I see what it is. They're, they're, they, were po they were posted on the site's archives in 2015. That's what it is. Okay. That's well, why Judge Mel Melzer... Well, Almost Meltzer. Meltzer A. Morgan Jr. sentenced May to serve between 15 years and 10 months and 19 years and 9 months in prison. Wrestling on independent contract and independent wrestling, which was professional wrestling in the Atlanta region. Worked as Carpenter, spent 15 years in National Guard, said defense attorney Charles Wanamaker. May have had prior, no prior criminal record. Okay, so that's why, yeah, it's, if you look at the date closely, because Google just shows the 2015, if you look at the article, it gives the date in 98, and then says updated in 2015. Yeah, so, 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 well, here we have, here we have Dave reporting that was his daughter, and it's not his daughter. Which is a it, bad thing to screw up, yeah. Then, 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 it's... You know, we have in the second thing, it says attempted after it's reported that it actually happened. It's still not good, but still is attempted in there. So, yeah. Wait, Dave said attempted? No, they said attempted in the article. So I'm looking at the it earlier was... article from before they found him. 
That doesn't have attempted, yeah. No, that's two counts statutory rape, two counts statutory sex offense, two counts of indecent liberties with But the judge, when the judge sentenced him, it said attempted. And so was it a plea deal or? He pled. It's something to do with the plea deal then. Yeah. Maybe, and you know, without getting granular or gross, maybe something specific to the specific thing that was done i don't know um yeah, yeah two counts uh this liberty is attempted first degree statutory rape attempted first degree statutory sexual offense so yeah um okay no there's multiple okay it, looking at the actual sex offender page um not all of them are attempted most of them are listed as attempted not all okay still terrible yeah terrible stuff uh, good lord we continue. Well, the, <laughs> honestly, this is fairly light by comparison. Yeah, but still, good God. Rachel May Fernandez was arrested on February 28th for allegedly carrying a concealed weapon in a wrestling show in an high school in Clinton, South Carolina. Apparently, a janitor at high school spotted the weapon backstage and called the police. Not coincidentally, Manny starts wrestling primarily in the Northeast not long after this. <laughs> yeah. Good lord, oh. wrestlers. So maybe if not for this arrest, maybe homicide and, lo- and his students don't end up being good. That's possible. So I guess we can thank, thank Manny for carrying a concealed weapon into a wrestling show for uh, a lot of these things happening to people. Yeah, and so. well, now we have actual new dimension wrestling. Yeah. They ran a National Guard armory on February 28th in Burlington, North Carolina. We are opening a match at the Grave Digger over Gary DiBiase by disqualification. So we have a ripoff Undertaker over Gary DiBiase. So, okay, so, so let, let's let's think about this. So we have what was the other fake DiBiase we had recently? Or fairly Day, recently? It was it was a Don Don, Don DiBiase. DiBiase. Okay, so we've got Gary and Don DiBiase, uh, Dave Mysterio, Dave Patera. Yes. Who else? Oh, there's other ones. That just, yeah. But Shane Shamrock. <laughs> I don't know if he was supposed to be a relative, though. I think Irish. I don't think none of these guys are relatives, supposed to be relatives either. They're just yeah. using the name. None of them? Okay. I mean. But anyway, Terminator 1 over Alan Ray. Oh, and of course, you're t- of course, we're finally getting away from all the depressing stuff, and you bring up Shane Shamrock. <laughs> Alan Rage by disqualification. Surge with Victoria Michaels over Champagne. So Matt Hardy over Marty Garner. Light heavyweight time match. Will the Wisp beat the Lumbee Warrior to win the championship? So Jeff Hardy under a mask over not Tatanka. Yeah. Foxy Lady over Holly Michaels. NDW heavyweight title Mad Max with Victoria Michaels over Ricky Nelson. Jimmy Valiant with a double disqualification with Rick Link. And then Gravedigger won the Battle Royal. Can you imagine what Jimmy Valiant versus Rick Link looked like in 1998? <laughs> Oof. Yeah. All right. The Atlanta Georgia Constitution on February 27th had a restaurant review of Abdul the Butcher's House of Ribs of Chinese Food in Atlanta. They praised the ribs but said the Chinese food was run of the mill, <laughs> which was always the thing about that place. Um, when people went there, it was always talking about how good the ribs were. When the ribs about Chinese food that much, but what was your impression of uh, Abdul the Butcher's House of Ribs and Chinese food? 
Mm, it was alright. What did you prefer? So, ribs? I didn't eat Chinese food, so. Oh, you had the Chinese food? No. Oh, okay. I misheard you. Um, I'm pulling up the review because I'm curious. Let's see. No ribbing. The butcher can cook, too. Oh, God. And we have a photo of uh, some, what is this, ribs with, uh, oh, ribs with potato salad and onion-flecked baked beans. Yes, yeah, that's, that's the way you do it yourself, yes. All right. So let's see. The wrestling fans in the group were bouncing off the ropes with excitement. Yeah. The health department's going to put Abdullah the Butcher down for the count. Okay. We were off to see Abdullah the Butcher, the wild man of the Sudan, practitioner of the stare, eater of paper and light bulb, master of silent intimidation, and of late restaurateur. Okay, I'm skipping ahead to the actual food review. Um, they didn't have any shirts uh, in stock. When they when the reviewer went, uh, okay, we are happy to make do with dinner. Ribs and chicken are smoked in fifty-five gallon drums in a small building just outside the restaurant, covered in a sweet smoky sauce. The half chicken was falling off the bone tender, and the best bite of the night. Slab of pork ribs, fifteen forty-nine, is the cost. Uh, came close, moist and with little fat, disappeared quickly despite a noticeably salty flavor on a few of the ribs. Barbecue dinners come with two vegetables and slices of wheat bread. Six forty nine for ribs, five ninety nine for a half chicken, or a la carte. Sweet onion flecked baked beans and fresh collard greens were standouts. The fried okra is a good choice too. To go orders, packed in styrofoam boxes, were still warm after a thirty minute drive. We'd skip the run of the mill Chinese food next time and pass on the desserts too. But you wouldn't have to count to three to send us back to Abdullah's for another round of barbecue. And then the uh, quick notes, they give the address, which, was he always in the same place, or did he have a few locations over the years? I mean, he had multiple locations, but he had one, you know, main spot. So this is on uh, Fairburn Road, and uh, price range, three forty nine to six ninety nine for barbecue or Chinese dinners, $0.99 cents to three twenty nine for sandwiches, Fifteen forty nine for a whole slab of ribs, and they were open uh, eleven to nine Monday through Thursday, eleven to ten Friday through Saturdays, closed on Sundays, and uh, cash only as well. Yes. So there you go, Abdullah's house of ribs. All right, I'd be myself had a double header. They ran Louisville, Kentucky, at the Bad House of the Mid South. So wait, which one is the Mad House of the Mid South? Is that the Kmart building or? Or something else. I don't know. All right, Corporal Robinson over Sharp Boy in your opener. Best of seven series, match one, three-way dance, Chariot the Great over American Kickboxer and Suicide Kid. Dutch Mantel over Mad Mad Pondo. Bull Payne over Chip Fairway. Wolfie D over Sean Casey. And Bad Breed, Axel Ian Rotten over Doug Gilbert and Flash Flanagan. Okay, before we even get to the next night... There's no way that Ian booked a three-way best-of-seven series without at least one double pin, right? And this is, I don't know. He may not have had that going on at this point in time. It's the late 90s. Okay, if you say so. Let's move on to the next night in Lexington. Corporal Summer Clash Cash Flow. Best-of-seven series match two. Three-way. Suicide Kid over in Kickboxer. Terry the Great. Sean Casey over Sharp Boy. Bullpen over Chip Fairway. Flash Flag over Ian Rotten. And Axelrod retained the IWM inside headway title, beating Man Man Pondo. 
So there's some early NWA shows for you and some interesting locales. Yeah. Music. Did... Oh, go ahead. I was about to move on, but go ahead. I was going to say, when is Ian's Eddie Memorial show? Because that's 98. No idea. They have the TV anyway, at this time, don't they? Don't know. Music City Wrestling, Tennessee Volunteers, Steve Dunn and Reno Riggins won the Music City Southern Tag Titles being Ladies Night Out, Shane Eden and French Riviera on February 28th in Lebanon, Tennessee. Well, that's nice. And it's uh, February 13th for Ian's show. So I wonder if that has anything to do with the drama. Excuse me, March 13th. So I wonder if that has anything to do with the drama earlier. Possible. Casino Championship Wrestling. Yes. Which will become Power Pro Wrestling. February 26th in Lula, Mississippi at Casino Pavilion for 250 fans. We have Bobby Braun over the Yellow Jacket, a.k.a. Kevin Lawler, with Phil Narosa opener. Ready to be fine. And Johnny Rotten over Jared Nikilano, Psycho Sid, by his qualification. Before the match, Lawler came out and said that Sid got pulled over by the police in Tunica, Mississippi and wouldn't be there. Mr. Quartermain, the manager of Flying and Rotten, demanded, Sid, demanded Lawler wrestle alone against both men. Seven minutes into the handicap match, Sid ran out wearing blue jeans. He had fine and right with a chair several times with a ref call for disqualification. Tony Williams over Lance Jade had usually retained as a weapon. Superstar Bill Dundee over Tracy Smothers on a stall fest. He inter- entertained my word by Smothers who drew good heel heat with the crowd. And he had Smothers to confront Andre got a strong and clock Dundee in the head and got the victory. And Johnny Rotten eliminated Jerry Law to win a TMN Battle Royal, including everyone from the card and Carl Fergie, to win $2,000. Lawler eliminated Rotten first, but referee downtown Bruno didn't see it. After the match, Lawler said Mr. Quartermain is a license to be a wrestler. So next week, Rotten Fine and Quartermain went to face Lawler and Sid in the main event. Hmm. So and there's uh, the genesis of Power Pro Wrestling. No appearance, though, by promoter Randy Hills. No. So, when did they start running these shows? When did they start? Yeah, was it like right after USWA closed, or... Like more like beginning of '98. I don't know the uh, exact time. So yeah. I wonder anyway. how some of these people ended up here, like Lance Jade. You know, like the only known Ultimate University uh, graduate. Like it's one thing when they're running a regular like TV and whatever that this random person shows up here, but you know, I mean, everyone else here is like a, someone we know is an existing local. So I, I gotta think he's originally from Memphis area, right? Just found his way there. So now let's close out with everyone's favorite world championship wrestling. And a lot going on on this week. It was a missing piece in the ultimate puzzle that was expected to be a small mainstream stir. But the end result was that Sting regained the vacant WCF heavyweight title, no doubt temporarily, being Hulk Hogan in the main event of Super Bowl on February 22nd at the Cow Palace in San Francisco. The show drew a sellout crowd of 12,620. 11,954, paying a new city record gate of 310,974, plus 127,312 in merchandise to the outdated facility, which is probably one of the world's most famous restaurants. Okay. I was queuing something up and I thought I had pressed mute. Notice that Dave is calling (laughs) the Cow Palace outdated in 1998, and yet it's still being used as a venue for wrestling. It's dynamite and ramp. Is it, wait, Dynamite and Rampage? No, I think it's just Dynamite for the week of the paper. 25 years ago, it was outdated, and we're still there. (laughs) And it's not the main arena. It's not used for everything. I think the reason AEW's running it is just to say they ran the Cow Palace. Yeah. You know, because the rest of the week is at the newer arenas. But 
It was a typical WCW show on the positive side. The booking of top few matches were better than usual, which someone made up for the fact that the rest of those matches was not existent. On the negative side, the undercar, while okay, was not a level of some of the better WCW events. Dave saw it was a good but not great job, which seems to have been the general consensus. The crowd heat was solid but not spectacular, but it's weird reacting to a weird reacting crowd as it still seemed like San Francisco was what you call an XWF city, and it wasn't so much a heel crowd as much as a crowd of the CDXWF folk, most of whom are already sort of heels. In the lone dart match, Ultimo Dragon beat Shiru. Kasayashi, the former mentioned Okafor wrestler, now works for Azteca. They're both WF WCW. Had expressed interest in over the past few weeks. The only reports Dave heard was that it was disappointing. And those Dave's not at this show, which is interesting because it, it's San Francisco the Cow Palace. So, and it's big pay per view. Well, in that era, especially, he was big on the I'm better off covering the pay per view thing. I mean, yeah, but he'd go to TV tapings and stuff like that. I mean, he would go, so I don't know. Yeah. All right, open a batch. Booker T won the WCW television title from Rick Martell in 1023. Martell walked to the ring in a heel persona smirking. He blew out his knee early in the match, believed it had been a torn medial collateral ligament. The two ended up working a fairly good match, which had a lot more heat than the previous matches between the two. At one point, Martell got the boss of crab on. There was a huge pot when Booker made the ropes. He had a lot of near falls. Until Martell came out top rope across body block, but Booker caught him coming down with a Harlem side kick for the finisher. Two and three quarter stars. Okay, so... Testament well, to Rip Martell for for working this match with a torn MCL. Pretty much the whole match, yeah. And not that it's an injury you can't come back from in 1998, but I think at his age, he probably just said, screw it. You know, he tried to make this big comeback... And someone being fairly careless, as we'll see, badly hurts him. And at this point, I think he's successful enough with his real estate investments and stuff. That... He decided to quit. Yes, this time he's the one who quit. So let's watch this hip toss, shall we? Yeah. Edge here to Martel. Both men, of course, have been recognized as world tag team champions in the past. That's a way to phrase that. Irish whip to the other turnbuckle. And he hit very, very hard. Once again, acknowledging the fans here. And that's not a bad thing to do, but sometimes uh, the timing may be off for that. So he hit the ropes right on his right leg. Yeah, I'm just now seeing it, too, the way this video is going in super slow motion. That's weird. (laughs) Well, I mean, screen share is what it is, but I'll try again with the sound off. I mean, it was. This is worse than it's ever been. Well, I have I, to do it through the. Remember, I have to do it through the VPN, so that alters things. But you've also been lagging a lot more lately too, with on audio. So I don't know. But anyway. Yeah. So did you see it though? Yeah, I saw it. I mean, it don't look anything out of the way. Well, it's that he hits the ropes like that though. Yeah, but it doesn't look like anything that's out of the out of the way different than anything else. I get what you're saying. You know? If not for his reaction and knowing Wouldn't that he got hurt, it would look like it was something that was a little Oh no, now I see it. It's you can't it's hard <laughs> he, to see. He the hit person. the rope. No, but you see his leg twist in a way that is not noticeable the first couple times you watch it. Oh, um, he overshot him. 
which I mean, it seems so the way because he blamed Booker. So I guess the idea is Booker, and I get where he's coming from. Booker kind of threw him at an angle because Booker starts in the opposite corner. It's not like he doesn't have room, but he doesn't go straight towards the other corner with it. And it also looked like he might have taken an extra step, too. So, And yeah. you can tell Martell's hurting. But he's, he's an admirable He's job. shaking it off. Yeah. I mean, it's get, he's moving better as he goes along. Yeah. But I saw someone mention recently that this whole Rick Martell comeback run that we've talked about, how great it was for the past 25 years, it's like a month. Yeah. And... I think the reasons that it's been spoken of so highly, I think it's a couple things. I don't think anyone had any real expectations for him, was part of it. And I think also, though, not that he'd been bad, but in terms of just consistent good matches, this was probably better than he'd been for most of his heel WWF run. You know, we're only going by yeah. a month, but it's not like the praise was unwarranted. Well, I mean, in WWF, he's not known for having great matches. It's just a gimmick. Yeah. He's like DiBiase. So, but we know what he could do. Like DiBiase. Yeah. He never so. looked washed, though, like DiBiase was looking towards the end of his run. No. No. And his work probably got better with the drug testing, actually, because he wasn't so huge anymore. Yeah, there's that, too. Well, Booker won done. He pinned Perry Saturn next, the fourteen twenty three to retain the title. Saturn jumped in the ring, put the ring of Saturn on immediately, but Booker made the ropes. Saturn got seven and falls early. Both guys worked hard, but they were blown missed time spots as well. After a Pescado, Saturn hit a Vader bomb on the floor, but sold like his bad knee, left knee was blown out. He sold a knee big the rest of the match, although in reality, he was fine after the match. Booker did an awesome dry kick off the top at one point. Saturn threw a lot of big suplexes out, but the matches went, match went long, and they were getting much heat. Saturn used to quit Broadway in the ring, but then there was miscommunication as both went for moves at the same time, and you had the time standstill hesitation. Finally, Saturn went for a power slam, but his knee buckled. Booker came back with an axe kit, but missed a Harlem hangover. Saturn came back with a normal suplex and German suplex, but Booker got the fall after a side kick start a half. Excuse me, start a quarter. So, uh, yeah. Uh, not, not, as good as it could have been, for sure. So, there's that. Yeah. All right. Well, we need to remember, too, like, Saturn is performing admirably, but at this point, he's still shaking off the effects of that knee injury he's working through. He's still kind of adjusting at this point. But he's not hurting here. It's just part of a cell job. It's just, no, I mean, it's more just he's changing his style and all that. Yeah. Disco Inferno beat La Parca in Lamp 41. Weird match in that the work itself was good, but the crowd sees these two as Nitro undercard wrestlers and was bored with them in three minutes. At that point, they were a boring chance as they were doing high spots. Parker threw a chair at him at the bell, hit, later hit a course screw tope. Parker did a lot of dancing. When the crowd didn't react to it, he did funny mannerisms, making fun of the audience. Parker threw a lot of high kicks, or well, a lot of kicks, with a snap to him before getting near followed a lot of my straw. Parker held a lengthy chin lock trying to build the heat for Disco, but that didn't work either. Parker did another tope, but later missed a shoulder block, hit the post. Disco came back with a reverse time and drop. Well time clothesline, swinging that breaker for near fall. Referee Scott Dickinson saw it as if he'd been thumbed in the eye, and Parker brought a chair into the ring. 
After a lot of struggling, Disco slammed Parker on the top rope when he crashes the chair, hit the chart buster from the finish. Naturally, the finish being Steve Austin's move got the huge pop, two and a quarter stars. Wasn't the story always that they gave Disco the stunner as an FU to Austin, feeling that the stunner was a ripoff of the diamond cutter, even though DDP and Austin were cool? Something weird like that, right? Um, I think there's some to that. But my thing is, is this goes to what Dave was talking about. You have two guys in your side, WF guys, so the fans are shit on the match. Hmm. And this is when LaPark, I mean, is getting some, you know, some spotlight. Yeah. And I remember watching this live and, you know, being a big LaParka fan and just like the crowd, it's, that's pissed me off because. I mean, Parker's doing, I mean, they were, this is okay. He was doing good stuff. Parker's doing his shtick. And there's like, whatever. It's just stupid. Well, at first but, half of 98 is like the peak of the chairman era of him being yeah. really over. So but the crowd wasn't into that. So, wasn't WF. All right. JJ Dillon came out for an interview and said that no charges had ever been brought against St. Patrick. And after reviewing the tapes, they saw no evidence of raw doing. And he was reinstated. Patrick still had like a heel, even though he kissed Gene Oakland and hugged Dylan. Patrick didn't know he was going to ref the main event, but Dylan said he was, wasn't going to ref the main event. Then Patrick wanted to find out about his back pay. The original plan here was to get a famous lawyer from the most famous trial in recent history involved, who would show up the pay-per-view and legally bully Dylan in the reinstating Patrick from the main event, rather than Dylan having to basically reverse positions with no logical reason at all, other than the logic of Patrick never fast-counting in the first place. Johnny Cochran was the first choice. But when that didn't materialize, they completed a deal for Robert Shapiro. Dave said, I'm not making this up. Anyway, a few days before the show, Shapiro must have been talking with someone about doing it. And the person told Shapiro how associating with pro wrestling would affect his image. So he backed out last minute, leaving WCW no way to transition from angle A to angle C. After Shapiro nixed the idea, WCW made a last-ditch attempt to get Cochran, who claimed to have liked the idea and would have been willing to do it. But darn those previous commitments. Okay, here's the thing that's so stupid about this. Okay, you didn't get the famous lawyer you wanted. Throw someone on TV as his lawyer and just do the angle anyway so it makes sense. <laughs> well, didn't they already have Alan Sharp as his lawyer? They did do that, didn't they? <laughs> so they've already had done that. WCW, everybody. So, hmm. And also... I love that you represented OJ and helped him get away with murder, but pro wrestling's going to be bad for your image. They should have got Robert Kardashian. Did people realize in 98 yet that Kardashian didn't actually do anything? Yeah, but he was famous for being OJ's personal lawyer. Hmm. Well, he wasn't his personal lawyer. He was his friend. He was brought on the defense well, team, it's believed, because so they could try to invoke privilege in terms of the whole did... Kardashian help him get rid of the murder weapon unknowingly thing. Or whatever it was. Well, I mean... I guess. I don't know. I mean... They didn't try Barry I mean, Sheck? <laughs> Effley Bailey? Um, what's it, why am I forgetting what's his face? Uh, what's his face? Um, Jeffrey Epstein's buddy. Um, why am I forgetting his name? Oh, for the defense, the dream team? Yeah, the the Jewish fella from Harvard. Uh, Dur uh, uh, Alan Dershowitz. Thank you. 
They should just got Chris Darden. <laughs> oh, Jesus. Or Marsha Clark. Well, Darden's definitely in private practice at this point, right? I don't remember if Clark went right to private practice. But... Holy shit, I forgot that Robert Kardashian, uh, before he married Chris, was uh, with Priscilla Presley. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Okay. Interesting. And that would have been around the time that Elvis was with Linda Thompson, who was Bruce become Bruce Jenner's wife. <laughs> Boy, there's a lot of uh, yeah, interesting that's uh, a heck of a social circle there. So a lot of going on here. <laughs> All right, so back to Super Bowl. I mean, yeah, they've already done Alan Sharp as the attorney, so they could have just brought him back. But they he don't even good in need that to role. use Alan Sharp. They could just use anyone. <laughs> Yeah, but they already had Alan Sharp, and he's there, so why not? Anyone's right. good at it, yeah. But Bill Goldberg beat Brad Armstrong in the 223 unannounced match. Goldberg added an overhead front suplex to his front arsenal. Armstrong uses rested leg sweep, which Goldberg no saw before going to the finish. It was what it needed to be, one star. Overhead front suplex is what? His, like, front face lock suplex thing? Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. They had to get him on this show because you, you're starting to you know, build that momentum. You got to get him on. Yes. Yes. You got to find a way to get him on there. Yeah. All right, next, WCW Cruiserweight title. Chris Jericho retained the title and winning the mask of Hooven to go down in 13-29. Hoovy, who was really upset about losing his mask under these circumstances, wore a Hoovy forever on his tights. It was easy the best match on the show. Hoovy at one point did a springboard to a flying head scissors on the floor, which was too dangerous of a spot. Crowd got in the Hoovy's hard chops. Jericho tried German suplex, but Hoovy landed on his feet, went for her Karana. Jericho turned into a hot shot. Jericho did a springboard drop kick down on the floor, then a running leap off the steps, but Hoovy turned into his own hot shot off the guardrail. Hoovy tried springboard block, but Jericho turned into a tombstone pile driver. Hoovy came off the top rope for head scissors, but Jericho called him, dropped backwards with him. Jericho was on the top rope, but Hoovy dropped kicked and sent him out of the ring onto the steps. Hoovy followed with Air Hoovy, sideways body block dive into the ring, followed with a tombstone 450 splash. Jericho got his hand on the ropes. The ref counted the fall and sent him for the bell. And the rest of his hand on the ropes, he had to restart. Two went back and forth with great near falls and reversals. The highlight being when Hoovy reversed Jericho's lion tamer into a front cradle. At that point, Hoovy went for a hood Conrado, but Jericho caught him midair and turned into a lion tamer for the submission. Hoovy unmasked, and there was a noticeable female pop when his mask came off. But like a Mexico, the Amaskin wasn't really emphasized at all, nor did he mention his real name and reveal his identity. The reason Hoovy at first kept his hair in front of his face when he unmasked was because he wanted to hide the fact he was crying, particularly when he said how much he loved his father, since this really was a big deal to him and his family. You know, WCW doesn't give a rat's ass about wrestling or family tradition anywhere else. Three and three quarter stars. All right, let's watch the finish and we'll talk about it. He's got a win out of it. A couple of firsts. First time anyone survived the 450. <laughs> Super Brawl logo. He couldn't take it anymore. Nowhere to go. Chris Jericho is still the Cruiserweight champ. And now Hubertu Guerrero must take off the mat. Let's get a look at the kisser on this guy. You know, Paul. Why they don't have the right music for him? Well, here's the thing. Here's the thing. Here's the thing. Well, they're not going to play that Pearl Jam knockoff. Is that. Thank God that he. 
Well, that's got to be one where it's so close, and that's why they don't use it. I got to think because thank God he didn't use. Yeah, but thank God he didn't use Judas in WWE. They'd be using that shit. Uh, <laughs> I, thank God I doesn't hear that enough as it is. One thing I always find funny about these dubs though is they don't use the version he used to break the walls down for most of his run there. They use the one he used for the first like month or two. But it, you know, the one thing about this edit though is it they do it pretty seamless into the thing. You wouldn't even know if it was. Uh, that was on his theme. The it's one of it's weirdly one of the better music edits they do. Yes, it comes always comes out very well. If it wasn't if it wasn't so yeah. incongruous that the song does not exist yet, no, yeah, it wouldn't jump out that much. Yeah, all right, here we go. Tonight, guys, we earned that victory. Wants to see the face. We all do. Ladies and gentlemen. Jericho-holics, I'm still the champ, and I dedicate this win to all of you lovable, happy Jericho-holics. And he's fresh into this turn. Hey, Hoovy, you're forgetting something. Come on, Hoovy, take off your mask, bro. Bro. Would it be something if it was Oakland under there? Let's see what you got there. Quasi juice. I, I don't think. I don't think the issue Come here. Come on, quasi forever. Is what he looks like or who it is. The Ladies fact and is gentlemen, that he's unmasked please, is the issue here. If you have a weak heart, I love you. or if you get sick easily, please close your eyes or leave the building now, because this guy is ugly. Take that mic away, mic away from him. You don't have to stay. You can leave if you want. You know how hard this has Come to on, be for Hooven Dude to have to do this? Come on! This is taking far too long here. Hey, we're talking about tradition and heritage here. And he just rips it off his face. And our first look ever at the face of Hooven Guerrera, the man under the mask. Has to be very difficult for Hooven Guerrera at this point. Probably feeling like he let the family, the tradition down. Well, he looked in the but, camera and said, I love you, and I'm sure he was talking to his father and his family there. Uh, we have a look at it this way. Now when he's delivering pizzas, everybody will know him. It's not funny. And there's still a great athlete, though, mask or not, in Juventud Guerrero, guys. Former Cruiserweight champ. And he loses the mask here tonight. We've seen history in the making, and here we go again there, Weaver. Take it to uh, I mean, we talked about this before. That's the best thing that happened to him. Was losing that mask. You can quibble yeah, really. with how they did it, but yeah. I mean, best thing happened for him. And as soon, I mean, as soon as he took it off, I remember I, I was at a friend's house, and uh, everybody, the thing was like, "Wow, this guy is a, is a good looking dude." <laughs> you know, I mean. He's, you know, he's got potential without that mask. And yeah, we see how his career went without it, you know? It was different when Ray lost his mask because Ray looked like a little kid, you know? Because Ray has that, I mean, his face looks like a little kid. And the way he is. Just the style. Like Dominic. Dominic. Dominic looks like a little kid, in a way. I wouldn't say that, but I get what you're saying. Um, But... 
Yeah, well, and Ray has more the, the superhero thing going and everything. Like, Hoovy works a different style. Hoovy. Yeah. You know, I, I mean, Hoovy. He had the hair. Well, yeah, Ray the didn't hair, have the hair. Like, particularly once Hoovy was a baby face, the mask was holding him back. Yeah, but I mean, yeah, the the, the hair is a big thing too. He had that long hair, you know, and he, like I said, it definitely helped him. He wouldn't have been nearly as big if he hadn't lost that mask. No. So, the one decision Eric Bischoff made regarding masks that worked out. <laughs> so, thank God they had second thoughts about the whole thing where they did the Eddie Guerrero says an unmasked luchador stole his wallet and makes them all unmasked for the cops thing because the original idea for that was everyone was going to be unmasked on camera. Yeah. Anyway, next match, Dave Boy Smith beat Mongo and Michael in 6-10. Mongo went to the match with a legitimate broken wrist of forearm. To explain the injury, did this match where Mongo punched the ring post, and Davey smashed the hand on the steps and guardrail for putting the wrist lock on. The finish was exactly the same as the Guy Masker Satoshi Shigawa match on the December 20th Pancreas show, where Davey told him to submit because his arm was going to break, and Mongo refusing to finally the ref stop the match. After the match, Mongo was furious, claiming he never submitted, and shoved Scott Dickinson down. That part obviously didn't occur in the Pancreas match. As usual, Michael was awful. Dud. Well, I mean, he's. I mean, Mongo was not good, but then you had he was injured on top of it. I mean, yeah. And he's wrestling this version of Davy Boy. Yeah, who's come back way too early from his injury. Yes, and as I think we discussed on the Montreal shows. Coming back from the knee surgery so early seems like it was what really sent him in his spiral the next year or so. I mean, you know, the, yeah. ob obviously, from a physical perspective, the back injury on the trapdoor is what really exacerbates things. But as far as his painkiller consumption getting worse and his performances getting worse and all that, that seems to happen around this time and also... These two became fast friends, and it tells had to do with their drug consumption. Yeah, sadly, and poor Mongo. Mm. Now, Davy does not look like a. He does not look like the Walking Dead here. He's just. He's still looks you know with it. He just is not performing well. Yeah. Diamond Dallas Page retained U.S. title. Pinning Chris Benoit fifteen forty six. First five minutes saw. The two trade moves, with Benoit nearly getting crossface before the hole was applied. Page ran the robes. Page went for a diamond cutter, but Benoit slipped out and left the ring. At that point, the two started brawling and turned to a good batch. Crowd didn't seem to react, as none of these guys were former WWFers. Towards the finish, things picked up with Page in a suplex off top rope and the clothes on top for near falls. Benoit came back with a crossface with Page in the ropes. Page hit a belly to belly. For near fall, Benoit came back with three rolling German suplexes for near falls. When Page kicked out the third German, the crowd actually booed up, and it would be a, a win. Page had DDT for near fall, and then got the pin after a diamond cutter. Three and a quarter stars. I mean, that tells you how this crowd is. If the crowd doesn't know how, I mean, we're 1998, and they don't know how to react to Diamond Dallas Page. So, who are these people that are going to Super Brawl that aren't watching Nitro at all? They don't know DDT. Or, they're not watching the product at all. No, they're not because he's on TV all the time. They're what they're watching, they're watching Hogan segments. And that's they're it. watching Piper. Piper, when Piper was around, staying. 
they're watching the people they know from WF. Which thing with WF, but still, Sting's in a Hogan program. But all outsiders, of the, all of the fans willing to buy tickets in this market, to the or at least a vast majority, to the point that they don't know how to react to one of the most pushed baby faces on the show. That's weird. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, we've seen that in other places, you know, over the years where they'll go to a market and the only people that gets the big, big reaction are people they see as stars, ex-WWE guys and stuff, you know? Mm-hmm. So, Okay, so here's the other thing, though. He just got out of a program with Savage. Wouldn't these be people? Wouldn't these fans be watching his programs with and thus no DDP? You would think. It's just weird. I don't get it. Who knows? All right. Speaking of Savage, Lex Luger beat Randy Savage in seven twenty six on their DQ match. Luger's ribs were all taped up, son. The injury from being attacked on Thursday. So Savage is facing a guy with taped up ribs. What a surprise! To sell the deal, Luger went for a press slam early, but the ribs gave out, and he dropped Savage and began selling. Savage, who was not that conscious now for Thunder started and was still unconscious when it came time for the main event three hours later, wasn't selling any effects from the same said beating. Fans are told for Savage, a chanting Luger sucks. Perhaps the biggest pop of the entire show came when Luger racked Savage and Elizabeth did run in, raking Luger's eyes. At this one, the NWB team, Bagwell, Vincent, Scott Norton, and Brian Adams did a run in, but Luger and Savage teamed together to fight them off. The bell rang at this point, which made no sense. There's no DQ match. Hogan then showed up, and Luger racked Savage again. Hogan told the NWA group not to interfere, and he wanted to see Savage get beat. And Savage submitted, and the bell rang for a second time. There was never an explanation of why the bell rang the first time. Three quarters of a star. Weird. Let's say weird booking of this whole thing here. I mean, you know what? Just in general, and a lot of this can probably be chalked up to uh, Kevin Sullivan's issues at the time. Whatever you want to say about it being WCW and having all your WCW moments, the booking gets a lot less functional in 98. Yeah. Like, it's falling it apart it, much more. It it was desperately time to have somebody else take over. Like Paul Worthen Taylor. You mean performance center, uh, what is he, assistant coach slash trainer, Paul <laughs> Worthen Taylor? Yes. All right. Next, the Outsiders. Kevin Nash and Scott Hall regained the WCW Tag Titles, beating the Steiners in 416. Fans were into the match with Hall and Nash getting the totally positive reaction. Of course. This wasn't a match at all, just a backdrop for an angle with Scott Steiner going heel. The angle itself was really good. Scott had come out looking mad and teasing a turn big time. After knocking the Outsiders out of the ring, Rick was running around kneeling on the ground like a dog with Scott on top of him. Scott then turned on him with a huge light bait face reaction. He also dead Ted DiBiase. He was then posted by Dusty Rhodes. What a sentence. Hall went to pin Rick, who kicked out the first time, then falls out of the corner. Scott went and tagged him. He ended up being overpowered. Hall went for the outside. Yeah, Scott stayed in the corner. Hall went for the outsider edge, uh, but the simple couldn't lift him up the first time. Got him a second time for the pin. Scott Steiner threw Scott Dickinson down, who seemed to have, have bad night at this point. Out of the ring. Funny thing, it was at the cheering his turn when Scott gave the NWA hand signal and climbed the ropes. The crowd booed him heavily. Go figure. Starting a quarter. Let's watch uh, the end of the Steiner brothers here. And there's nobody to save Rick Steiner. 
Uh, I think you're way ahead here where you need to be. Yeah, I thought I was in the right place. Because the, yeah, the, well, the turn happens early in the match, and they keep going. Okay, that's okay. That's what I had forgotten. That wait, is he? It, and Scott okay, so stands in the corner. To... He stands in the corner. This was so stupid. Okay, but is he turned? Turned or is he? Yeah, he jumped on him. Okay, so okay, you wanted me to. Okay, now I thought we were looking at the finish. Okay, now. I, uh, well, the turn takes place early. Oh, it's a in the short match. match too. Okay. Yeah, I'm looking at the timestamps clip more closer now. Also, I forget they're the tag champs here. <laughs> yeah, that's another stupid thing. Oh God, I always hate the losing the tag titles for yourself thing when you turn on partner. Okay, so I guess go here. It's when Rick kneels down the. He does the thing where he poses like the dog, and Scott gets on top of him. All right, so let's go here. I guess. Gotcha. The Steiner brothers, Rick, a little tentative here. I don't blame him. Against the Outsiders and uh, Scott Hall to start things. Well, toothpick to the face, but it has no match for a fist to the face. And Steiner backs away from Nash as they now work in uh, different quarters, both he and Scott Steiner. Not gonna be able to shoulder block him down, I can tell you that. He's built like a fire plug. Look at this. It, it almost. Oh, there's a Steiner line. Put him on his wallet. It almost seems if Rick Steiner loves pain. Jumped up in the air, crashing down to the mat. Goes Rick Steiner with Scott Hall in his clutches. Hall up. See, Hall looked. They, they changed quarters on him there. Hall looked around as if he thought Scott Steiner was there, but he was not. And Hall shrugs him off, but Rick Steiner, the dog, they scramble. Uh, so Scott is already doing the going back and forth between corners thing. Yeah. Even before the turn. Okay. Yeah. Could have maybe tried to skip ahead a little bit. So punches in the corner. Overhead belly to belly, which came close to being a disaster, but looked okay. Okay. All right, here we go, here we go, here we go, here we go. Yeah, I'm going back. All right. Coming in. Ducky low, Rick Steiner. Now let me ask you the magic question here. If the opportunity arises, will Kevin Nash go for the powerbomb? Another $50,000. I think he will. There you see the Steiners. One of their trademark poses in the ring, daring the opponent to get in. Rick and Scott. I say to that power bomb question, yes. Oh, what did I just see? He, he double-axed his own brother. What in the world did I just see? You gotta be kidding! I knew there was something wrong. I could smell it. Man, he's like, no way. I mean, look at the crowd. This is this is beyond cover. Oh, he's the DiBiase. DiBiase. Scott Steiner has snapped. Can you imagine the Steiner's family at home watching this? Can you imagine this? Dusty Cut the throat of his brother. That's right, his own family. One, two, three. He, he got... Okay, yeah, why is that not the finish? <laughs> the match keeps going. 
And also... With Scott you, walking the corners! You really see with the turn, and both the fans cheering and the, the way they jump up, tons of NWO shirts and pro-NWO fans in the crowd on hard cam. Well, I mean, this is... A, well, what do you expect? It's XWF. I mean, no, they have fans. But even by the standards of, like, a partisan WCW crowd of this era, that's a lot of NWO shirts. Yeah. Okay, so am I skipping ahead to... I mean, I think we pretty much had it, just about. To whatever happens after? We, I mean, I mean, we just... Uh, yeah, I mean... It's over. <laughs> we got the turn. They just win the match. See, all right. I mean, you can do it now if you want to un 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 unmute it, yeah. Well, a referee is shoved down. Scott Steiner, that's not a first. That's not a, we have seen that repeatedly. I mean, three guys. Jesse Rhodes and Scott Steiner doing the click on. They got the Scott Steiner. Well, Scott doesn't know how to do it. They got to a tag team. They got to a man's family. They came between a man and his family. That's powerful. That is very powerful. That shows how far reaching their influence is. My question is, I don't know if we'll ever know the answer. Had it happened a long time ago, was this part of a major plan, a major conspiracy? You know what? Pause. Hmm. Why didn't Dusty just stay with them as the Wolfpack and be like their ma their leader as baby or manager face. as a babyface? Because Scott Scott wasn't involved, I guess. Because he's the he's Scott's guy. But Scott's you know, he's wearing an outsider shirt though. at the big very he's wearing beginning. the outsider shirt and the uh, red and black. But Scott's with them at the beginning of the split. Yeah, but he's gone very early in it. Very, very early. He is, but du but Dusty's not with them after the split. No. So, so. I don't know. Yeah, weird. Weird. Maybe uh, Nash, with his new fashion choices and stuff, was worried that Dusty would get more over with black fans than he could. <laughs> Maybe. All right, so uh, we had the main event next. Sting regained the vacant WC. We talked being Hulk Hogan in 1632. Since Hogan books his own programs, there was no doubt his own assistance to swear the people last minute. But since he was doing the job, he dominated virtually the entire match. The negative of that is his offense is beyond bad. Match was saved by having a very good storyline with a match that is most pathetic. Tony Schiavone screen how this was Hogan at his best. Hogan never left his feet into one three-stage lane bump from reversal atomic drop. Sting with him four times with a belt, but then finally outside the ring, Sting missed a finger splash on the floor and crashed to the guardrail. But back in the ring, Sting used Stinger Splash, got the Scorpion on, but Hogan made the ropes. Sting went for another Stinger Splash, but referee Charles Robinson got caught in the middle, and that was the end of him. Of course, Nate Patrick came running down. While Hogan leg dropped Sting, Patrick counted, and Sting kicked out. Hogan got mad at Patrick for not counting fast. Hogan started throwing punches, and Patrick stopped Hogan from throwing them. Most of match saw Hogan go for pinfalls, not getting them, arguing with Patrick about them. Finally, Sting made a Superman comeback with two Stinger Splashes, went for reverse DDT. On the way down, Hogan kicked Patrick, who went down. At this point, the NWS Stooge squad of Conan, Norton, Bagwell, and Vincent ran out. With Steve taking the ball out. While this was going on, Savage in the ring came to Hogan with a spray can. Patrick revived and counted Sting, pinning Hogan. Hogan sold a blow for several minutes, allowing Sting to spray paint W7 and Hogan's back as the show went off the air. Half a star. Let's watch the finish. So evenly matched. So much on the line. The Sting again. It seems as if every time you think Sting is going to be pounded down into a dirt pile, 
He comes back from the dead. You know what's happening right now? His mind's flashing back to a year and a half ago when this all started. And that's what's bringing new life in the Stinger right now. something. He hit him with something. I believe so. Sting covers on one, two, yes! It's Sting! Oh, yes! It's Sting! Like Jackie Gleason used to say, how sweet it is! Now Sting is up. He's got something in his hand. It's a can of spray paint, isn't it? Yes, it is! Savage, as we saw in the left of our screen, that circled. Here and comes J.J. Dillon. To present him with the title. Great. Oh, what a night. What a night. And now, on behalf of WCW, it's time to get a paint job. And it says WCW, which means for life. Thank you very much. <laughs> if I can steal that one. Ladies and gentlemen, Sting is the undisputed heavyweight champion of the world. And there is Hollywood Hulk Hogan playing flat on the mat, courtesy of that man right there. And we can't deny what has happened here. The problems that have gripped the NWO with the macho man Randy Savage. For them to carry him out, to attack him, to knock him out. Tonight, to leave him hanging out to dry, came back to haunt one man, Hollywood Hulk Hogan, who's still out, I might add. Well, there's an old saying, you live by the madness, you're going to get beat by the madness. What a night it was. Ladies and gentlemen, Sting is the world champ. For Mean Gene, for Iron Mike, our one and only grandpa, I might add, and for Bobby the Brain Heenan, I'm Tony Schiavone. Have a good night, everybody. So we got our credits roll here. Craig Leathers, of course, directing. Christine Johnston is our producer. It's Annette Yeather, senior coordinator. Wendy Turner, Wendy Turnbuckle. Wendy Turnbuckle, yes. Then we got some of these other people in charge here. The Jackie Crockett, Rick Lassiter. Gunner. Ben Tinsley, he was there forever. Rick Little. Um, yeah. Peachtree Lasers, always do business with them. Beyond Belief Productions, mm-hmm. Zane Braslov, Doug Dillinger, Alan Sharp, Lynn Brandt, yeah, Lynn Brandt, Paul Relations, Paul, Paul a. W. w. Taylor, and Janie Engel, yeah, Gary Juster, Mike Weber, Jay Hosman. Uh huh. Did he do any crimes? 
<laughs> on this pay-per-view? Or? <laughs> well, keep going. All right, so, uh, yes. Dave Pava sounds familiar from the website. Yeah. So there you go. It's Keith Mitchell, Supervisor Producer. Nate Lambros, VP Administration. David Crockett, VP Production. David F. Crockett. David F. Crockett. Executive Producer, Craig Leathers. Is he the only one credited twice? Yep. Executive Vice President, Eric Bischoff. Okay. So. Um, Let's be clear about what happened here and what Hogan did. Hogan got out of a clean job that he had agreed to by pulling the Nick Patrick stunt. Mm-hmm. Then when they do their do-over here, mm-hmm. not only is he not doing a clean job, he does it in the way that may, that it's like it's this weird like afterthought in the middle of this brawl, and it makes Sting look as impotent as possible. Yeah, but it, I mean, that's I mean, they, Sting gets the belt back. Which yeah. he should never should have lost. So we got that wrong being righted, and then they fuck it up. Yes. Now, so also, that's the problem. In the grand scheme of like Hogan political moves, though, we talk about it, but in terms of perspective, of the ones we know of, this is the worst. This is him agreeing to a finish to put Sting over and double-crossing Sting and everyone else in the company on the finish. Yeah. You know? And I don't think we think about it in those terms usually, but no, he double-crossed basically everyone. You know, Eric yeah. says now that it was the plan, he doesn't make any sense out of why Nick Patrick wouldn't have fast-counted, how that's an idea, how that makes any sense. But, no. And for whatever complaints they had about Sting not being muscular or tanned enough at Starcade, he's noticeably bigger and more tanned here. Yes. Yes. To the point that he had to get new gear that appears to not be finished because there's no Sting logos or anything on it. Yep. Yep. So. It's WCW, and we still got a lot to go. Oh, yeah. Indication of the Subaru drew a 1.10 buy rate, which would be about... Uh... Two hundred twenty thousand buys, or four point one two million dollar gross, made third straight buy rate of above one point oh. On the normal standards, that number would be considered huge, but it actually fell greatly under expectations since first Hogan Sting Starcade did a one point nine, and internally the company has written a one point six for this show. Particularly to sold out with without either Hogan or Sting on the show, which did over one point oh. So, yeah, Starcade was that deal where I mean. They had that massive buy rate, and they did the finish the way they did it. Who knows what would happen if they would have not done it that like that way and kept Sting as champion, you know? Do you think Sting versus Scott Hall does it at least as well as this yes. show did? Yes. Because it's different. And Scott Hall, Scott Hall is somebody who the fans wanted to be in that spot. And it's the first time they've actually run with him as a singles. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. And, I mean, it, what you do is do Sting and Scott Hall and Hogan and Savage underneath. That's the my main. Right, because you're speeding up Hogan Savage if you don't have the rematch program. Yeah. 
that I mean, you'll think, I mean, think about Sting and Hall and Hogan and Savage underneath. I mean, that's a that's a stout combo right there. So yeah, that would have done a, a, a much better buy rate, I would have thought. Yeah. Also, now I see I need to open the Super Bowl tab back up, seeing that there's something we needed to try to catch on the pay per view <laughs> that wasn't mentioned in the uh, review. Yeah, today uh, the torch had on the Super Bowl preview broadcast of Luger's match with Randy Savage as Luger walked to the bat. The camera caught him spitting at a fan. The camera then quickly cut away. According to a correspondent, the arena, the fan spit back. Luger grabbed the fan and took the dragon with the railing, swearing in and demanded WCB head of security Doug Dillinger bring him to the back. Who knows what kind of treatment? He grabbed the hold of the fan sweatshirt. Dillinger tried to, call, tried to calm Luger down and push him to the back. Dillinger chose not to eject the fan because he saw the entire incident and apparently believed he wasn't the instigator. Okay. Look, as I'm trying to pull this up, as much as we joke about Luger and not making eye contact with fans and hating fans and stuff, what the hell is going on that he's doing this? This is not him. This is not how he acts. To the point of not only spitting on a fan, but spitting on a fan who didn't start it? Luger's got his issues going on, too. So Yeah, I guess this is somewhat early in that. That's got to be a sign of it, because what else, what else would be causing Luger to act this erratically if not for his substance issues? I don't know. Um, huh. And to the point that I mean, not that Doug Dillinger was necessarily the most competent security personnel. All right, here we go. But if he's siding with the fan, I got to think that the fan didn't do anything wrong. You know. Yeah. All but, right. All right. Okay. All right, all right. But it was kind of funny to sit here and watch Luger and Savage side by side. Yeah. Oh. It was, okay, they were very lucky they were cutting to the replay at that moment. Because, I mean, the, the, it's like the fan said something, Luger, and you spat on him. He turned his head back and spat at the fan. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Is that Dillinger what saw it, it looks like? Yeah, Dill and Dillinger's Dill right there. Yeah. Tonight, but it was kind of funny to sit here and watch Luger and Savage side by side. Okay, here's here's how Dillinger knows who's who's in the right. I think Luger accidentally spat at Dillinger because <laughs> Dillinger's right Dillinger, in between them when he, Luger spits. He was right there as it was going on. He turned he turned around and looked and saw what was going on. So, all right, yeah, not not good. Well, fast forward and see if they show it real quick. If they oh, have to see it, if go back anything to that. else. Okay. Yeah. I mean, we go into the replay. Yeah. And then... Not, no, that's when it. When they come back from the replay... The story, of course, how Hogan oh, let's see. Came out. Accidentally show Hogan came out only moments before his matchup. No. And the NWO back away from the Macho Man Randy right. Savage. Savage loses, but I can guarantee you... So there you go. Rip Martell's played out of action for as long as 10 months after blowing on his knee at the cop house. A little bit longer than that. Well, <laughs> okay, I'm curious how long he's paid for. Let's see. If we can get any idea of that, Rick Martell. Um, we don't know what his contract is for, but he's paid a little over 110 grand on it for 1998. He made over 48,097 without working any matches. Not bad. Well, I mean, we know he signed in '97 because of the whole Down Callus thing. Yeah. So, okay, right. so wait a second. He signs in... When does Cal show up in WWF? October? No, or early November? 
Yeah. He must have gotten a pretty sweet contract then. Jeez. Huh. Yeah. Are they paying Rick Martell like three fifty or something like that? I don't know. All right, Nitro. I... Nitro. February twenty third in Sacramento, drew a nearly packed house of twelve thousand three hundred seven. Nine nine fifty seven paying one seventy two nine seventy six. It was among the best ever episodes of Nitro. Show up with Diamond House Page, Book T, Ric Flair, and Bret Hart talking about how disappointed they were with Scott Steiner joined the NWO and turned on his brother. Well, the majority of angles, which are just left to hang on their own, this was really pushed throughout the show as an angle, the equivalent of the Hogan angle. Lex Luger got in the ring. The crowd heavily booed Luger again. And when he brought up Steam beating the Hogan the previous night, there were still more boos than cheers. So Northern California is NWO country. He challenged Scott Steiner. But instead, Kurt Henning and Rick Rude came out. This match only went 90 seconds before Scott Steiner, with blonde hair and a multicolored beard, looking like a cross between a taller Paul Ellering and a shorter John Nord, although most are comparing him with Superstar Billy Graham, interfered for the disqualification. Luger didn't have a match with Scott, which went 39 seconds before Scott busted his eye badly. Cameras pulled away until Bagwell interfered for disqualification. The entire NWB team came out. Rude, Henning, Adams, Vincent, Norton, and Conan destroyed Luger. Until finally, Sting came from the ceiling and everyone left. A whole bunch of WCW guys came in together, both facing heels to attend Luger. It was really funny seeing Barbarian wearing a tie to the ring at the concern, kind of killing its gimmick. <laughs> well, let's go to the uh, clip. Yeah. On the offense, what he's got to do. He took too long. Henning's using the ropes. Hey, sure hey. Who is this? That's Scott Steiner. Look at his head. That's, that's Scott Steiner? That's Scott Steiner? Are you... Someone with blonde hair. Well, nobody has arms like that. Now you're right. And... Oh! That's... Okay, because we had a slight buffering there, I'm going to go back to see how that suplex went because it did not look like it went correctly. Scott Steiner. He turned and he turned and Luger landed face first. That doesn't look like that's Scott's fault necessarily. That looks like Luger having no idea how to take that exploder. Luger turned Luger turned in the air. Yeah. That could have gone much worse. That's Scott Steiner. Yes. That is Scott Would you look at him. They got to him. They brainwashed him. Those are his arms, but look at So Scott Steiner. Characteristic of the NWO with a sneak attack from behind. Can you believe this? This is this is mind-boggling. They're trying to make him look like Hollywood with hair. To see him, to see him out here. Well, it is just the kind of debut that we would expect from a New World Order member from behind. Yes, the attack from behind on Lex Luger, and now refusing to break. Trying to choke Luger down, pounding Luger on the back, and Steiner looks out towards the fans for a chorus of boos. Well, Luger had enough to do with Kurt Henning keeping his eye on Rick Root. Scott Steiner came out of nowhere. Look at this. This a match. Yeah, Steiner goes down. And Luger sitting down with Larry. Oh, the big forearm shot. What is happening? This is not even a matchup. Come out! And the NWO starting from the opening. 
Scott Thunder's face is buffed and Luger are waiting. Probably for that And Steiner cannot defend against this. Look at this. They are holding Rick Steiner for his blood brother. Oh, and he kicked him in the gut. I never expected to see something like this. There's Barbarian in a certain tie. Other members of WCW <laughs> have arrived. Benoit, the Barbarian has come out. The Renegade. There you see the man, new television champ, Booker T. They have all come out to attend. Mark And Rick Steiner. You know, the Mark. You know, they had been mentioning over the past the few weeks about declaring war on WCW. And I understand it's hotter than ever before. Wow. Friends and rivals out there, Tony, even Jimmy Hart. But there's the man with the gold belt in his hand. Sting is the world champ. And as Sting gets the applause Renegade. and the appreciation of his comrades here, Luger being pulled up here on Nitro. Battle lines, yes, they've been drawn like never before. And we've only just been at the guards with the knee brace on. on here in Sacramento. Also, Jimmy Hart in a normal suit with no sunglasses. Mm-hmm. Okay. So shoot. You know what I really like about this? Unlike pretty much a- any other time they did any run-ins to try to stop the NWO, which were also all too rare regardless, it is a cross-section of the locker room. Yeah. Heels and faces. Not just heels and faces. Guys across different spots on the card. Yeah. You know, you got Benoit, you've Luch- got Luchadors, you've got... High Voltage. Barbarian. Like, it's... Why didn't they do this more? <laughs> yeah, and Sting, you know, rappelling down at a deliberate pace. You know, not skyrocketing down. Yeah. Very safely coming down. Yeah. Um. Did they have a dress code? Why is Barbarian wearing such snazzy clothing? He's styling. I guess. But. Well, you know, he, he he's not what people think his gimmick is. I mean, that's open even at this time, because I think it's around then that he does a interview on Long Island on Get in the Ring. And he talks about having an agent. And one of the hosts asks him, wait, do you, a lot of wrestlers have agents? And of course, Barbarian's response is, the smart ones do. <laughs> yeah. They announced the government in Minnesota had declared February 27th as Ric Flair Day. And wouldn't you know it, that's also the day WCB tickets go on sale for the next Minneapolis show. And wouldn't you know it, Flair is scheduled an autograph signing in town to kick off ticket sales. Now, what are the odds of those three's happening all at the same time, independent of one another? Whatever. Who is the governor Amazing. of Minnesota at this point? It ain't Jesse. And whoever it is doesn't run for re-election, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. 
Because because there was no incumbent in that race. No. Diamond Dallas Page beat Hammer with a diamond cutter in 345 to keep the United States title. They must have really practiced this out because it was a good TV pout. What's DDP? We expect. The flung attack page after the match and Chris Benoit made the save. So, there you go. Hulk Hogan and Eric Bischoff came out. Ripped on Nick Patrick. Hogan clearly portraying the belt and staying as secondary to his feud with Savage. And challenged Savage to a cage match at Uncensored. And Savage, in the crowd, accepted. Saying, he, you're not kicking me out of the NWO. I'm kicking you out of the NWO. So, yeah, the, the leader of the NWO is more important than the WCW Championship at this point in time. Great. Which is why they should have did that at Super Brawl. But you know what, though? I say that with Sting and Hall and Hogan and Savage. You know if they would have done that, Sting and Hall wouldn't have been the last match. It would have been Hogan and Savage. You know Hogan was not going to be semi-main. Mm. You know, that, that was not going to happen. So it's probably better they didn't do that. All right, Ultimo Dragon beat Kasuhashi in 417 with a Dragon Sleeper. Uh, she was Shiru before Michinoku Russell, who now works for Maseko about this mask. And now she's totally ignored the match, but it was a very good match with Hayashi looking impressive. Apparently, the reason they used him without a mask is this was his tryout. This is to be on television. If they're impressed, they should, and they should have been, then they could debut him later as Shiru. Not that they push him either way. Of course, the crowd could have cared less. And he never ends up being Shiru in the States. No. Which I guess is because of how charismatic he turned out to be without the mask. Yeah. On top of being a very handsome man. Yes. Uh, Jericho, uh, excuse me, sorry. Benoit beat Raven by DQ in 420 of a good, very good TV match. Raven took great bumps, and Benoit had him pinned at the rolling German suplex when the flock all ran in. Aren't Raven rules all no disqualification? And when they were using all the chairs, it was specifically pointed out that it, this is Raven's rules. Remember, when you watch WCW, you have to leave your brain somewhere else. Yeah, WCW, everybody. The flock all beat up Benoit until Page made the save. They went up with Page and Benoit hitting each other and brawling in a three-way for a while until Page and Benoit were together to clean the house, but again, eyed each other afterwards. Next, Chris Jericho beat Liddy Lade in 342 with the Lion Tamer. A little sloppy, but Jericho gave Lane a lot of offense, and the crowd got into it since an upset. Jericho wore Hoobie's mask to the ring. Hoobie should have made an appearance doing a run-in. Didn't. That is true. So there's that. Next, we get Rick Steiner beating Vincent in 95 seconds with a blow off rope. Perry Saturn beat Eugene Nagata with the rings of Saturn in 635, a bad match. It didn't click at all. Saturn always works hard, but often seems not to click. Interesting. Booker T beat Renegade to the QT title in 415 with a sidekick. Awful, except for Booker throwing what may, must be the best missile dropkick in the world, which he was doing at that time. Fantastic missile dropkicks. Um, oh, God, what was the name for it? Um, the Harlem something. I can't remember what the missile dropkick was. Name. Oh, uh, 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 Heat Seeker. Heat Seeker. Love the Heat Seeker, yes. Um, well, the heat seeker, I think, originally was the um, the elevated missile drop kick, where Stevie would hold them up, and then once Booker was a singles, it was just the name for the top rope drop kick. Yeah, Conan beat Io de Lismark in three forty four with a Tequila Sunrise, probably the best Lismark has done in WCW. Uh, Conan uh, talked about how he invited Hoovy, or excuse me, he called him Anibal Gonzalez, used his real name. To join the NWO, but he refused. Uh, next, we get uh, 
Vicious and Delicious, Scott Norton and Buff Bagwell beating High Voltage in 5.11. Went buffed at the blockbuster on Robbie Rage. Total New Japan style match. It was really good, and the crowd totally got into it. Page Rage has a ton of potential and showed it here. Chaos didn't show a thing, but he wasn't in the ring enough to hurt the match. Within this style, Norton even looked good. I'm telling you, High Voltage, and this, and they're back from New Japan at this point in time. They were showing some potential that they that they could do something. Oh yeah, absolutely. Um, Way noted that uh, it's good to know that with WCW's strict drug testing policy, it's possible to have such an impressive bills through just hard work and a good diet. Well, to a high voltage. Yeah. Well, they've just been in Japan too, so. When, yeah. And also, what's their nickname in the business, Chris? What is it? You know this one. Come on. What would be the uh, steroid-related nickname for high voltage? I'm blanking. High dosage. High dosage. There you go. All right, Eddie Goodell will be Disco Inferno with a Frost Flash in 512. Disco's all bruised up from his match previous night with a parka. Then we got J.J. Dillon doing an interview. He uh, brought out Nick Patrick, congratulated him on his work the previous night. Patrick was very subtly given signs at the end he was still going heel. <laughs> so, and told him he's going to refer the next match on Nitro, which ended up being Ric Flair and Brad Armstrong. Ric Flair winning with a low blow and a figure four and 355. It's funny. Flair got this giant reaction coming out. Did all the stuff that would have popped the crowd 10 years ago. Armstrong still can do what he used to do. And Flair tries, although he's slowed down. Dave's feeling is, except for a special occasion, Flair should never wrestle on television and just do interviews because he could be the old Ric Flair doing an interview because he's the best at that. But it kills the illusion he's the old Ric Flair in, in a TV match of this type. That is a great point by, by Dave. Flair should have been a special attraction wrestler only. He should have been working on TV. By this point? Yeah. I mean, that's going to be moot in like a week, but... Well, yeah. Next, we get uh, the Giant. Do an interview with me and Gene. We're in a net brace. John and Kevin Nash. wonder if Nash will be getting a few herniated discs next week. <laughs> giant accused Nash of maliciously in a barbaric way dropping him on his neck. It didn't work. And he would be consequences. That's one way of putting it. Next, we get Brian Adams out for an interview. Not only was, that was a good, not only that, but it was a good interview. Brett came out. They brawled until Rude and Henny tripped up, tripled up on him, and Rick made the save. And then Rick and Brett were in together, and Flair gave one of those classic interviews that when he does them, puts him in a league above everyone else in the business. He talked about Nightmare Anderson retiring. and he cried in the ring, and they said the night to date, and he was afraid to turn his TV on his TV set because after all he said, Brett could rub his face in it after beating him. But instead, Brett praised him, so he said that Brett was, at this moment, the best it was, best there is, and best there will be. Flair did a hell of a job, not only putting Brett over, but making last week's angle on his tag team, where Brett makes sense. What are your thoughts on that? On how they handled the Flair-Brett situation here? We're not going to watch the clip first? I mean, yeah, I guess. Let's go ahead. We are back live, coast to coast, here on TNT, and this is really turning out to be quite an evening indeed. Weather here in Northern California, well, a little on the wet side. Uh, great uh, weather for a duck, but I don't even think they'd have anything to quack about. Please join me. I'm not in the business of doing this, but I want to introduce a member of... That's timely, since Hoovy's the only wrestler we know who ends up getting wet in WCW. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'm sorry. ...of the New World Order, one of their latest editions. Ladies and gentlemen, 
Brian Adams. Everything I do. Brian Adams I do from one week ago made his shocking debut on this program, looking to shake the hand of Bret Hart, holding Bret Hart for a beating. certainly was an auspicious debut one week ago tonight for Brian Adams trying to deceive Bret Hart with the handshake and then later revealing that he was a member of the New World Order. Right, Brian Adams. Mr. Adams. Okay, real quick, looking at this, holy shit, did he age a lot over the next few years. Yeah. Like, he looks, like, young and fresh-faced here. Yeah. So I wanted to bring you out as long as we had the ample opportunity here on Nitro. First of all, I don't know what you're doing with the New World Order. That's number one. And number two, what in the world has Bret Hart ever done to you? First of all, you stinking amoeba. Shut up before I smack you. Let me ask the questions. And that goes for each and every one of you out there. You're so pro WCW, you make me sick. Once you call it like it is, Jack. Don't touch me. I've got a. I said shut up before I smack you. Don't think I won't. Mean Gene. Listen up. I'm out here tonight because the question around the wrestling world today is what exactly are you doing here, Brian Adams? I'm here to join the most elite force in professional wrestling, which is the NWO. Some of you wrestlers may think different, and you may fool some of the people. And if you try real hard, you may even fool yourselves. But you know deep down inside, the NWO is the measuring stick. Now, to address the question about Brett the Hitman Hart, who is probably sitting in his igloo in Calgary right now watching because he's too stinking yellow to come on down here. So let me address you, Hitman. Get this camera on me. Hitman, if I wanted a piece of you, let me tell you what would happen. No better yet. Let me tell you what wouldn't happen. First of all, I wouldn't break a sweat. Second of all, I definitely wouldn't go off my feet because you're just not good enough. And third, time to back it up, big man. And thirdly, you may get served up. What is going on? Now the Brett WWE thing. I think we're going to see somebody break a sweat and hopefully someone taking off his He must have been hiding all night long. I think he may have... Which Brett WCW theme do you think is better, the first or the second? Second. I agree, but neither really works that well. No. No. The only thing that works about this one is that it begins with the guitar riff, like his last WWF theme. No. I have a bone to pick with you, Brian Adams. I'm glad to see you. You're pushing me around. Don't try to push this man around. Listen here, Brian Adams. I don't know what kind of beef you got with me, 
but you don't need to jump me in any dressing room. You don't need to get me from behind because you can do it face-to-face right here, right now. All right, I think he's calling your bluff, Adams. They can't do anything face-to-face. The NWO can't, and Brett the Hitman Hart is laying waste to Big Brian Adams. Well, he called him out. He wanted him. Adams is one huge man. Look at the size of him. How about this? Tilt-a-whirl backbreaker by Adams. Big, powerful tilt-a-whirl is what it was. What a big man. What a gigantic man. He hits the ropes. Elbow missed. Bret Hart rises back up. How about this? Well, if you can't see, he can't hit you. Like a hockey game in Calgary. Pull the jersey over his head. Man Hart, and he got him. There's Kurt Hennig. Kurt Hennig. Oh. oh my. Well, one of the unfortunate things about that sharpshooter is you're stuck as well. Nowhere for him to go, and that's oh, Rick Reed. Now, wherever you see Hennig, you see Reed. And now look at Bret Hart. Bret Hart taking on everyone. Hart, Hennig. Away. Rude comes in. Just a fist fight between the two. Oh, now the numbers. The numbers just too great now for Ben Hart. Stomping away on Ric Flair. Ric Flair's come out of the dressing room. Chops hitting back to the corner. Flair, Hart together. As we saw on Nitro a week ago. Tradition rises to the occasion once again. And they're standing in the ring, slapping high fives. Brett the Hitman Hart and the Nature Boy, Ric Flair. Oh, what a great moment in Nitro. What a great moment for WCW. What a big weekend for our company. Did you ever think you see that? Flair and Hart exchanging high fives? Never. Well, when you're talking about WCW and the NWO, you can see just about anything. Expect the unexpected. slowly a little uh, communication going on here. I don't know if they're plotting something else or not, but Ric Flair and Bret Hart have come to the ring together as a unit. Hennig, Adams, Rude, take the low road. Clean-shaven Rude. That is quite a duo. Stubble, but no much. CW, chock full of the greatest athletes in the world. Didn't you just wrestle each other at a pay-per-view a few weeks ago? Yes. In my lifetime, I will tell you this, Bret Hart. Hogan's, Hall's, Nash's, Hennig's have always tried to prevail. But today, today, Bret Hart, 
And I'm going to say it firsthand. Maybe not tomorrow, but today, you are the best there is. Oh, wow. The best there was. And today, the best there ever will be. Rick's acknowledging Brett. Sucker punch you. It ain't gonna happen. I'm gonna tell you why. Because I told the world when Iron Anderson retired, there's only a few things in life that are special that make you get up and kiss your kids, say goodnight to your mom and dad for. When Iron Anderson retired, I stood here and I cried because a man I loved that was a bad apple had to say goodbye before he was supposed to. The second thing that's happened to me lately is when I went home from Dayton, Ohio, after wrestling you, God only knows I didn't want to turn on that TV because I didn't want to see you out here going, Mean Gene, I beat Ric Flair. I tore him up. I showed him I was a man. Instead, you look at this great wrestling world and you said I was the man and you know what for that I will shake your hand and you may not need to help along the way because you're good brother but if you do need some help along the way Ric Flair would love to walk that aisle and style and profile with you hey I think I've been sitting on the shelf a little too long. And I made one promise when I came to WCW. And that is that I'm going to take the NWO and tear them apart brick by brick. And Kurt Henning, you want to start stuff with me? That's fine with me because I've been waiting a long time. Kurt Henning, I challenge you right here, right now to a match at Uncensored. Mm. And I'm gonna start with you, and I'm gonna finish you once and for all. Brett, 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 wait a minute, wait a minute. See this fat boy right here, the NWO boy? <laughs> Guess where it is? It's right here, boy. Woo! <laughs> <laughs> Woo! Oh my, well, at least we know where it's at. Quite a moment in Nitro history in a challenge made for Uncensored. Back with Sting and Scott Hall next. Woo! <laughs> so, I mean, you watch this and, and you see what they're doing with Brett here, and it seems like it's going to be okay. Well, that would change quickly. Well, it's it's mixed. You know. It wouldn't have been the best thing in the world, but... It seemed like they were they were doing okay with how where Brett was going, and you can also understand why they wouldn't be like, okay, let's change all of our plans and shoehorn him into stuff. Yeah, and at least he's working with his friends. Yes, and yeah, I mean, Henning, we got the you know the deal there. I mean, we've we got SummerSlam '91, got King of the Ring '93, so I mean, there's history there. You know? Yeah. History with Adams, too. 
issue of Adams. So you got that to play off of, and he's he's doing this character. I mean, and then you do the thing with him and him and Rick with this respect for each other. So I mean, yeah, it's just Hogan being Hogan. And don't forget too. Sold out with that as the main event and like easily the key match on the card with no Hogan and stuff. That show drew really well. Well, that's what we talked about with the buy rate while ago. You know, and he's popping quarter hours too. Yeah. It's not like he's not a success in the metrics they have at this point. No. It's just when Hogan makes him his lackey, that's when it really starts going down. It's Hogan making him his lackey and him just not doing anything during that period. Yeah. The Hogan lackey thing would have been bad, but if Brett is wrestling, it's not as bad. They just turned him heel way too quickly. Yes. They spent the entire show building to a Stain Scott Hall title match and proving that one side really isn't different than the other. After all that hype, the match never took place. NWO's on the ring except Scott Hall when Sting came out. All dressed as Sting, hit Sting with a baseball bat, and they all destroyed him for a long time, including Hogan spray painted HH on Sting's chest. Yeah, throughout the show, teased a new member of the NWO. Well, we're about to find out who that is. Let's go to the Your Honor, that if you come out, show your face, and you're by yourself, we'll leave. Say no more, ladies and gentlemen. The world champion has come out. I wouldn't walk into the ring with all those goons in there. Well, he is absolutely fearless. I think we've known that from day one. Well, then he's on a suicide mission. Standing firmly away from the ring, we've still not seen Scott Hall at all. So why don't all the jerks leave like, well, you can't keep them at their word. NWO Honor. Never thought I'd hear those two words used in the same sentence. Yep. Like Heenan and Nice Guy. Far apart. Hogan is, and now everybody else is left, and Hogan's in the rings. Do you see what I see? There are another two, sting. There's another sting. We haven't seen that in a long time. And this oh. other sting is pounding Sting on the back of the head, on the back with this baseball bat. It's Scott Hall. It's Scott Hall. What did I tell you? What did I tell you? Come on, take it like a man, Sting. Come on. Steiner and Hennig roll him in. Scott Hall came out. Oh, look at this. They're going to take him apart. That's what they're going to do. Well, I've not seen a referee, nor have I seen any semblance of a match started here. But the purpose, there's the follow-away The purpose here has not been to win a title, I don't think. It's to dismantle the world champion. Sure, they're trying to injure. They're trying to hurt Sting. No question about it. I don't care how tough that man is. There's nothing he can do with ten guys in that ring. Here comes the edge. Outsider style. Sting is out. And Scott Hall came into the ring with the Sting mask on. And they have spray paint, guys. A little payback. More I'll pull it through the far down. For what went down last night. He said a little stinger. Into the ring. Savage. Comes Randy Savage. The most dangerous. 
dangerous wrestler in that sport today. And Savage being viciously pounded on by all members of the NWO. But look at him fight. Well, it shows you how crazy he is. Who would come into the ring with 10 guys, members of the NWO, and attack him single-handedly? Only Savage. Meanwhile, Scott Hall ch- choking Sting on the other side. Savage is being held of what happened last night is in control once again. And now Hogan holds out his belt as they hold Savage. Who is this in the ring? Did you notice there's a new face in the ring with the NWO? We got a a glimpse of him, but Savage being smacked around, being beaten here by members of his group, members of the NWO. Sting still being choked. And now the spray paint. The NWO continues and goes back to their disgusting ways. Savage being held out. A spray painting going on here. H.H. Hollywood Hogan. We know that. Hollywood Hogan. Something's coming. Something's coming. Something is coming and they're scattering like bugs. It's Luger. Steel chair in hand. NWO bails out en masse. Once again, he comes out to save Sting, or was it Sting and the Macho Man? Who did he come out to save? Well, that's the question, fans. We are out of time on a wild nitro. We'll see you Thursday live on TBS and Thunder. So, yeah. So, the new member of the NWO was a bearded Ed Leslie, who apparently be called the Disciple, who will do whatever Hogan tells him. Dave Nutter Luger clean house and said, Where was Rick Steiner? The guy was victimized more than anyone else by NWO and his brother. Oh, yeah, you have to turn your brain off. <laughs> yeah, so Ed Leslie just debuts standing there and they're like, Who is this guy? Who is obviously Ed Leslie. <laughs> <sighs> I don't know. <laughs> Pretty ridiculous. He's jacked, though. Oh, yes. He's in the best shape of his career here, cosmetically. Yeah, he really is. Um, when had he last been on WCW television? As Booty Man so, in 96. So about two years. No, no more, less than that. Uh, about, uh, about a year and a half at the most. A little over and, a year. I mean, was he under contract the whole time? Oh, God, I've got him be. Hogan ain't letting that guy not get paid. Okay, I'm checking. Yep. Had to be. No, he was. <laughs> yeah, there's just no way around it. So he's making he's making 150 grand a year to do nothing. Shocking. He makes 150 grand to do nothing in 1997 while he's just kicking back at home, hanging and banging, and probably also taking a bunch of indie dates. I mean, he's Hogan's boy. That comes with it. Yeah. And he got a new contract at some point in this because he makes about 150 in 96 and 97, or maybe it was an escalation, but he makes over 183 grand in 98 and then almost 299. Yeah. He also made $46 in licensing in the first few months of 2000. (laughs) So there you go. But what a way to debut, uh, debut your new gimmick of just standing in the corner. (laughs) Uh, who's that? <laughs> that person whose identity <laughs> is obvious. <laughs> yeah. 
Now, wait a second. What's the difference between this new disciple who does all of Hulk Hogan's bidding and the other Ed Leslie's? Uh, no, really. Nothing, nothing really different there. So, anyway, Nitro drew a 4.59 rating, 4.93 first hour, 4.30 second hour, 4.55 third hour, and a 6.86 share to Ross, 3.25 rating. 3.45 first hour, 3.05 second hour, and a 4.81 share. Nitro Replay did a 1.0 rating, 4.5 share, following the Sports Illustrated Swimsuit Special. That was hyped to death for weeks, but only did a 1.6 with a scary drop of 2.1 to 1.2 compared to the first second hours, which shows something about the audience drawing power of that over two hours. I remember this. <laughs> I remember that. Yeah, two-hour special for the Sports Illustrated Swimsuit issue. Patterns are predictable. And WCW grew the first hour had the largest audience from 8.45 to 9 p.m. going unopposed with a 5.3. Ultimo versus Shiru, Raven, Benoit. Raw started. Rating fell to a 4.0 while Raw opened up to a 3.4. Raw maintained and actually rose slightly to 3.6 while Nitro grew, but also dropped for Conan and Lismark, 4.2. Norton and Bagwell on high voltage. And Disco Netty did a 4.1 before only picking up slightly for Flair and Brad. And that was with Raw having Blackman versus Rock. We didn't know D soap opera. We saw the rating decline from 3.6, 3.2. Only story for the week was 10.30 to 10.45 when Nitro jumped from 4.3 to 4.7 for the Brett stuff and the giant interview, while Raw dropped from a 3.2 to a 2.8. Rock and Rolls was headbangers Pete Rose. Another drop by Nitro to 5.1, continuation of Flair and Brett in the closing angle, while Raw dropped to a 2.6 for the Austin video and Mero and Owen and Sable Luda. So by the close of the show, the Nitro audience was just about double that of Raw. Well, look at what Raw was running them in, in, at the end of the show. Uh, in Raw numbers over the last half hour, WCW's audience increased 535,000 homes. WWS audience decreased 511,000 homes. And you have to figure with numbers that close to that, most of those people were the same people. But, yeah, I mean, look what Raw was running there at the end of the show. No wonder. So that's yeah. the story I, that sticks out to me with the ratings is of course WCW had the big names going on last and WF had a win to Mark Marrow well okay so generally even though we've never heard it said the feeling has long been that Russo gets a lot more autonomy in 99 A because it's the stuff that's much closer to his WCW stuff so it seems like it and B because Vince is getting ready for the IPO and stuff. Mm -hmm. Um, The way these Raws are formatted at this time sure does feel like they're giving a lot of autonomy to someone who has never booked before. Yeah. You know, because just... He's making no attempt to peak the show in any way. There's... Yeah, well... (laughs) Well, you know what it probably is? The overarching creative is probably still Vince McMahon. Russo is formatting the TV. Yeah. It's probably something like that. And Vince is maybe giving this guy with his fresh new ideas or whatever a bit too much rope. Yeah. Now In Sacramento. I was just going to tell you, all that said, while Nitro is doing great, Raw is doing good. At this point, like, their ratings have rebounded. Yeah, but Nitro's just killing them. Nitro's killing them, but that's because Nitro is doing exemplary. Well, which uh, that's about to change pretty soon. 
but it's not a negative on Raw. It's just Nitro happens to be doing better. Yeah. In Sacramento, there was a Trump match with APW wrestlers Donovan Morgan and Robert Thompson beating Michael Modest and Max Justice. The fans, we were told regarding APW wrestlers that got tryouts were that they were good wrestlers, but they wanted them to work on their physiques. They're probably going to know that when they do Thunder in Oakland this summer. Okay, wait, 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 wait. Robert Thompson, maybe? But of all the wrestlers you could say that about that you'd be giving tryouts to on the indie scene, you say that about Donovan Morgan, Mike Modest, and Max Justice? <laughs> That sounds like a thanks, but no thanks. Well, when you got Ed Leslie walking around there, looking like he's looking yes. at his signer, I mean... Yeah. And Modest isn't as jacked as he'd be later, but he's jacked. No. He's a jacked-up cruiserweight. Like, I, I... And, you know, Modest... Is, I mean, excuse me, Morgan is just a, you know, wrestler in good shape. Justice is a big guy, not super jacked, but still in shape-looking, and... All that, so I, I think that's really weird. You know, this is not yeah. like the people who will say that you'll see sometimes, like, you know, maybe Jim Ross was right to tell Tony Jones to uh, work on his upper body or whatever. Like, you see people say that sometimes now. Yeah. This is not that. Whatever you want to say about whether or not Tony Jones should have changed his look to get a better shot with WWF, these are guys who do not have the same physical shape as he is in at that time. Yeah. All right. Uh, Thunder on February 26th, Cedar Rapids, Iowa, dress up 5722, 5309, paying 84784. The show also did a 3.6 rating, the 5.6 share. They announced the elimination on that long since antiquated over the top rope rule. Not sure it's because WF was making fun of it or still because they also have one hell of a tie. Explaining why guys would throw each other over the top rope and it will when no DQs are ever called. You know, they keep going over on their own momentum. Okay. Um, I mean, I was very happy that they got rid of the rule, but the main reason I was happy they got rid of the rule was because once they had the influx of the international talent, that thing was never enforced because none of them ever had it explained to them. And why would they have thought it would be a DQ if they didn't have it explained to them? Yeah. You know, and, and the making fun of it, I believe, is how it was handled in some of the NWA titles, tag title stuff. Yeah. Eddie Guerrero and Chris Jericho beat Dean Lincoln and Booker T went 80 Frog Splash Booker in 10-15. Only an average match. Which is interesting who's involved. Uh, today yeah, I remember that match being much better than average, but whatever. Today interviewed DDP. Um, he talked about Benoit being the best match he ever had. More spread Benoit now than ever. Raven showed us a what about me? So he challenged to match next Thursday. Fit Finley beat Brad Armstrong with a tombstone power driver in 356. Then we got the British Bulldog beating Lord David Taylor. Lord Squire David Taylor. Taylor. <laughs> Sorry, Squire David Taylor. And with a power slam at 220. Then we got um Okay. So Dave doesn't have this. Well he does. Alright, so we have uh Today, interviewing Kurt Henning. Henning said Brett must be the stupid person to lie that turned down a chance to be a member of the NWO. He said Brett's father couldn't beat his father, so why doesn't Brett think he can beat him? Henning had a Minnesota wrestling. Wrestlers recently voted him the wrestler who made Minnesota famous. So there's that. Goldberg beat Rick Fuller in 70 seconds with a jackhammer. Then we got Yuji Nagata beating La Parka with the Nagata lock in 305. Scott Steiner beat Marty Jannetty with a Frankenstein on top rope in 83 seconds. 
That's a match. Yeah. But before that, before that, we had Scott Hall doing a promo where Montstein talked about their upcoming match, which doesn't happen. Um, Does the match never about... happen at all? I mean, it was supposed to happen on pay-per-view. So what, so about what you've been hanging the Raptors, I've been up and down the roads. This thing has knee selection of inches, but Kenny Russell, um, they announced that Sting and Savage will team up to face Hogan and Hall on Nitro. Shivani said it's the biggest announcement in history of wrestling. <laughs> Wade said it's a cool match, but he's ruining his credibility with viewers with his weekly hyperbolic overkill. <laughs> um, Scott Steiner and Marty Jannetty. But Bagwell did the Michael Buffer ring intro for Scott Steiner, where he revealed Scott's new nickname, White Thunder. And then Scott cut his first heel promo before the match. So let's go to that, shall we? Let's hear the new Scott Steiner. First heel promo of his whole career. Yeah. It's also weird seeing him, like, even though he had gotten huge, he's still not as huge as he would get as Big Papa Pump. Yes. So it's weird seeing him with the die job and everything, but still looking kind of like old Scott Steiner. Yeah. That is like stunner. That is absolutely as big. Okay, let's get the entrances. Which, by the way, how much do we think they paid for the original Thunder set that's already gone? After a month. <laughs> Who knows? Okay, am I skipping Buff's promo, or are we including that? Yeah, I guess. Well, because he does the buffer bit, though, right? Yeah. Okay, so let's let's see. If he drags on, I'll skip ahead. The MWO will. Oh, right. Okay, so they've canned the set, but we still have Lee Marshall. Yeah. Uh, that does not last much longer. Well, you know, that that's a good point, but, but one was... Ladies and gentlemen! His arms are ridiculous. That's Buffy Buffer. Yeah, Buffy Buffer. For thousands in attendance and millions around the world, are you ready? For you to leave, yes we are. Cedar Rapids, are you ready? He's good. He's got a cue card. Did he say, let's get ready to rumble? Introducing first, six-time world tag team champion. He no longer has the biggest arms in the world today. Oh, he has the biggest arms in the universe. He's weighing in at 276 and three-quarter pounds. You know him as Scott Steiner. White Thunder, yeah. This is this. If you, if you saw Nitro Monday, you were probably taken aback, left breathless by what you saw. And here it is again. Yeah, this is, this is Scott Snyder. By the way, was it ever reported why they switched nicknames? No. It, it does come off a little Nazi-ish. A little. That one thought of it that at the time, though, Bix. They did get rid of the final solution. 
Yeah, it's a little bit different. Oh, yeah, that's one. Who cares what he weighs in at? So that is, uh, that is Buffer. Is that what that is, yes. our ring announcer? Uh-huh. Buff, it's great to be a part of one of the greatest organizations in sports today. Scott still does not know how to do the Wolfpack slash too sweet <laughs> gesture. He no. looks like he is making a hand puppet gesture yeah. of sorts. Yeah. Or is he doing reverse Alex? Liar, cheat, oh. wow. and egomaniac is what he is. You know, Buff, it's amazing the difference 24 hours can make because Sunday morning... I'm eating breakfast with my brother, Lex Luger, and Sting. And then Monday night, Lex Luger has the audacity to come down and challenge me to a fight. <laughs> well, Lex Luger, I'm Scott Steiner. And if you challenge me to a fight, I'm there, Daddy. And I do what I did. I beat you up, and I left you laying. Face down. <laughs> you know, Buff, Lex Luger calls himself the total package. Yeah, he does. You know, I'm not really sure what that's all about. You know, it meant body, mind, soul. You know, it's obvious that Lex Luger is an educated man. He went to college, but he didn't go to Michigan. No, he didn't. Michigan did not want Lex Luger. Shut up! White Thunder's trying to talk! Michigan wanted me because I'm a better athlete. So I'm going to tell you right now, Lex Luger, what Michigan's fight song is all about. And it goes like this. Hail to the victor's valiant. Hail to the conquering heroes. That's right. That fight song is about me and Michigan, some place you could not get into. You may have a million dollar body, Lex Luger, but if you ever challenge me again to a fight, I'm gonna take that million dollar body and you're gonna be sucking your meals through a two cent straw. There's been more than a challenge, there's been a match signed. Oh, there we go. What? You think, I, I, you think this is funny? No, I was. You're funny. enjoying this NWO. But I did. I looked over and I saw the person with a sign. I want to see if it's new look, Marty. I think it's still longer. No. Why don't you just sit over here That's and we want you to Martin. talk. We'll point to you. How's that sound? Want to do that? Do you want sure. to do that? Sure. Sure. New look, Marty Jannetty's later Lex on. Luger was himself a brilliant cop. Now, he's already in the shape that new look, Marty Jannetty was in. But he still has the long yeah. hair and the old gear. Yeah. He's still jacked. All right, so, yeah, Kurt Henning beat Jim Neidhart by DQ in 217 when Brian Hampton interfered and Boyle made a save. Dave's not sure which was worse, the match or the brawl afterwards. And then in the Leave Your Brain in the office match, Kevin Nash was DQ'd against Raven in a no-DQ match for giving two power bombs to Lodi and getting arrested. Raven claimed he was in the Raven's rules, which is now meant about a royal. Nash destroyed the entire flop while Raven sat there. The deal only went 98 seconds. Why are we having Kevin Nash against Raven in the flock? I mean, <laughs> where did that come from? 
I don't remember that. Why why there's an issue there? I don't know. Gotta stop him from getting momentum, brother. <laughs> DDP wins a WQ or Benoit and US title match for Raven to tap up men in six fifty four. Probably the worst major match of Benoit's career. But they had good chemistry. Good ish. I mean they clashed, there was but Yeah, no and there was another hard way shot in this match, so there was blood and they had to go wide on the camera. That's three straight shows they had to do that. So Yeah, I mean I put that wrong. They never had bad matches though. They just they clashed because Benoit was not one for the uh, move by move uh, planning and the detailed faxes and all that. No. Yeah. Uh, boy, this show right. turned into a B show quickly, didn't it? Yeah. All right. At the Cedar Rapids taping, there were actually a lot of people who saw the NWO Fears Dan Gable poster that was on the air all night long. At WCW had no idea who Dan Gable was. <laughs> of course not. <laughs> Two house shows this week. It was February 27th in Lincoln, Nebraska. Drawn sell 6,082. 126,900. Selling the first day tickets. We were just put on sale. Sioux City on the 28th. Drawn sell 3,318. 68,985 gate. Shows headlined by Flair pitting Henning. Page beating Scott Hall with a diamond cutter. And Jericho keeping the Cruiserweight title beating Eddie Guerrero. Which they're teaming up on television. Merchandise business for the week was three forty-two, six forty-two for an incredible eleven dollars seventeen cents per head as an average for the entire week. It's pretty damn good at that time. All mm, right, yep. February twenty-seventh, Lincoln at the Percy Minnesota Auditorium. Um, six five hundred sell out one twenty-six nine hundred. Ernest Kent Miller beat Brad Armstrong. Raven attacked Mortis from behind before Mortis had scheduled a match. Raven gave Mortis a pod driver DDT in the stage area. Raven in the ring gave a speech telling Mortis he needed to beat DDP for the U.S. title in order to join the flock. Raven's on the rough start 10 count. At count nine, Mortis jumped in the ring. They fought over the barricades among the front row fans. Raven replaced Hugh Morris, who was scheduled. Benoit beat Ming with a crippled crossface. DDP beat Scott Hall with a diamond cutter. Hall surveyed the crowd before the match. Crowd champ for DDP. Page got a huge face reaction. As the match, Hall says pleasure for the NWO to appear in Lincoln. Crowd booed. <laughs> Fifth Billy beat David Taylor. Dull match with the crowd chain. Let's go Huskers and you both suck. Aww. Eddie beat Jericho for the match. Jericho said negative things about Lincoln, Nebraska, and Nebraska Corners for football team. All hell broke loose at that point with fans throwing debris, bottles, nachos, and glasses of beer. The rain like a war zone. There was enough security at Persing Auditorium. Doug Dillinger was clearly upset with the arena staff for not being aggressive enough and stopping the activity and throwing fans out of the arena. There were 15 police officers working security, and 15 more were called in for backup. Fights broke out in the crowd. It was a near riot. Eddie came out and told Jericho he was going to give him a Husker ass-whipping. They're teaming on television. The crowd went wild over that. No surprise it was the best match of the night, although there were some fans of ringside who had to go to the first aid station. Jericho didn't know what he was getting into, ripping on the beloved local college football team. Although beer drinking had a lot to do with the fans' passionate reaction also. And then the main event. Ric Flair beat Kurt Henning with a roll-up. Henning also bad-mouthed the Huskers. Flair got a standing ovation on his way to the ring and then told Kurt Henning he's going to give him a Tom Osborne ass-whipping. Tom Osborne was the coach of the Nebraska Cornhuskers. Legendary coach. Fans threw some debris at Henning. Short main event. After the match, fans shut the barricade and entered the ring. Security tried to get him out of the ring. Cops were everywhere. It was quite a scene. Report from Bruce Grummert. 
I'm sure he didn't rile up anyone. <laughs> then the next night, Sioux City. 3,900 fans. The event began 15 minutes late due to wrestlers arriving late because of the snowstorm in the area. Raven over Mortis, a DDT, much better than the night before, brawling at ringside. Brad Armstrong over the Cat. Dave Taylor over Finley. Flair over Henning. Longer than the night before, lots of crowd heat, including a stand up for Flair. During the match, Flair bled from the mouth. Ming over Benoit. Jericho over Eddie, again, the best match of the night. DDP over Scott Hall in the main event with a diamond cutter. Report also by Bruce Grummert. The important thing here is that they are doing this kind of house show business in such small markets. Yeah. Yeah. 6,000 fans in Lincoln. 3,900 in Sioux City. For house shows. Mm-hmm. Again, everyone, remember. As much as the wheels are falling off creatively and everything in 98... 1998 WCW, up to that point, was the biggest grossing wrestling promotion in the history of the world. Yeah. And, as much as people forget, for a period in 98 to very early 99, you know, when the WCW shows were still from people who bought tickets before the finger poke, it was a wrestling boom. It was not just a WWF boom. Both companies were incredibly hot. Yeah. It gets lost how hot WCW was here. But anyway, let's move on. Even by the recent hot standards of the industry, the demand for Nitro tickets has been closer to the major concert standards and pro wrestling standards, even during its previous hottest periods. On February 27th, tickets were put on sale for Nitro on April 13th at the Target Center in Minneapolis. With the governor proclaiming it as Ric Flair Day in the state of Minnesota, and Flair being honored and spearheading the ticket sales, the building was sold out in five hours, totaling 14,667 tickets. And a $270,376 gate, making the most impressive first day all day, all things considered at that point in company history. The all time CD gate record is AWA Russell Rock Show from April 20th, 1986, with the, the main events of Ganya and Snuka against Brody and Barbarian, Road Wars Freebirds in the Cage Match, Hanson and Botwinkle for the AWA title, and Vern was involved with Sheik Adnan. Drew by 16,000 stands in Metrodome for an estimated $300,000 gate. During the Hogan era in the early 80s, AWA drew large crowds, not larger gates, and the market frequently sold at the nearby St. Paul Civic Center. As impressive as that was, the next day tickets were put on sale for the March 23rd night show in Louisville at Freedom Hall, and the results are probably even more impressive. The show sold out in four and a half hours in a city that doesn't have that kind of history of six-figure gates for pro wrestling that Minneapolis has. With Jimmy Hart as one of the all-time greatest territorial managers during his heyday with local promotion in the early 80s, handling the first day promotion, the building sold out with $13,856, gate, absolutely devastating every pro wrestling record ever in that city. They're hot. And they fuck it up. Royally. And here's the thing, too. The fact that it ends up being both promotions hot. Yeah, it would have cooled off. But if they had not fucked this up so spectacularly, who knows what happens? But WCW had the younger talent that in a, that WF didn't have. I mean, they have depth. WWF has no depth. Yes. You know, nothing against big, John big Tenta, difference. but the, the fact that everyone's like, oh, are they going to bring in John Tenta to be Austin's first big opponent? That's because they have nobody. Yep. The lack of turning Nick Patrick, who is believed will eventually turn, may be due to a shortage of referees, and there's a chance that something had to do with Sting going over, 
But Dave's feelings finished, which was Hogan's decision that wasn't final to the day of the event, was simply something he wanted to do. Best to put the belt on someone else to stab the belt program and show himself in his program to be more important than whoever is fighting for the championship. The Hogan way. Billy Silverman tore his groin. We'll be out several weeks while Randy Anderson suffered a very serious neck injury, which is career-threatening. Scott Dickinson, due to work commitments, is only available on Mondays, leaving just Charles Robinson and Mickey J. besides Nick Patrick. It's believed that Brian Hildebrand will start back on the March 2nd Philly show. He's a mailman. What, is Monday his designated day off or something? I guess. Well, that's what most, you know, bank holidays are on Monday, so, you know. Yeah, and this is Hildebrand coming back from the original round of cancer treatments? Yeah. And this is, I mean, this is the end of Randy Anderson, right? Yeah, basically. WCW Saturday Night drew a 2.7 rating on February 28th. Scott Hudson particular is getting a ton of praise from all corners for his work since he started hosting the show. And this is the beginning of Hudson and Tanae, right? Yeah, it's the best announced show they have. Absolutely. Yes, By and they end up being the, leaves the, uh, the host of that show through the end of its run. Yes. And they end up being the hosts of Worldwide at the end, too. Yeah. They worked very well together. There was lots of heat on Lee Marshall's performance in the last episode of Thunder, which is why he's not long for the world. At least in that role. The AJC and the Landron Constitution ran a huge positive story on February 22nd on Bill Goldberg. Goldberg was two-time All-SEC lineman at University of Georgia in 88-89. was drafted by the then Los Angeles Rams, played for the Falcons from 92-94 for getting into wrestling. As a weird trivia note, his girlfriend, Lisa Schechter, years ago was a diamond doll when DDP used that gimmick, and he was already friendly with Sting and Luger since he worked out their gym. The original idea was for Goldberg to be named the Hybrid or the Hybrid Fighter, but there was a trademark problem with a company called Hybrid Clothes. Goldberg noted the push he's getting is very unique compared to Ultimate Warrior Man MTA, both of whom were first exposed nationally with the gimmick of always winning in 90 seconds explosively. And Torres noted that Goldberg will be promoted by WCW and W promoted Ultimate Warrior with mostly short matches that don't expose the shortcomings limitations. Goldberg still suffers from a hamstring injury suffering during his football days. There's great anticipation over what Goldberg's merchandise sales will be. As of yet, there's no Goldberg merchandise available. I mean, it's come very quickly that he's over. He was in he was in that terrible Mongo feud a couple months earlier. You know? Yes. Like this is not a slide on WCW that there's no Goldberg merch yet. Well, he's not. I mean, yeah. I mean, definitely not. But when that comes out, they do the business on the shirts. The barbed wire tattoo one. ones. I couldn't find it. Yeah, I never. I mean, I, I got one eventually, but it was hard to find. Very hard to find. Yeah. Um, and yes, everyone, the original idea, and they, they never say it overtly. Really, what it just sticks around with is like, the style of trunks and the short shoes and set of boots and the gloves. The idea was for him to be like an MMA fighter character. Yeah. To show WWF they could book a shooter better than they did with Shamrock. Which was yeah. an interesting way to do things, I guess. And, you know, Goldberg yeah. had trained some, but interesting idea. Torch also says, expect Dennis Rodman back for a second WC match at Bash at the Beach this summer after the basketball season and when he's a free agent. Uh, much better business for this one because it's the Malone one. Uh, much worse match because Rodman is in no condition to perform to the point that he falls asleep in the corner. Philip Munster wrote a piece on the death of Luis in the February 22nd New York Post. 
Talk about Warner Wolf, a famous local sportscaster on February 16th, hearing footage from Nitro and his sports report for humor value. Munchnet wrote that Monday, there was far more significant tale about WCW than that that we expect. Wolverine and his sportscaster know about it or to pursue it if they did. And talk about the death of Louis Spicoli. It also brought the death of Brian Pillman, how sports writers all cover the Mike Tyson story with the same old pro wrestling gag lines that damned Tyson for single so low he was going to wrestling. But they ignore the reality of what goes on in wrestling to the relief of those in the wrestling industry. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Because that's how the media view pro wrestling. So He's not wrong, though. And still to this day. So, yep. All right. Um, Torch. Torch pretty much uh, through the rest of the show. James Vandenberg's crew has been totally disbanded. Vandenberg's still in the contract. will likely resurface. Mortals will show up as part of Raven's Nest storyline a couple months down the line. Raph will be repackaged likely under his real name of Brian Clark. No. He's Raph. But Canyon does go with Raven. The latest CW commercial sells a gym bag for 30 bucks and NWO stuff bear for $12 or both for $42. To which Nash mocked the combo price discount. <laughs> okay. Well, yeah, where's discount at? <laughs> I think that's the. I think it's just a bit. Yeah, I guess. Uh, six is three to four months away from returning the rain, but it's expected to be one hundred percent when he does return. Yeah, we'll find out what happened to him in the month. Yeah. Eddie Guerrero has expressed strong dissatisfaction with his lack of push lately. Eddie became so disenchanted with his push he asked Eric Bischoff for his release. Bischoff wouldn't give it to him. Most of the first-year mid-quarters have up to two years left in their contracts. Yeah. So wait, That's did he least... sign a new deal? That's related to the work shoot angle, so... Yeah, but does he sign a new deal? Because they say he no says most idea. of the first-year mid-quarters, but... I have no idea. If he has less than two years, he'd have no reason to get his, you know, release uh, in just under two years. Um, Bishop I'm checking. Okay, yeah, he got a big increase in '99. That's why. Bishop didn't indeed give Steve Regal his nine-day notice, apparently in great part due to his conduct in the Goldberg match. But some suspect it was also due to Regal not being in wrestling shape recently and having health problems. Regal had a contract with nine-day rollovers. So he's working dates until his ninety days are up. Okay. Um, Regal has his issues at this point, but it, I'm not sure that's why he was let go. I mean, I've, I'm trying to remember from his book. It, it, I don't think they tried to get him help or anything if they felt he had a drug issue, though, which he did. Um, I guess it comes down to the Goldberg thing, which... So yes. Regal's version these days... Well, so his version has always been... He was told to give Goldberg a certain type of competitive match, and Regal working his style with a green Goldberg who I didn't know what to do and was not told they were working that kind of match, I guess, thought he was being shot on. Um, now Regal says basically that he has come to learn and I think he said he won't say who it was until after this person's passed away. The agent for the match gave them different instructions and he thinks he was kind of thrown under the bus. And that whether it was incompetence or it was malicious, that's why it went down the way it did. Um, I don't know. What do you think? Especially now that lately we've gotten another look into the less savory sides of his personality. I don't know. 
I don't know either. Like, it doesn't seem like most people think he was actually trying to shoot on him or anything, so... I don't know. It's just weird. It, it doesn't seem like it's something he should have been fired over. But he's got a lot no. of issues going on anyway. Expect WCA to begin to book Sting for a lot of house show dates. WCA's attitude is that Sting has had it as close to a free ride as a wrestler gets the past 18 months. And now it's time for him to do to start working for his money that he's earned. I wouldn't phrase it that way, but he should be on the house shows. Well, I mean, <laughs> he did what they, what they told him to do. Yeah. So... It's their fault, not his. Intriguing scenario for uncensors and they patch a referee the Scott Hall Sting title match, costing the belt through crooked refereeing, and then when Hogan asks Hall to hand the belt over to him, Hall will say no. And it turns out Patrick can't straighten out his act based on his kind of Super Bowl, but he side with a different faction in the bureau, consisting of Hall and possibly Savage. That would set up Hogan and Hall having a feud after Hogan finishes his feud with Savage. Hogan scheduled to work all WCW's major house shows for the foreseeable future. Still, indications are he has yet to sign any separate long-term agreement with WCW, which has a few people nervous in the company. Other higher-ups are supremely confident he's now decided to stay with WCW indefinitely. The reason Hogan's working so many house shows is besides the considerable payoffs he receives. You know, WCW is so hot right now, he doesn't want WCW to draw huge crowds with someone else headlining cards, because that would create the perception of WCW wrestling in general, rather than he and Savage, are the reasons for WCW's hot streak. That could lead to him losing leverage as he plays his free agent role for all it's worth. It's no coincidence he's concocted the feud with his buddy Savage to ride the wave of success rather than a feud of house shows with, say, Sting, Flair, and Ash. Right now, there are several rumors in the locker room that Hogan's focusing everything on him at the expense of others. For instance, Hogan creates the scenarios where Sting fends off the entire NWO until Hogan shows up, at which point Sting has met his match. It makes Hall, Nash, Bagwell, Norton, Henning at all look like Hogan's lackeys. Boy, there's a lot of stuff on this one that's true. A lot of truth to this one. Yes, although I hate the... An interesting scenario is where it's like, <laughs> is this Wade fantasy booking? Is this something that someone on the booking team mentioned to Wade yeah. like on background or off the record? I guess off the record would be the thing. Yeah, this is not the good thing. Yeah, I mean, yeah. They yeah. specify. I'm guessing it was a completely off the record conversation if it's something like that, so he can't say someone told me He's like, well, an interesting idea would be, and they shouldn't have taken the belt off Sting costing the belt, but I think, like, in terms of the NWO split, I think that would have been a good angle to set off the NWO split for good. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. It would have made sense. And probably what they had planned. Or something similar to that. Mm -hmm. But, I right, we close out. Well, also, wait, I just realized. The Nick Patrick thing only went the way it did because they couldn't get the name lawyer and they decided not to do the angle they were going to do. That's the only reason he's not being presented as heelish at all. Yeah. Because he was supposed to have this high-powered lawyer who got OJ off. So, yeah. anyway. Yeah, let's close the show with our last little note here. Expect WCW and perhaps other groups work harder to find out who was abusing pain pills. And if they won't seek treatment whenever possible, give them notice rather than keep them on the road where they're a danger to themselves and the reputation of the company. So, this sounds like, and I don't say this as a judgy thing, I'm saying based on what we know about Bischoff, this sounds like Bischoff trying to deal with the feelings he has about Pillman's death and then, you know, what's going on 
now with Regal and what had just happened, you know, with Spicoli dying. You know what I mean? Yeah. Because the timing, like... <sighs> but you... You don't think it's suspicious at all, unless he's not aware of it somehow, that some, that one of the wrestlers flew in a doctor from Indiana at the pay-per-view? Sounds pretty suspicious to me. I don't know who would or wouldn't be aware of that, necessarily, but there's a lot they got yeah. to police beyond just trying to get individual guys' help at this point. Yeah. You know, also, the, the booker is about to overdose in the middle of t a TV taping. Yeah. You know? Kevin Sullivan overdoses on THB. Brett has to step over him while he's having a seizure to walk out to do a segment. Yeah. But... Did WC, well, W ever send anyone to rehab, though? Or is it just the wrestlers would have paid for rehab if they went to go? Because... I guess. I don't remember... Other than Scott Hall, I can't think of any WCW wrestler in rehab stories, can you? No. I don't know what that says, but oh, that was a downer to end on. Well, yeah. A lot of downers on this show, so there you go. Yeah. <laughs> Late 90s wrestling. Well, next week, on Between the Sheets, we'll go to a happier time. This will go to 1990, where Dave Meltzer attends a TV taping at the Cow Palace for Rosa Federation. Hey. And gets his full rundown of the show. All 22 matches. Plus other WF news, including a no some notable debuts during their week on television. And um, Jake the Snake shows off his snake collection. So we'll have that on, in WF. Um, other news, we got uh, bad news for Jonathan Holiday in Portland. Talk about that. We'll have... Um, a wild week of USWA, both in Memphis and Dallas, as we have a split champion. We'll have them talk about that because there's a champion in one part and a champion in another part. And we got lots of clips. Lots of clips on this show. So be ready for that. In fact, they're looking at it right now. Three, five, six from the Memphis TV show alone. As Jerry Lawler has quite the day on television. And so does Chris Champion. So uh, we'll have a lot on that. That bullshit! We got Joe Pettisino going in depth with Steve Beverly and Matt Watch about what his current status is post-NWA. So we'll have news on that. And we got other uh, independent stuff. news. We got stuff from some uh, one country I think we've never done on the show before. So there's that. Don Morocco's a tour of New Zealand. We'll talk about that. We got the debut of uh, Universal Lucha Libre, the first shows in Japan. So we'll have that. Plus, New Japan opened up their tour, featuring some interesting foreign talent on that tour. We'll talk about that. We got uh, All Japan running the Budokan, where we have uh, some major title matches on the show, including one with Barry Winham. So we'll have uh, news on that. But the big story of our week is National Wrestling Alliance, NWA slash WCW, as the injury bug is hitting them hard, a major suspension is hitting them hard, and who's going to be the damn booker? As Ric Flair has resigned from the Boone Committee, as Dave Meltzer has uh, thoughts on who's going to replace Flair, and a wild angle on television with Kevin Sullivan and Buzz Sawyer, and much, much more. And we will be joined by the returning Mike Sempervivi. Welcome back with us next week on Between the Sheets. It's been a year since Mike's been on, so 
Glad to have him back. So there is that. All right. Bix, thank you as always. You're the rock of the show. This is Chris saying so long from the peace state of Georgia. Between the Sheets, Patreon Special Edition number 76. I'm your host, Chris Zoner, joined as always by my co-host, David Bix and Span and Bix. It's time to start a new series. Yes, as we return to one of our mascots. Yeah, I guess you could say that. As um, we've done more Patreon shows on this particular person than anybody else (laughs) in various incarnations of his life. And now we're going to go to an interesting one, to say the least. As we go to 1993, a year in the life of Paul Heyman. And um, this is a very pivotal year in his career, in his life. As uh, you'll see as we go along in this series, as it starts in one direction and ends in another direction. And there are a lot of twists and turns in between. So let's start the show, shall we? All right, we get January 18th. Torch and Observer, January 25th. Start the Observer. Paul Heyman was officially fired January 15th by WCW by a letter faxed to him from Bill Watts. Watts in the letter claimed WCW's investigation of dangerously expense reports turned up false fire reports at the Ramada Hotel, Atlanta Airport South. Oh, I know where that, what that place is for dates. <laughs> in April, May, June, and July of this past year. Watts' letter also claims that the Ramada Hotel confirmed Danielson wasn't registered as a guest on the dates claiming the suspense reports. And it appears that you induced the Ramada Hotel to provide false information that you did stay at the hotel to support fraudulent expense reports and attempt to obtain improper payments of approximately $1,200. 
Watts also claimed it appears Danielson, Paulie Danielson may have falsified other expense reports as well. Reported during that four-month period, Danielson turned in receipts from the hotel totaling $1,160.50 in 39 days. According to the hotel official, we contacted. There's no question Danielson stayed at the hotel during that time period, although the official claimed that they would be unable to prove how many dates. Okay. Before we move on, again with the reportedly, where you don't say why you're saying reportedly? <laughs> well, that happens uh, on the Observer. In this era, and not just the Observer either. But anyway, yeah. keep going. I'm just going to say Heyman. Heyman sent to your contract WCW and kept front April 1st, 1992, where you know, base salary and performance incentives and expenses one says $200,000 per year. The contract also listed him as a TBS employee rather than an independent contractor. This would have made him the only performer in the company designated as such to the contract. As such, so the contract was somewhat precedent setting for a perilous performer. Employees contract provided that work-related expenses, such as medical expenses, road expenses, and promotional expenses, be paid for by the company. Shortly after Watts took over the reins of the company, Daniels found himself phased out of the spotlight. It's been heavily speculated that the size and terms of his contract, which no doubt Watts would have never given any of his managers, spelled his downfall. Similar to Jim Cornette's two hundred twenty-five thousand a year per year contract, with that we said being a large part of his initial downfall to Jim Hurd, who felt no managers worth that kind of money. And Cornell was phased down, which made Hurd's feelings into a self-fulfilling prophecy. Nevertheless, the investigation dangerously was known by, by, by some within the industry for several months. It wasn't a quickie deal by any means. Now, an interview in the Charleston Post-Courier on Friday, Heyman claimed that Bill Watts attempted Barry's career in an attempt to make him settle on a contract buyout. They made that allegation of falsified expense reports. It's 100% untrue. It is false. It is a lie. The only discrepancy at all in my office is the fact that for several years, several members of the organization have stayed at a particular motel in Atlanta, never got receipts, and that was the maximum amount the company would pay us, pay us to stay at the motel anyway. As for documentation, and I got uh, from the hotel itself a letter acknowledging I had been there on the dates in question. And all of a sudden, even that is not good enough for WCW. This has been a witch hunt for five months because I refused to renegotiate a contract. I signed with that company because I refused to take less pay when I had already committed myself for two years under an agreement. I have no problem renegotiating this deal on April 1st, 1994, when this contract expires. It would have been stupid to renegotiate a contract that had already been signed by both parties in good faith. In my contract, there's a buyout clause which has to pay, buy me out at a certain price, even if there's just cause, which there isn't. They have to pay me six months severance. It's just hundred thousand dollars up front. And so they give me the lie down and lie down like a dog. So I don't chase after even that. This company is holding the treat of a criminal prosecution criminal prosecution to make me go away. Threat somehow that got. I think that was a title. Treat. Yes. <laughs> the treat of criminal prosecution. I'm going to seek all legal recourse, not only to enforce the stipulations and provisions of my contract, but for damages to my professional standing and reputation. For this blatant attempt to blackmail me and ruin my career because I wouldn't buckle on the Bill Watts' pressure. We're going to litigate. The last statement concerns two items. First, Danielson claims his contract calls him to be given 30 days' notice in the event of termination and severance pay equal to slightly more than his six month salary, a combined figure in the $120,000 range. Secondly, in Watts' termination letter, Watts said the WCW is not waiving the right to process criminal action in regards to the case. Delane Donovan, the general manager of the Ramada Hotel Atlanta Airport South, 
was worried that the entire situation may have been a misunderstanding because wrestling personalities often check in under pseudonyms so they can avoid being bothered by fans. Donovan, who wouldn't contact him Monday, wasn't aware that Anderson had been fired over the incident, but knew of the WCW investigation. So the problem may have been that the office computer would have no records of any cash purchases if made under pseudonyms unless they were asked to pull the records away to pseudonym use on the specific night. She recalled Danielson was a regular customer in the hotel, saying she even recalls personally checking them in on several occasions. I don't know too much other than they were investigating this record, she said. Turner's on our comptroller's office to pull the records. They took it back to the office. I haven't heard anything since that time. Paul then had the receipts. He had a letter from us saying he stayed here. Turner's, Turner's people were looking for backup copies of the receipts. All the guys stay here in different names. They don't want the fans to find him. Sometimes they don't even want their families to find him. He definitely stayed here. The problem is some of the dates didn't coincide with the dates he turned in. Sometimes guys rent rooms late at night and pay cash. It's hard to pinpoint unless you know the name that they use and look for it on a specific date. If he signed in as Joe Blow, for example, he should know that Joe Blow was a well-known signing name of a specific wrestler at the hotel, and we would have no way of pulling those records up. He could have been his own worst enemy. That's really the kind of a screw we deal in both parts. He has stayed here. We never had any problems with him when he was here. I know he stayed here because I first checked him in. Without knowing the dates and the name he used, we can't go back and look. But the guy stayed here for a long time. The investigation got out of my hands and it's an owner's hands. I had no control over it. Without paying my credit card or knowing what name he used on specific dates, there's no way to prove he stayed here. Where's this Dave calling the hotel manager and giving extensive quotes? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's uh, unlike him, isn't it? Yeah, and also unlike Paul, I really, so far, kind of believe him. Yeah. Would he really be trying to carny WCW out of a fairly small amount of money? All things considered. And if he's... What? Like... And what's the idea? He didn't stay at a hotel? He stayed at someone's house? Like, what is their theory? Uh... My guess is that... I guess he... he, I don't know. I mean, I... He's clearly staying overnight in Atlanta. Until he flies home. Yeah, and the the Ramada was right near the airport. So it's just a little, little piece away, so it's not far to travel. Uh, a lot of guys stay at the hotels near the airport. So, and you're not right there. You're not far from downtown, right there. So, where you need to be, if you're at at, at uh, Turner headquarters, I mean, you're just maybe hmm, five, seven miles away. So, it's a good spot if you want to stay, if you're just chilling out, whatever. So, I don't know, but I understand the student thing because I mean, if fans want to try and figure out who's staying where, and you know, you use your wrestling personality name or your real name if they know your real name, you know, they could heckle you and or you know, stalk you or whatever. So I get it. Okay, so I do have a question about that though. You know, in my you know, adult life. When I've stayed in a hotel, there's no, never any distinction made between, like, my listed name and the name on my credit card or anything. Was that a thing that ceased to exist at some point? 
because I know I know all the stories of celebrities using pseudonyms when they check into hotels, but like they're paying. Like, are they paying cash? Like, what am I every time yeah, I do that? More than, well, even more than not, I think cash. That's what I would think. So, do we think Paul is going to an ATM, or do we think Paul is getting a draw and paying for the hotel with that? I would say something like an ATM. Because if he's getting a draw, then this makes this also a lot more interesting. Yeah. Because then he's got, you know, he's going to WCW to get an advance. Um, yeah, I don't know. It's just weird. So the hotel manager is backing him up pretty hard, though. Yeah, she's seen him a lot there and uh, can cooperate that. But I mean, the, the, the simple thing with this was would be ask Paul, ask Paul with his names he used and match him up. Maybe he used a different name each time. And that's what I'm saying. Time. But I'm sure he knowing Paul Heyman. I'm pretty sure he remembers the names he used. I mean, I remember when he used them. Right. But I'm pretty sure he remembers the names he used. So, I don't know. To hear this entire show, support Between the Sheets on Patreon for just $5 per month. Go to patreon.com slash Between the Sheets.